Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to Patreon.com slash LastStandMedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode number 215. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined today, as always, by my son, Chris Raygun. Chris, how are you? When I first looked at your shirt, I must admit, I thought it was Monokuma when I from from oh, they, yeah, they're in the background from Danganronpa, but it's not it's not that at all. Oh, no, no. <laughs> this is a friend of mine's uh, merch. Cool. Not a. Uh, I don't know what the hell you said. Montezuma's Revenge or something? Um, uh, Danganronpa, the, the, the bear. Oh, the bear, um, the J- Japan yeah. bear. I forgot mm-hmm. about him. Yeah, That's yeah. the official bear. bear of Japan. Yeah, the <laughs> official bear Monokuma. of Japan, Monokuma. What was that thing? Remember that thing, Pedo Bear or whatever? Oh, like yeah. The, Whoa. But that was like, yeah. remember that? That was like a long time ago, but that was like people, because I knew someone at IGN that like earnestly had a shirt, I think, with that, that he bought and like not realizing the connotation because they like got bastardized <laughs> or something. I don't really know the whole thing about it. Like, I don't know the whole story. I don't know the full story of that either. And I feel yeah. like I should because that's yeah, a pretty, it's a pretty old piece of ubiquitous uh, like internet culture. Definitely. I would say Maybe even like not pre YouTube, but probably around the before YouTube was monetizable. Let's say, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Ar- around that era. 
Colin, yeah. uh, there's a oh, there's a directory. I'm afraid to click it on this link because it no, says no, no, Pedal no. Bear. So this is there's a website that's very very good called knowyourmeme.com. Oh yeah, yeah, this I know this I know this website. And I'm, they I'm do extensive histories behind like where memes originate and stuff like that. And so uh, I'm looking through here, and it seems to be pretty extent more extensive than for us to just explain on the fly. Yeah, I mean the, this the is like. Yeah, this is 2003. So yeah, I was I was right actually before YouTube. So I was because I feel like I remember that, and it's like yeah, Safety Bear. Yeah, this was this is like a yeah. pre. This is Newgrounds territory or mm -hmm. like albino black sheep. Like this is way before YouTube. Yeah, this is. Uh, I have to look into that. I don't know why. Why did this even come up? Because we were talking about oh Japanese bears. <laughs> 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 and after Monokuma, that's what comes up next for me. Is is that bear? Yeah, I guess that what what kind of other bears you got? The well, teddy? I think of well, I think of teddy the bear. bear. I think of the bear from uh, Tekken for some reason. Oh, what's his name? I, I think his name um, is Kuma, isn't it? Oh, Kuma, that's right. Which is bear, Dude. right? Yeah. Wait, you said Teddy? Because like, Teddy, Teddy from Persona Four Golden. Oh, Teddy T A D D I E. Yes, 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 yes. I think wait. Yes, yes, yes. Teddy Persona. We're gonna we're really angering bear enthusiasts. Yeah, you're right. All the the huge audience of bear enthusiasts that watch the show. I know. They're uh, well. It's uh, oh no. It's summer. I, I was gonna say they're hibernating right now, but that's not true. No. Maybe they hibernate during the summer when the bears are out, so that when the bears are sleeping and unaware, they can examine them. Hmm. And that's what bear bear <laughs> enthusiasts really do. Well, welcome to Sacred Symbols, of PlayStation. Po oh wait, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, Dustin uh, Furman, executive producer. I'm sorry. I didn't introduce you at all. I'm sorry. I always okay. do that to you. That's okay. Welcome. I'm doing all right today. No. So let, let me tell Wearing you. Wearing your shirt of failures, as I see. My shirt of failures. I had a failure this morning. <laughs> so yeah. I tell you guys about how much I hate dealing with cars. My brakes were squealing a week ago. Mm. And mm -hmm. I have PTSD mm. from a time when I ignored my squealing brakes and then they started like grinding my rotors and you can't go anywhere or do anything. And then you have to spend a bunch of extra money. Took my car to the shop this morning. They take a look and they're like, your brakes are fine. I'm like, cool. Glad I sat here for the last 45 minutes to, for you to tell me my brakes were totally fine. Maybe there's a way to check your brakes uh, yourself. I don't know how to do that. I barely I'm know. Sure, I'm sure there is. But don't ask me. <laughs> don't ask me either. I, I don't I purposely don't want to know anything about cars. I mean, it's kind of it. I mean, it has fucked me many times, but I just uh, I hate them. Can I admit something to you sure. right now? Yeah, I've been falling down this Reddit rabbit hole recently. OK, finding these miscellaneous Reddit subreddits or whatever. And there's one I can't remember the name of it, but it's 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 I, I got to look because I, I, it's on my phone. But it's one for that auto mechanics use just rolled into the shop. Yeah, that's that's exactly the one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's so funny. It's so it's so funny. It, like, I, yeah. I don't understand that shit at all, but it's these little subcultures. So, yeah, dude, that's that's my admission for now. But anyway, anyway, the brakes are well, the brakes are well. And uh, I'm just I don't know. I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like when I have to talk to a mechanic, I just feel like the biggest moron ever. And then especially in this situation where they're like, nothing's wrong with your car. It's like, uh, cool. I'm just going to go home and in shame now, which they didn't charge me anything or anything like that. But I don't know, man. Cars are just they're I mystifying. Hate I hate them. That the, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't I don't deal with cars at all. Fuck that. I'm going to mess yeah. with cars. Don't have any time for that. <laughs> Chris, you have a car, right? I do. I do. I, I don't like having a car. Yeah. <laughs> I, a car. Having a car is one of the worst 
it's one of the worst things you can really do to yourself because it's just this thing that depreciates in value incrementally like really really fast and it breaks down and if it if you forget to maintain it effectively you die mm-hmm. uh <laughs> it's expensive well, it's like these mandatory insurance costs it's a whole bitch to get like a license and and just and uh registration that needs to be renewed it too does often. seem like it's a lot like it is it is like I, I I would like for us to exist in a country that had like proper infrastructure for, you know, public transit. So I wouldn't it was so great living in like the city in like Manhattan and, and even in like uh, even in Burbank to a lesser extent where, you know, things were walkable and like oh, yeah, it, Burbank's very walkable. it was uh, yeah. it was a lot nicer than being pretty much anywhere where you need a car. But, but unfortunately, it's the reality where it's like you just need a you just need a car in a lot of yep, places. Totally. Do you totally. know? how to check and see if your brake pads are too worn down or am i alone is this something a common car owner should know your brake pads are kind of out of the way it's not one of those things that you can easily check i uh, tried looking because i've I've seen people do it they're like oh yeah your brake it's certain vehicles maybe you can check them but i was like i don't know i have no idea the car that i have it's like under a panel that i just don't want to i just don't want to deal with the second i have Mm -hmm. to open up the second i have to open it's like it's like PCs to me where it's like if I have to open my PC I'm just gonna get a friend of mine to do it oh, so like, that's I just, the only I place I, I feel comfortable <laughs> <laughs> no I can't do it I'm just so pleased to never have I, I owned a car when I was younger actually a, a, like I've said a Ford Ranger yeah but I barely drove it and uh, I got rid of it for $500 when I was running out of money when I was an intern at IGN nice and then uh and that was in 2003. <laughs> and then I and then I lived in Boston in San Francisco. Santa Monica was very walkable. And then when, when I moved to like s- suburban rural Virginia, people were like, you can't live out there without a car. And I'm like, you fucking better watch me. You better watch <laughs> me live out here without a car. I will say, and, though, yeah. I do like driving and blasting music. Oh, yeah. that is a very that mm-hmm. is a very nice. And I missed that when I was in L.A. and I didn't have a car. It was like, oh, man, it was it was nice to just drive, have the AC blasting and just like blast music out my windows be really obnoxious just like really obnoxious shit that you shouldn't be you should not be blasting like michelle branch oh something. Yeah. <laughs> michelle branch dude deep cut there yeah yeah i haven't i haven't thought of her in all and the time. song everywhere right yeah that's the, dude i love that song. that song shows up on well, my song with the piano no you're the, that, no. that's vanessa carlton you're thinking oh, of. okay but similar uh, vein though everywhere is a great unironically a great song <laughs> that song's a banger dude for it sure. Is. I'm going to listen to it right now. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah, here. I'm oh, sure I, you I know, know just from looking at it. You're everywhere. Yeah, yeah it's a good song, yeah. bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, that is a good song. All right. Where are we now? Now I can introduce the show. Sacred Symbols, PlayStation <laughs> Podcast. Up each and every week. You can get it three days early and ad free over on Patreon, like more than 12,000 of you do. On Patreon.com slash Last Media. We appreciate your love, kindness, and support over there. Uh, we... I don't know. Numbers have been dropping a little bit. Here's an interesting thing. I think people are like everything's kind of adjusting to a new normal economic normal because our numbers are dropping a little bit, but we're actually ranked higher on Patreon than we were last month, which means everyone else is per capita dropping even more. And uh, so remember to go out there and support if you can your content, the content creators you like, however you can with with, of course, Patreon and um, supporting their advertisers or whatever merch. Of course, you can get our merch. Last Stand Media store. Sacred Symbols Plus, by the way, our twice weekly supplement over on Patreon to Sacred Symbols. I just interviewed Melanie Mack. Fairly controversial. I, I didn't expect that for some reason. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially 
especially because uh, we talked mostly about Tomb Raider, but she um, the audience, you know, really had a lot to say about this good and bad, but mm. very popular episode. Mostly good, I must say. She's very, very much welcome back. I'm trying to get a small roster of people together that we like that we can start like hitting up to do more spoiler cast and review discussions with other people. So she'll definitely be added to the list. So she was she was great. We did one or I did one about collecting. Dustin did a mailbag. I did a mailbag. We had Gio Corsi on recently. Did one on uh, Ashfall, et cetera. Lots of uh, let me see. Look at the calendar here, because I kind of just send these to Micah and then she obviously schedules them for us. So let's see what's coming up here on on uh, the show. Oh, yeah. Um, we have one with education in gaming. So how games are being used, like gamification and education is being used, which I think is awesome. So like, you know, achievement systems and stuff like that. Let's see what else. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I have one with uh, about, like I said earlier, video game guides. That's going to be awesome. I have one with uh, one of the producers from the modern Atari coming up, too, which is going to be fun because I want to know what the hell they're doing and uh, more. So we're excited about that. Thank you for for your support over there. As far as merch is concerned, I thought you would appreciate this. Nicholas Hardacre wrote in and said, hey, CDC, incredible work on everything being sold on the shop. The quality is top notch and my package arrives one week early. Micah is doing a great job uh, getting everything together. Very uh, OCD with it, which I appreciate. Fast forward to last weekend. Now I'm heading into the city for about 12 minutes or so. I had a white car following me, waving their hands and blowing on the horn. I'm figuring they're on some drugs, drunk or maybe on an acid trip, losing their minds. Get to the first light inside the city where they whip up next to me. I looked over ready to lose my shit, but then the gentleman is laughing and rolls down his window before I could even say a word. I got this stand down. We both laughed and went our separate ways. Turns out that the Pope's sacred symbol sticker on my new truck is a huge hit in the deep south. Have a great weekend, boys. Thank you, Nicholas, for writing a great story. Dustin, you're becoming a cult figure in the culture. I don't feel about that. Yeah. And it's uh, it's I I guess this is how it works is that the catchphrases are, are not the ones that you plan. But I also just like this idea of our our merchandise, whether it's a, a shirt or stickers being out there and people finding one another. I know that uh, I think it was a few weeks ago or a month or two ago, Ben was wearing one of our shirts or his hoodie or something. And someone at our local theater was like, hey, that's a nice, nice hoodie. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> but like, I don't know whether they knew it was him or if they didn't yeah. know because he's not on like sacred symbols stuff like that but uh yeah it's it's funny how those interactions work out it's very cool well go check it out laststandmedia.store free domestic shipping on all stickers if you want to put them all over your car and have weird interactions like nicholas did in the deep south <laughs> down there in the deep south sounds really ominous doesn't it that's the voice i always try to use that's my southern man voice mm. <laughs> we got a saying down here that reminds me yeah, of true detective a, <laughs> that's what the yeah, vibe oh, I get. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah yeah exactly like i'm a, i'm like at the revivalist church in the right. swamp looking for the yellow yeah. king <laughs> jesus that's great that's good stuff man that's so good season one of true oh, detective top five best phenomenal shows ever phenomenal season two of true detective couldn't get past the second episode all right Let's get into topics of discussion on that high note. And speaking of high note, I'm feeling pretty good today. Mm, yeah. I got to say, I got to be honest with you. Everyone's, you're you're uh, glowing. You're radiant. Thank you. Wow. That's so kind of you to say that. And uh, I didn't mean it in a into, kind way. I just. Oh, OK. <laughs> like I'm radiant like like a. No, nah, I just meant it as, like as a general. Obs- it's a neutral observation, you know. Oh, sure. Oh, it's neutral. I, that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> 
Keep that in mind. God forbid you say something nice to call. <laughs> I don't want to be misconstrued as saying something nice when I just meant like it. You know? Yeah, no, it's I understand. Dangerous. Keep your powder. Keep your powder dry. <laughs> it's kind of how like I never ask anyone for any favors, so that when I ask for a favor, it like really stands out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. I don't want to get anyone mis- misconstrued. People offer me oh, do things for me. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want you to do anything for me. Like, f- no, no, no. I don't need you yet. No. One get day. Out of here. James Derrickson wrote in. He has a correction. Actually, it's not a correction. It's clarification. It's what you asked for. Mm -hmm. Chris, he says, hey, CDC, I am just writing in to respond to Chris's question last week regarding engineering writing being done in all capital letters. I have been working as a professional electrical engineer for the last seven years, and almost everything I write is in all capital letters. Capital letters are standard when developing construction documents to convey information to the people who actually perform the building part of the construction process. Capital letters are easy to identify or easier to identify than lowercase and prevent confusion, for example. Think how similar F and T are versus F and T in capitals. So F and T lowercase. True enough. It seems like a waste of time, but it is tremendously helpful. Unfortunately, it also means I type back to chats on my computer with caps lock on. So everyone thinks I'm always yelling at them in discord. Anyway, I just thought (laughs) I'd clear that up. Keep up the excellent work, gentlemen. So there you go. You're right. I mean, that was your that was your instinct. Yeah, but it's weird because I've carried that kind of forward into my normal handwriting when I'm, I'm not an engineer. I'm not an engineer at all. I don't construct I don't convey information to construction workers. I don't do anything, but I capitalize everything that I write. And it's uh, concerning to a lot of people. Can I talk about syntax for a minute in the sense that the exact opposite is what's really bothering me recently? Have you Mm -hmm. noticed this trend? I actually spouted off on this on on Discord. This trend of people just not using capital letters anymore. But they use like correct punctuation. Well, so like they're writing properly. Yeah. The Kotaku type person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you well, think of that? I, that bothers the shit. I mean, it's it, like, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? I actually, I actually noticed this years ago, and I, I would, I would do test runs where I would, I would think of like a tweet where I was like, oh, that's a good tweet, and then I would write it out the way that I would write it out, and then I write, I would write it with no caps, and the ones with no caps got more engagement for some reason. All like a hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. I it, don't know what it, that is. It conveys hmm. a different voice on Twitter. Which Colin, I think that to your argument that sometimes it is overused. I've used it though when trying to tell a joke in a specific way right. on Twitter. I don't know how to explain it though, but it can send off a different feeling for a tweet. But like I said, if you're like reporting on something, then don't do that. Like that's obviously. Yeah, ridiculous. Like, it's it's like it's there's something like I think capital letters or proper punctuation and cap proper capitalization makes things feel more like statements. Like, oh, this is I'm I'm making a statement on something as opposed to like if you're on social media and you use just kind of just lowercase and maybe you're loose with the punctuation, it comes across as more sarcastic and more more jokey. So I typically like if I'm saying something and it's not serious on Twitter. I'll, I, I won't end it with like a period. I'll just I'll, it'll just trail off or like it won't have capitals in it. That's usually how you can tell mm. if I put I've, I've, if it's a, if there's a period and capitals, it's very serious. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely intentional on what I'm saying. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm specifically so I'll, t- I'll be specific. I'm referencing this tweet that was going around about Spider-Man PC, which we're going to talk about shortly from the deputy editor of games from Polygon. And she writes Spider-Man remastered for PC looks great. Spider-Man lowercase letters remastered lowercase PC uppercase period. Hmm. And then lowercase the few bugs I saw will likely be okay in time for release period all lowercase. And then she talks about the NYPD all capitals. 
Hmm. Interesting. I don't under. I, there's something weird about this, like this this way of writing, because I noticed that there's a, a writer at Kotaku. I can't remember the person's name who in their byline uses all lowercase letters for their name. Ooh. And I'm like, mm, you're trying something, something. I don't like it. I don't like it. It's not happening. We have to keep the syntax proper. We all speak the same language. We have to be able to understand each other. Don't try to be cute. Mm. Yeah, I don't like it. Please hmm. don't try to be cute. I don't like anything less than people trying to be cute. <laughs> and you all know what exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, I don't want it. Speaking of people being cute, new YouTube rabbit hole. Uh, body cam footage from cops arresting people for DUIs. Uh, that's that's a Whoa. new that's a new subgenre for me. What the hell did you just say? Do DUIs? Yeah, you know, DUI. Oh, yeah. DUI. Okay, yeah, okay. I thought you said DUIs. I was like, what the yeah, fuck? Yeah, DUI. Dewey. Dewey. That's that's a that was a term on Long Island. I don't know if that's a term. I've elsewhere. never heard that in my life. Have you? Either. Driving. It's DWI. Driving while intoxicated. Oh, do we? Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. I forgot about I forgot about that abbreviation. Yeah. So we call them we called them Dewey's where I was from. But I, a DUI is as the more prominent nomen, proper nomenclature. But my I think YouTube is like okay. You're watching a lot of the renegade predator hunters you probably want to watch body cam footage. And they were right. <laughs> they were absolutely right. So yeah. now that's that's the rabbit hole I'm down now as well. And it's kind of sad because. Well, it's not. Is it sad? It's really not sad. I mean, you made a really bad choice. Yeah. But like watching the, a person's worst moment. Oh, yeah. Right. It's pretty tough. That's real cringe. It can. I think it is <clears throat> sad. I mean, it is sad, but not like in a I feel bad and you I want to forgive you type way. It's like, man, what happened in your life that you that led to this moment? Like, that's sad and horrifying and uh, anger inducing, you know? Yeah. yeah, I know people that have gotten DUIs and. You know, they're not proud of them, obviously, but they're not like you know, horrifying people or anything like that. Sure. It is a mistake, but you could, you know, um, old friend of mine, Jared Petty, I don't talk to him really anymore, but. He almost got fucking killed by uh, him and his wife on Bay Bridge in Oakland going to San Francisco by a drunk driver going the opposite direction at like 60 miles an hour. That's crazy. And that's what happened with one of our team members. They almost killed both of them. It was was insane. It's like a fucking, it's like the Taconic. That's why I never got into the Taconic in New York because there was like, like, people just drive the wrong way on that fucking thing. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's just, you know, gotta take your responsibility out there don't drink and drive there's so there's just no excuse there's never been an excuse and there is definitely no excuse today with apps yeah. and shit just right. like figure it out for, and, for god's sake and shout out to sean who's dealing with this situation right now yes i yes. don't know if we I had that in my notes so i yeah. wasn't gonna get to that but yeah but let's do that yeah talk about that please yeah so some of you know uh one of our community members sean mason who writes in all the time some people have complained that his questions get read too often but they're always really really good uh he recently and he posted this publicly on the discord so i'm not like dive you know putting out any info he wouldn't want people to hear but uh he was out on a run and got hit by a drunk driver and so he is uh fine he fine as and he's alive but he had had extensive injuries he's in the Mm -hmm. hospital he is gonna make a recovery uh but uh man did they catch the person they did i think he crashed down the road and they got to my understanding excellent so that guy (laughs) yeah so sean i know you're listening right now civil you got it all lined up man i mean yeah it's it's horrible go on i'm sorry yeah i was just i know sean's listening and everyone Mm. in the discord has been thinking about you and um 
If you know Sean, uh, he's a great guy. He he baked us a bunch of stuff for Sacred Two Hundred. He's just oh, yeah, been, yeah. He's and he's like one of our like in the Discord. He's like the the guy that can bring people together. So we yeah. love you, Sean. He's a sweet guy. And yeah. uh, so so if uh, if you were complaining about him writing into the show, uh, this is your fault because uh, <laughs> yeah. you did this. Way to go. You probably willed this into existence knowing you freeze. He's a wow. Mets fan, which is a little suspicious, but Ooh. <laughs> I actually should be a Mets fan by birth. Uh, it's something I'm often asked about because that really is a Long Island centered team. But no, sorry, we weren't, <laughs> I, I was born a Yankee fan for some reason. It's just a, it's just a family thing. It's just very unnatural to me. But uh, yeah, we're going to send him a few things. I know we wrote him a card and we got a few things lined up for him because you got to kind of think like what what can you do for someone? What can you really do for them? Yeah. And the answer is like the family, the friends probably get there first. You don't want to overstep your bounds. So you try to do like maybe some cooler, different sort of things that they might remember and appreciate. So right. yeah, be well, Sean. I was going to, I was going to mention that at the end of the show, but glad you brought that up now. It does make sense since we're talking about the subject. Right. Although I have no idea how we got on that subject, but let's move on. Tonight, only on Disney plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Does anyone here know the lyrics? Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version. With four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Bobby, he has a correction. He says, hey, lads, the studio you were thinking of last week that developed parts three and four of Penny Arcade's Rain Slick, Slick Precipice series is Z-Boyd. Just wanted to shout them out because they're a two-man studio that makes excellent RPGs. Cosmic Star Heroine in particular oh. is an excellent game in the vein of Chrono Trigger and even made its way to Vita. Yeah, I, that's exactly the team I was trying to think of. I don't know why I couldn't think of them. I didn't know that they didn't make all of them. But as I recall, maybe I'm crazy. I could have sworn that they started as an XNA studio. And that's how they came up because I could have sworn they made there was a game called. It was like. Breath of something 12 or something weird, like it was it was Breath of Death, I think it was called. It was supposed to be making fun of role playing games, I think. Right. And I think I thought that was them, but I could be wrong. But anyway, that is the studio I was thinking of. I did play Cosmic Star Heroine on PS4 because the Vita version was delayed for so long and I wasn't really feeling it, but I don't know why. I'm sure if I go back to it, I I will like it better because it is a lot like Chrono Trigger. Thank you, Bobby, for the clarification. Uh, CJ wrote in, said, Colin, if you add a $100 Patreon tier, I will change my pledge, but you have to finish the goddamn shelves behind you. (laughs) Stop lighting up your junk. I'm not lighting up the junk that matters, unfortunately for you. I'm only half joking. I do appreciate that the pledge is still in the same spot it was three months ago. I told you, promises made, promises kept. Right? (laughs) There it is. In the same exact place. I told you it wouldn't move. I told you it wouldn't move. And so... We have some action going on. I've contracted my nephews. They're going through the G.I. Joe's now, separating everything out, trying to figure out what we have. I also bought a few new items because I can't stop buying things uh, that are G.I. Joe related. So there's just more going into the lots now. And uh, we're going to get it all figured out in the coming months. 
I love that you have so this. It'll probably uh, look like this for at least you know a few more months. What, I, love, you say? I, I love that you have this this uh, familial sweatshop going on of, of yeah. your, your nephews well, sifting through GI Joe's. Yeah. It's like it's like uh, in Willy Wonka when yeah. when they're going through the box the, bo- the the candy bars in the factory. A five pound bonus in your pay bucket. Yeah. Good shit. Uh, it's Mr. Colin, Salt, probably the best character in the movie. Once yeah, every sorry, three months, I probably hear you about uh, hiring your your uh, nephews to do something. I mean, at one point you were talking about buying a car for your nephew under the mm-hmm. contraction they have to uh, they have to not contract the contractual obligation to like drive you anywhere. I think yeah, that yeah, fell that, through that though. That wasn't really necessary because yeah. I couldn't really figure out a way to make that work because I don't really need to go anywhere. Right. But also, I think my my nephew Declan is. Uh, 16 and he can drive now so I think he's gonna get a car soon I don't know but yeah that's not happening no I'm, I'm trying to I'm a little nepotistic I'm not sure. gonna lie about that but also sure. I they want they like love doing this and I'm paying them and they're gonna get like extra shit like there's so many extras doubles triples and stuff so they're amped up they're like oh my it's god they're totally like yeah and I think my sister and my brother-in-law are amped like they were all about it too because I think they just want them to like go be distracted yeah which the, and this will do the trick. Okay, what else? So yeah, no, that the shelf just come, just look at it and deal with it. It's beautiful woodwork. It's custom. Look at it. It's beautiful. Why you don't need to put anything on it? <laughs> it's insanity. I didn't get this from IKEA. Come on, <laughs> I got this shelf because the shelf looked nice. I refused yeah. it. That's like that's like when people would. Uh, it's like when um, some of my older relatives would get like a couch and then they would cover it in plastic. Right. And oh. you're like, what are you doing? I, yeah, that's that's too much for me. That's too much for me. Like I cover my outdoor furniture when I'm not using it and stuff. But yeah, indoor furniture and when you're using it, it just it's come on, man. You got to like I have my Fraser dad chair, basically. And that's that's going to be there forever. And it's just it is what it is. OK, what else is going on here? OK, Jared Allen wrote in. Gentlemen, I've noticed this week two different YouTubers and a Reddit thread discussing the shovelware and sad state of the PlayStation store. Just wanted to give a shout out on Sacred Symbols for yet again being ahead of the curve. Can't wait for a Sacred Symbols Plus episode to give Colin a full hour rant about it. Keep killing it on the content side. This is becoming a big mm-hmm. topic of discussion, and it's really interesting. So welcome to Sacred Symbols like three years ago when we started saying this, of course. But it is cool to see people finally become cognizant of it. And it's cool that it is being noticed when it is becoming the worst. It's it's noticeably worse. And I've been saying that. So it's kind of. Makes me feel kind of smart, but also it kind of makes me feel good that people are seeing the same thing that I'm seeing, because I've said this for months that the PlayStation stores, it's it's a mess. It's just a complete disaster. So I'm glad to see Brian talking about it. I heard Mystic was talking about it and others. It's great. And we need to really beat the door down on Sony and ask them, why don't you care about the quality of the PlayStation store? You don't care. So why don't you care? You should at least explain that. Yeah. And. I'm glad people are flipping out about it. That fucking Christian games thing. There's like a hundred plus of those. Just sitting in the same real estate as, I don't know, a triple A game and a great indie game. And they're just the same real estate. If you're looking for them. <laughs> Why don't you care? Why don't you care? Ugh. We're going to get into it more. Chris, you have something to say? No, it's just like it's it's again. We're I mean. This has happened a million times where we've said something and then eventually everybody just says it again. And it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, we were saying this already, but 
I understand that it's nice that everybody's uh, the the best thing to come out of this is like, all right, well, now maybe so many more people are aware of it that it can't go ignored because that's kind of, you know, when you're the first people to notice something or when you're you're kind of at the forefront of some something like this, it's easy for uh, for whoever's being complained about to kind of like ignore it or shove it under the rug. It's like Sony doesn't have to and Sony still doesn't really have to answer for this, but I'm hoping that at least more people will complain about this to the point where someone has to say something or at least yeah. something has to be addressed, you know, in a blog or something. But well, I doubt it. it. That's what I was going to say is I disagree with you in the sense that I do think they need to say something about this. I think that this is a big deal. People are really starting to pay attention to the. <laughs> it's you're right, because we say things so long ago and people <laughs> just it's like I said for years, there's actually a really somewhat well-known conversation I had with Adam boys when I was that kind of funny debating him about the store where he was making a more free market observation and argument. And I was making a observations that tended towards curation and I'm fucking right. I was totally 100% all the way first place, right about that observation with the PlayStation store. It's a goddamn mess. It's becoming more and more like the app store, which is exactly what I said it would it would become. And again, remember, Sony announced a few weeks ago they want to lower the barrier of entry mm-hmm. to get your games on the PlayStation store. So you ain't seen fucking nothing yet. And it's time to nip it in the bud now before it gets out of control. I make the argument that if Sony sits down, counts the beans, figures it out, they have more to gain than to lose by getting rid of these games and just not allowing this shit on the store. And I'm becoming this isn't a PlayStation store isn't a free market. PlayStation exists on a free market, but PlayStation store itself is a closed market. So treat it like a closed market. You know what sounds like a really good idea? And I said this before the Nintendo style. You can't publish more than a few games a year. Yeah. So you better fucking choose which ones you want to when you want when you how do you want to publish? And if you have more games churning out than you can publish, then you should ask yourself how and why that's happening. The, you know? the, the thing that's confusing to me is I, I mean, we've talked about this on the show a couple times, but like the idea that there's a lot of games that get kind of um I don't know if censored is necessarily the right word, but it's the word I'm going to use uh, for lack of a better term. There are games that are censored on PlayStation that are not censored on other storefronts. Meanwhile, the store is flooded with garbage. And I would argue that that's way worse than whatever the hell it is they're censoring, especially if what they're censoring is available on the Nintendo Switch store. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems their priority for curation and their their priorities for protecting what the PlayStation store is able to give people is very, I don't know, just very misguided, at least the way I see it. I I look at it and I just think. I'm mad at Sony and I'm also mad at these developers and publishers that are doing this. Oh, yeah. yeah. What do you and I I just think I say it again. It's and I mean, it's like, what do you think you're doing? Uh, Who do you think you are? Companies with back catalogs that we would die for don't fucking treat the PlayStation store like this. You're nothing. You know, like. Take your little box and release your little game on the PlayStation store um, and take your little real estate and move on. It's so audacious. These games suck. (laughs) These aren't good games. And like I always say, I I make fun of Kemco for releasing like a JRPG every month. That's quaint. And those games are way better than this shit. Then, you know, their RPG maker style, whatever games are way higher effort than this shit. And People need to call it out and we need it sucks because the only the only language that matters the most, the only language that matters really at all, I should say, is is money. Yeah. And 
if there are people that just want easy trophies and want to troll and do all those things that just make it somewhat profitable or somewhat worth your time, then they're going to ignore everything. Like people need to say, like, we're not buying this. We don't want this. Get this trash out of here. And there is an objective standard. There is an objective standard. And it doesn't have to necessarily be about quality. It could be about quantity and intent. What is your intent when you're releasing these asset flip games? Why are you doing this? Other than the bottom line, no one wants this shit. Mm -hmm. So you're manipulating the PlayStation trophy system. You're putting games up for a dollar. You're just slipping by and everyone should be upset about that. Gamers should be upset about that. And every other developer and publisher should be upset about that because it is somewhat of a, a common system. None of us benefit as players or consumers or or publishers or developers by this shit being on the store. And it is it is obnoxious. And I and so, again, I ask, why doesn't Sony care about that? They should care about that. Mm-hmm. There's and it's uh, just going to get worse and worse and worse. So there's uh man, there's already I'm looking at the places already. There's pickle run. There's. X ump jump, which is like a pig jumping game. There's the giraffe G there's jumping nuggets turbo. Just all of this insane shit. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, and um, cult of the lamb. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, oh, very cool. Now, people will say like, well, the cult of the lambs on the on the on the masthead cult of the lamb will be an indie hits and all that. But yeah, but the point is, is that if you want to just look at what was released, which a lot of people do. Good luck. No wonder they stopped doing the drop. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, honestly. Now. Jesus. Yeah, in retrospect, that does make a ton of sense. Imagine having to read these exact games every week. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think they saw this thing. They saw what was coming. And they're like, we can't do this anymore. And now it seems this is why I always know there's an intent behind every move a, a corporation makes. Yes. Now we have an answer to that. Because they'd have to justify in the PlayStation blog comments what the fuck they're, they're doing. It's crazy. It's just crazy. And we have been talking about this for a long time, but it is getting worse and worse. And I do feel like they can make exceptions. They should make exceptions for publishers that release games that people care about. But for like people that are just you should have to earn a spot on the PlayStation store. You should have to earn a spot on the Xbox store. If you want to have this like laissez faire market, then go to Steam. That's not what console gaming has ever been. Anyway, I feel like at the very least, and I wanted to ask Chris this. Doesn't Xbox have like an indie indie section where it's like the really, really small games that anyone can publish for? That way, there's some kind of separation. Am I remembering that correct? Like, I remember on uh, Xbox that was X and A. That's what we were saying. Right? Right? Yeah. X and A was that thing. That's what we were talking um, about with Z-Boyd. I don't know if that exists anymore. I, I don't I don't check the store in that way anymore, but I do think. I don't, I don't think it's there. Like, it used to be there. It used to be on the 360 marketplace. There used to be a, a distinct st- separation between, you know, um, AAA games and even games like Limbo and Explosion Man and the other stuff that was kind of like XNA or like right community built stuff, like weird stuff that especially there were a lot of games that used the Xbox avatars as uh, as um, oh, my God as i guess avatars in the game mm-hmm. uh and there were a lot of clones but I don't right. know, at least they were fucking games and at least they were separated well that's what i was gonna say is that maybe i mean obviously trophy manipulation is gonna be a problem even if you do separate them out like this but 
you like maybe there's a way that they could kind of have their cake and eat it too where it's like okay you can have a, a lower barrier to entry but we don't want these one dollar games sitting beside everything else in the exact same storefront but again this is sony who can barely manage their current storefront with everything together let alone a separate section like i just i don't really have any confidence they would be able to do that so maybe it's a moot point they make plenty of money and profit it's probably going to start coming down a little bit as the economy worsens inflation takes its toll consoles are unable to be manufactured and sold but they make enough money to manage this and someone should be smart enough there to say this doesn't pay it doesn't pay for like you have to have think about the pipeline you have to have managers production managers publishing managers behind the scene dealing with all this shit and you should basically say like you shouldn't be even wasting your time with this why are you publishing these games? Why are you interacting with this publisher at all? Work on this shit instead. It just, I don't know. It, it's, it's not that mystifying. Others do it. And there's different models for all of this. Like I said, like, oh, laissez-faire, anything goes, like Steam, App Store. Like, that's not what we should want on consoles. We should want a differentiated experience there. That's part of the reason why we play there. It's always been that way. It's like the astronaut shooting the other astronaut in the back of the head. Always been. Always has been. <laughs> All right. Let's see here. Uh, oh, Sebastian Heilman wrote in. This is a weird one because I don't know what he expects is going on here. He says, hey, Sacred Crew, I have a question named to Colin. You noted that Micah's parents were visiting. What was your sleeping attire? Did you go for the classic Winnie the Pooh to show that you are the man of the house? Did you wear boxers with a shirt? Did you go inverse and wear just pants and shorts, shorts and no shirt? Are you under the assumption that they were sleeping in the same room as us? I don't understand. Nothing changed. Yeah, they were here and I wore my normal attire. I'm not just flopping my dick around all day. Mm. Just when I go to bed. They're unaware of the sleeping situation. I promise you. Yeah. So don't worry about that. That's a weird question. Yeah. I guess you could argue that maybe in the case of like if your house caught on fire and you need to run out, then they're going to see you all. Well, Winnie the, the Pooh. There's, up, you know? Well, there's more dire situations. That's like there are more important things to worry about in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Then, like, oh, my God. Look at that man's dong. They'll be impressed by it. Wow. Mm. That's embarrassing. That he's out naked while his entire life that is burning, is burning. in a conflagration behind him. It, listen, yeah. if my house was burning down, I'd rather just have to deal with that than also everybody seeing my penis. Just yeah, saying. I like, understand. I understand both. You know, I, maybe I grab something on the way out. I don't know. Hopefully that doesn't happen. I don't want to test that. <laughs> These priorities are wild. I would much rather just be naked in like on the street than have my house burned down. <laughs> Dustin has some deep-seated issues. I'm I just, guess. I'm just well, saying, as a we know that if it was going to happen, I'd, I'd rather not be well, naked. Sebastian Heilman, his name—I don't—it sounds very European, and I know some weird shits going on over there. Oh yeah, so yeah, this could be a more European question. Maybe you know what do you? Oh, your your fiance's parents came over. Did you dick hang out? It's like <laughs> yeah, of course you would ask that. Thank you for writing in, Sebastian. H-S-O-J, I don't know how to say that because none of those words, uh, letters belong together. Says, Colin, you are at least 37. I am 27. What changes in your 30s? What scares you about your 40s? I hope to ask you a similar question in 10 years. Stay well, keep slitting. You know what I've become more cognizant of in my 30s? Just time itself. It is, it is passing. I'm getting old. 
people say that you know what really annoys me micah always says like you know laments her age she's in her late 20s <laughs> you know you can't say this to her she's probably hearing me right now but you just, sometimes you want to be like you gotta shut the fuck up right <laughs> i'm 10 years older than you how do you think i feel and i'm a man so i'm not going to live as long anyway I feel like I'm getting a little closer. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm like halfway. Probably it's a little scary when you put it that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what do you learn? Get a little bit of wisdom. I care about way less. Almost everything that bothered me or I cared about when I was in my teens and twenties doesn't bother me or I care about it all anymore. And uh, you learn to let almost everything go. At least I have. But yeah, I kind of live a pretty um, blessed life in the sense that you know I'm able to do this for a living we make a good living I don't have to like go that's why I always try to say like I always our shows are first and foremost for the people out there working because I am blessed that I don't have to go out there and do that I know what it's like it sucks <laughs> and um, so I, I try to keep that in mind too but I'm getting old no doubt about it I've been doing this for a long time it's sad all right less sad Spider-Man is coming to PC. Uh, Peter Long. Oh, no, I don't want to go to you. Oh, no, I do want to go to you, Peter Long. I'm sorry. Peter Long wrote and said, hey, CDC, looks like Spider-Man is about to be a massive hit on Steam. The success of PlayStation on PC is undeniable. My question is, what do you think will be the first PlayStation first party game to go day and date? Take care, guys, and keep moving that shit with your mind. We'll get to that. Don't you worry about that, Peter. Thank you for writing. And so by the time this publishes, the show publishes on Patreon. Spider-Man will be on Steam. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some of the press been messing with it on PC, on their Steam decks and all the rest. I'm obviously not going to play it there again. I don't care, but a lot of people are going to. This is a big one. So first I want to ask, Chris, what's your feeling? Are you going to pick this one up? You said you were, so I assume this is what yeah. you want to check out. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably pick it up. I think uh, it's... <laughs> It looks based on what I've seen, the response has been really positive, and it seems that uh, this port is the best PC to like PlayStation Two PC port that has been put on onto PC. So that's awesome. I feel like Nixus did it. So yeah, so their their uh, that investment is turning out to be pretty wise. I'm looking forward to it. I I, I I'm really I'm gonna hold off on it though for a little bit because really what I'm interested I've played. I've played Spider-Man twice now. You know, like I've I've had my fill of that game. What I really want to see is the mods. I want to see how people transform this thing. I want to see like how in-depth people can get with it. I want to see how open they manage to uh, crack it because that's where that's a lot of the value in the PC version for me. I remember when I found out in Destroy All Humans when like a lot of the video files were actual just MP4s and I was like, oh, my God. Just put all sorts of cursed shit into Destroy All Humans, and it was amazing. Uh, so that is what I'm looking forward to the most. But I, there's no doubt this is going to blow up. What about you, Mr. Steam Deck? Yeah, uh, I'm not going to check it out at launch just because this is, I feel like, a game that I've played recently enough. But mm-hmm. I think yeah. I saw this, that there's now on PlayStation's website an official PC section where it says PlayStation Games 4. PC and it shows they're now available and and coming soon so not that that's like a huge deal or anything like that to have this section on their website but uh, it's clear that again over and over this is uh, Sony's very very passionate about this and as you said Colin this is going to sell 
so many copies from people like us that have already played it that want to buy it and play it again to play on PC. And then I think the key thing, because I was reading a Reddit thread about this, and what I was seeing was a common statement in these comments where people that are just never console people. They said they had consoles growing up. They never want to own one ever again. And I'm. it seems like there's quite a few of those people out there that are just exclusively PC gamers. And I, I get it. Like, I understand the appeal of that platform. Obviously, I, I'm into that platform very much. But it's interesting that... Uh, to tap into that market and like really go all out seems um, obviously very advantageous. And as long as they're doing it correctly with uh, good ports, then I think that there's a huge opportunity there. With Spider-Man coming to PC and more games incoming, we know again, day and date games are going to be coming with the games as a service. You can bet on that. Steal yourselves if you're going to cry the being the PlayStation meme, you know, crying meme man. Wojak, Wojak. one of my favorite memes. I love him. He's, he's a he's a good icon for us on our discord, but I actually am going to skip ahead as I sometimes do to the listener inquiries. I don't know why oh. I didn't connect these earlier. Of course, we end every show with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas. I'm going to grab one now because it makes more sense. Rion Williams wrote into us and said, hey, CDC, do you think there is a possibility that Sony adds trophy support to their games on PC? Microsoft has had this feature for achievements for quite some time. And at this point, many publishers allow for cross progression by linking accounts to PC. Would love to see this feature added as the Steam Deck is probably the closest thing we'll get to a new portable PlayStation console. And with releases like Spider-Man Remastered seeming to run well on it, I'd love to go back and pop those trophies again. I don't know that I'd ever really want to go back to these AAA games because I'm going to be able to go back to many of them on PS5. For instance, we haven't gotten a Horizon PS5 port. We haven't gotten some others that will be brought forward inevitably. I also have never played some of the ports that already exist. Spider-Man on PS5. I just ignored that. Some people auto pop those trophies. I was like, I'm just going to leave that for later. Play that again in the future when I feel up to it. But I have to say that is tantalizing. It's just that. Everything is already going to be available on PlayStation. So while that's cool and while it's cool that Xbox does that as well, and I don't really know the full behind the scenes on that. I just don't know that it's a game changer because it's as you said, Dustin, it seems like people don't really. You're getting people that are never going to come over now to begin with. Maybe you can capture some of them. I don't know, but they already have Steam achievements. Right. So how does it work? Does anyone know how word the Xbox stuff works? On? Well, you can go I, on Steam and then get the achievements. Well, so basically it just kind of whatever trigger, it, it basically saves your, your trigger states. So basically there are lists of achievements on Steam and on Xbox that if you unlock them on one, you will unlock them on the other once you sync up. Gotcha. So like, uh, I remember... Because when Master Chief Collection came to PC, finally, I remember a bunch of my trophies on Steam just or a bunch of achievements on Steam just popped in the same day because it was catching up to all of the stuff that I had gotten in the several years prior. And I think there's a way to maybe tailor that specifically. So maybe it doesn't and you can go in fresh. I'm not super sure because I, I just don't care enough. But that's how that's how it's been working for at least at least four years now, at, at least, I think, on, on PC for Xbox. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I would like that. I don't know that Sony would do that. Maybe maybe one day it would be nice. It is a nice feature, but I think yeah. it would require them to be able to integrate some kind of PSN login when you play these Sony related games. And yeah, I, I just don't think that that is something I'm not saying they're incapable of doing that. But at the same time, I just feel like that is 
uh, something on a technical level that they would not they wouldn't be able to easily do and i don't know if they would see the the value in it to be able to do that especially because they're so <laughs> hypersensitive about making sure the network never gets hacked again or anything like that they're probably just like you know what yeah. we don't need to tie our pc games to our our playstation network we're probably just better off not doing that <laughs> i love i love <laughs> i love your faith in sony software engineers is just so abysmally low yeah well i mean they haven't done anything to really earn my <laughs> i know i mean I shouldn't I shouldn't be so I mean the PS5 is a fantastic console there's many things about it that are fantastic and even unique that it does better than the Series X even though they're very similar consoles like the the SSD and stuff like that is all very very cool but when it I, I guess it's specifically when it comes to network infrastructure that right they're only like a few steps ahead of Nintendo <laughs> I mean, that, that was that was maybe too mean they're they're ahead of Nintendo but it doesn't always feel like it all right. More news. I'm a lot of smaller news items that we have to get through this week before we get mm -hmm. into what we're playing, but important to touch on nonetheless. Push Square's reporting via analysts, industry analysts uh, that dive deeper into the PlayStation financials that PS4 sales are probably now going to be frozen. So Sony has stopped reporting as of the last fiscal quarter new PS4 sales. Now, we know that PlayStation 4 new console sales have slowed to a trickle like, you know, they're selling like a couple of million a year or something. So they've stopped counting them. And now this happens with all the hardware eventually. Often they start even combining them. People might remember that they just immediately started combining Vita and PSP sales to inflate handheld sales in their financials. So the number frozen, at least right now, I don't we don't know if they'll revisit it. They might revisit it and crystallize it once they announce that they're discontinuing the console, which they haven't done yet. But uh, one hundred seventeen point two million units sold. So the second best selling home console ever. Very unexpected when it launched in 2013, that it would be this big and it won't pass the PlayStation 2. It is going to get passed by the Nintendo Switch imminently. So prepare yourself for that. And of course, if you combine or put in other handhelds and stuff as well, then then it has even better and stauncher competition. So PS4, we miss you. I love you, PS4. You were such a great console. All right. Jeff Keighley announced Gamescom opening show. So we know that the Opening night live stream is on August 23rd, which is a Tuesday. Two hours, he says. Thousands of fans in the audience, which is going to be like a small fraction of the people that are going to be there. Have fun with that. And 30 plus games will be on stage. And there seems to be a reasonable tease that there might be something here. And I wouldn't necessarily be surprised. Like everyone's real quiet. Mm -hmm. And so there might be something here. It's hard to say, though. And I also... It's hard to even predict. It's like, well, what do you predict is going to be a Gamescom? I have no fucking idea what's going to yeah. be a Gamescom. I guess I have to look at the publishers that are participating and go from there. But even if they're not participating on the show floor or behind closed doors, doesn't mean they're not going to be at Jeff Keighley's thing. I mean, if if Sony was like, we want to do something, Jeff's going to be like, well, you're not a Gamescom. Can't can't show a game off. So it could literally be anything. Chris, you have any expectations for August 23rd? I don't know, man. It's like you said, it's it's very difficult to predict these types of things. I think we're just in a weird spot, I think, because of all these covid delays and all of these, um, you know, all of these unprecedented kind of disruptive historical events where it's like I feel like there's a lot of stuff that we heard about years ago that still hasn't surfaced or there's stuff that we expected to be out by now that has been delayed. So, like, I feel like everything I feel like there's so much that could be there. But so much of it is stuff that, like, we're already kind of aware of anyway. So for me, I'm more curious about what is here that we might not have heard of. You know, what, like, what is 
like a world premiere type meme thing that's going to be there that like we haven't actually heard anything about or had leaked i mean obviously the nvidia leak also was like a huge kind of thing where it's like Hmm. now like for the next seven years it feels like we'll we'll just oh yeah oh okay so they finally uh they finally talked about that one yeah we're just checking boxes over there at this point waiting for things to come out i'm sure a few of those games won't come out but everything is obviously real at the time of yeah the leak which is cool but yeah i i don't know i I, i'm the thing about and, and Dustin, I'll throw it over to you, is that in my time in games media, my many years in games media, we always used to do predictions and they're fun. We do predictions episodes sometimes on this very show, but it's become harder to do that in this environment because everyone's kind of acting out of pocket. Everyone's way quieter than usual. Games are way more expensive. So I think people are less flippant to show them off in, in dangerous ways. And when I think back at those shows, we would actually get a lot of things right because you could almost kind of predict the rhythm. And yeah. now it's totally unpredictable. I have no idea like who thought. And this is what I'm afraid of is when they did. Remember when they did the VGAs in December? What was all over that show? Level infinite. Who do I think is going to maybe come back into the fold with Jeff Keeley mm-hmm. is level infinite, which is 10 cents, you know, whitewashing of their name. So what do you think? Do you have any predictions for Gamescom? Any desires? Maybe a focus on European studios could be expected, but. I don't know. It's it's hard to say these days. I think that the main problem with these shows, or at least from from my perspective, is that so much of it is updates on games and they're often games. It's like I I like I can see it now. Jeff, you know, he's a he's a cool guy. Like, I think he does overall a pretty good job, but I can see him being like, and here's a brand new look at Gotham Knights. And everyone goes, like, we've seen Gotham Knights so many times. We don't need to see it again right now. Or it's like, here's another look at Skull and Bones. And it's like, we know this game's bad. Please don't show it to us. again. Like stuff like that is like always just more and more updates, updates, more trailers for games. So I don't know. I, I get that that some of that is expected in the marketing cycle but i feel like especially in our our post-covid live stream era the amount of updates is just getting it's it's too much i think about death loop in particular where that game it was like getting so tiresome hearing about that game over and over and over again so i hope I that, think that's why i didn't like it if, to be honest with you i was just like i am so sick of this game yeah of seeing it. I, and especially because i dodge everything but when i'm engaging with shows and just seeing it during showcases you're totally right right about death loop. I, I think well, the, there's okay there's also i didn't mean to cut you off but like i i, I got me thinking there's a, this also has a lot to do with the fact that there are so many of these types of shows now right there are so many of these and it's like okay before we had e3 and gamescom and that was really it like maybe you'd hear something like from comic-con like a rogue thing like a very light piece of news but i feel like a lot of the stuff that we see at these shows now are a lot of those light pieces of like comic-con news where like oh for some Mm. reason for some reason this thq is at comic-con and they're showing like this thing and it's it's because there's so many just updates on existing things and also just like hey here's a full like four minute trailer for the next season of Fortnite, or like here's Mm -hmm. a here's a new character coming to you know Coming to um, Nickelodeon All Stars, it's Hugh Neutron, and it's like that takes up three minutes of like a of a show because they need to fill these shows up with stuff. Where it's like I feel like back when we had E3 Gamescom and that was it, 
they were a lot more judicious about the stuff that they showed, or they were a lot more, um, they were a lot more careful about what they showed. Even if it was something that like nobody cared about, even if it was something like, I don't know, connectimals, at least that was weird. You know what I mean? At least that was like new. We hadn't seen it before. It was like bizarre, but now it's like, Oh, did you hear that? Um, <laughs> did you hear that Papuli from full house is coming to this character action fighter? And it's like, why is this here? Like, why am I wasting my time with season eight of this live service game that's been around forever? Because they like, paid money to like be in the show. That's the thing. I know. That's I how know. the that's shows what, exist. That's, 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 that's exactly like, yeah. what I was going to ask was the E3 shows justified themselves through marketing deals and, and finances that went into the production of the show itself. But now it seems like this is more of like a Super Bowl type production. And right. so that means that you have to kind of question the inclusion of anything. And right. That's there was more of it. So I agree with you that there was more of a strategy back then and it does suck now. And I agree. A lot of it is just useless. And and I would like to know and have more clarity from Jeff about who's paying for what. I'm not asking him to talk about money, but specifically, but it would be interesting for him to say, well, advertisers like this are really paying for the show, but we get this or we don't get this from game developers and publishers because it's, you know, he is the man of the people and I get all that. And I like Jeff, but sure. Yeah, it, the shows aren't very strong. And so I, I do want to know more about that. Like, does he know he's not dumb? He does play games. He does understand yeah. them. Right. So I I, yeah. I do feel like we're maybe like a year or we're maybe like three years away from seeing junk, jumping nuggets turbo. Uh, <laughs> one of the, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like, totally. it just it feels that way. And it didn't used to feel that way when we had fewer of these showcases and fewer um, people aiming and, and really really trying to fill out space right i mean i know live service games like need updates and stuff but like i mean or, or you know the, I, I know there's new stuff coming all the time but like does it really need to take up a show that i'm i could play the game that you're showing me right now on my phone dude so here's one update that we do need from a game and uh so basically what i was thinking is that if Hogwarts Legacy is not at this show, it will be delayed. What do you think of that hot take? It's about time. Yeah, they are dead silent. One. This is the last chance to really to show the release date of this game. Colin, you had heard that it was going to be delayed. And so yeah, someone that someone that was reliable told me that they had expected earlier in the year. We reported this, that they had expected that the game will not come out this year. And I feel like that's kind of proving out. Even if it comes out this year, it's clear that they are not confident. In, mm -hmm. in getting the release date out, you definitely have wanted to have dated this already. So I feel pretty good about that, about that prediction, even if it doesn't come true, because it's clearly has played itself out. And I always keep track of that with the p different people that tell me these things. So I know to trust them or not in the future. It's clear that they're uncertain. I think that they really want to get it out this year because there is a wide open window. And if they hold this game, they are entering into just a complete disaster beginning actually in December. And I would I, if I were them. I'd want to get this game out in October and right. or maybe first week of November. You want to predate your Black Friday shopping. You want to make sure kids can get this on their Christmas lists. You want to make sure it's got plenty of time to be advertised on Disney and all the different places that maybe not. on. Well, actually, they'll buy advertising anywhere. So I'm sure Disney will take their money, um, even though they're competitors with WB and all the rest. So you want to make sure that this game is getting its due. And I wonder what will come of it. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think it looks fucking dope. I really do. I, mm -hmm. I it makes me like I've said many times want to get into Harry Potter. I think that's going to be my my way in. 
I'm not going to get any of the references. I'll get them in hindsight, I guess. But I think it looks fucking awesome. And of course, we had Troy Levitt from Avalanche Software on the talk about the game. I don't know, last year. And he was he had nothing but great things to say about it. But I don't know. I think you're right, though, Dustin. Your timing is right. They When else are they going to say if the game comes out in October or November? Can you say that in September? I guess. You know, Sony held their cards close to their chest with like the Last of well, Us remake, but but it's a different. You know? I have a I have a question about this game yeah. that I can't remember exactly. I think I know the answer, but I'm just to clarify, this game is is coming to previous gen, right? Yes, I think it is. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll look. For, I'll look well, for sure. that's that sounds like it probably won't. <laughs> that sounds. Yeah, to, it's, it sounds to me like and a switch actually. Yeah, oh and God, sticky switch, switch getting Unreal Hogwarts Engine. Legacy. Yeah, so but, it's probably Unreal Four Point X, and I get the sense that that's probably. Not helping. I would imagine that having to put things out on the X. Can you imagine putting a game, dude? It's twenty twenty two. Imagine releasing a game for the Xbox One and base PS four. Like fuck. Well, it's so funny. It's funny you say that because I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit here on our list. But we also know that Midnight Suns is delayed. That did have a release date this fall, mm-hmm. and it won't be coming out until early next year. And there is actually coming to PS five first, and then PS four later. And Badly Brave wrote in about this and said, hey, little slitters, does the indefinite delay of Marvel's Midnight Sun last gen versions indicate that they're holding back the game from being released on current consoles? Or is it just a push to get something out before the fiscal year ends and worry about the previous gen after? Perhaps I'm reading into it too much, but I can't help but feel like there has to be a link here. Thanks for the content and enjoy your weekend. Yeah, I think they're going to see. I think that we're going to see more of this now. It sucks that Sony didn't realize this with God of War Ragnarok you know, which was really should have been a next gen only game. And I think if they realized when it was coming out that, you know, it was never intended to come out now. It was always intended earlier than this. Then I think they would have just said we're not doing the PS4 version because the PS4 version. We know if a lot of these games are not selling very well, where we can kind of pull out information uh, places like the UK, Japan, etc. We see that a lot of this stuff doesn't necessarily sell. So, yeah, Midnight Sun delayed out makes Hogwarts Legacy's window even better. Not that those games would necessarily compete with each other, but outside of Call of Duty and a couple of other things, there's really nothing going on. And uh, yeah, in the third party, especially. So, yeah, there is that Midnight Suns delayed. Anyway, what are we doing? We have anything to say about either of these? Um, Any more to say? No. Uh, yeah, I just um the, the silence behind that game is just weird to me at this point. And so Keely, show us show us the goods. Show us the goods and not the Fortnite update, please. Yes, yeah. that would be nice. That would be nice. Let me right here in my notes to make sure that I, uh, yeah, already talked about that. Okay. Now, going back in time on our document, Matthew Miller wrote in, said, in light of today's Forspoken trailer, he wrote <laughs> in when the trailer was uh, released, the newest one. Talk about how Chris was a trendsetter memeing on this game. You absolutely were. I mean, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> so we, we often give ourselves and get the plaudits for talking about things that end up becoming the mainstream conversation in PlayStation and video games. And that's awesome. And we're proud of that. But Chris's uncanny ability to do a few things on the show, including predicting games and their launches, and then uh, also being way ahead of the curve and memeing this game. It's funny. It's it's kind of anno- it annoys me a little bit because I don't feel like you're getting credit. That, oh, that, that, you know, by, by <laughs> you know, like you're not. I read Kotaku's article today and others. You're not getting included in these roundups for some oh, of these yeah. websites. So uh, the new Forspoken trailer is horrible and it's getting <laughs> memed. What's so sad about this game, I want to say this up front, is it looks so good. Like, it looks really fun. Yeah. But on what, mute. 
we I don't know what what is going on I feel here. Like- and, and it couldn't be any clearer that the big writers that were being, you know, being used like Gary Widow and Amy Hennig. Yeah, fucking right. Gary Widow wrote that. I don't think so. Yeah. So go on. No, I, f- I feel like uh, I feel like it looks really fun to play. I just I feel like I'm going to have to play that game in Japanese or something or like a different language that I don't speak in order to really you know what I mean? Like, it just feels like just some it feels like a game that could easily be ruined by just the soundscape alone because the writing is just bad it's just at the very least the trailers for it have been really abysmal and i did see a lot of people it's funny because i tweeted out i did like a little i did a, a re-edit of, of a god of war trailer and even Corey barlog retweeted it which i thought was really funny but <laughs> I, uh, I didn't see that that's awesome yeah, and it got, like i ratioed the the Forspoken thing but it wasn't like oh this game sucks or whatever it's just like this is a bad trailer this is bad i don't know if the dialogue is better in context but it seems like there's no context that could make this not tiresome this is the same kind of marvel like oh, did that just happen like type of dialogue that, that everybody's just kind of sick of and it, it granted it only recently started becoming a, a bit of a meme uh and i saw a lot of comments under my video being like, where was everybody making fun of this when the first trailers had the same cringe dialogue? And I was just like, ah, that was me. Yeah, I did this the moment I saw it, I think, like literally within the hour. But uh, I don't care about the, the credit thing because it's I think the one that I posted is literally the, the biggest one still uh, that I've seen anyway. So whatever i'm just glad people are having a good time with it and i i I honestly i bet the forespoken people are kind of happy about it too i bet the writers aren't happy but like it's a lot of attention like you have to just kind of accept the fact that like oh man this is the attention that we're getting and maybe that's not a bad thing you know maybe there's a way to twist that to your benefit or, or you know the fact that people are aware of your game in the first place is a that's not easy to do now uh when there's so much competition so i feel like I feel like they should be grateful for the fact that there's a there's an amusing element to this game that otherwise wouldn't have been there. Like if this game was just if it was if they played this game completely straight and it had probably good dialogue, it probably wouldn't have stuck out as much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I hear you, especially because I'm I'm a little skeptical of the game just because even though I think it looks really fun because Luminous, I didn't like Final Fantasy 15. Like I just I tried. I really did. I just. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Maybe I'll get it one day. That happens. But well, Dustin, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think that there was a really interesting conversation in our discord going on about like, well, a lot of games have bad dialogue. What makes this game any different? And the point that I made that I've been thinking about it since I said it, and I feel like it is true, is that sure, a lot of games do have what we would consider bad dialogue, but there is a fine line between something that is campy and something that is cringe. And this is something that is not walking <laughs> that line at all. It is firmly in the the cringe category. It, the, in fact, the biggest analog to this, or what it reminds me of, is the famous uh, line from Rise of Skywalker, where they're like, they fly now? You know, like, that, yeah, that is, joke. Yeah, yeah. I was telling it's Holly the other night, the same people. I was like, that line, that moment, that movie, is going to be with me for the rest of my life. I will never be able to forget that moment. And probably a few times a year, I'm going to think about it and deeply sigh within me like, ah, how could they do that to my boy Poe? They just, <laughs> they <laughs> it's so bad. But anyway, so this is just like, it feels like that, like amped up any line, like 
maybe not every line, but most of the lines of dialogue we've heard from this game are just that. Did you yeah. see that uh, because of this trailer, Joss Whedon was trending on Twitter? Yeah. Even though it has nothing <laughs> to do with the game. Like, people were just, like, comparing it's, like, this, like... It's weird because just, I don't know, like, to, let's say, like, 2008, 2009, in the early Marvel era, this type of writing is what people kind of were gravitating towards, is this, like... Uh, snarky, like making a joke about the situation, like a grounded joke about the situation you're in being fantastical. That's the joke. But at, right, like, right. at this point, I don't know if it's just because Marvel has moved on and become so fantastical that it's like, that's no longer funny or an interesting way to write characters at all anymore. Well, it's just over. It's it's overdone. It's yeah. the same thing with it's. It reminds me of when um, in the late twenty in the late two thousands, when there were so many games that were just colorless and gray because they were trying to really showcase how realistic things could look, you know. And it's just like, oh, this is kind of bland. You know, this is like really like really it's just gray. Like Gears of War, even Grand Theft Auto Four. For as much as I like that game, it's like a very gray game and. It, it was all over the place and then you started getting splashes of color in like the early 2010s with like sunset overdrive and things like that and it's like oh finally we're getting color and now Fortnite and and like all of these other like like multiverses it's just color 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 to the point where i go back and i play a game like gears of war 2 or grand theft auto 4 and it's refreshing now and it's all about the context of like where you're experiencing something and and what surrounds it that's like it's not that this writing is inherently bad it's that it's a flavor of formulaic that we're mm. all just really tired of it's this like it's the superhero getting knocked down and he goes like oh that could have that could have gone better he's, you know it's like he's right okay, behind cool. me isn't he that was the other he's right, joke yeah, he, he's right behind me isn't it? there's so many there's so many of these like, you could write an entire marvel movie i'm sure if you just fed that personality to like a an ai like, like yeah like an ai out. yeah and <laughs> it's that's what this game is this game is i just move that with my freaking mind <laughs> Yeah, it's, oh yeah, it's, I'm talking to my cuff. Uh, magic. Like, like, that's something I do now. Yeah, like the magic part. I, I'll probably fly next. It's like shut up. Yeah, oh like I can't, can you imagine the writers of that of that dialogue? Um, uh, yeah, I think we I think we know. And, 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 the, and the thing, and you know what's 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 really fascinating? What's really fascinating about this is because it's like this is it misses the point of why this dialogue works for certain people. Like I think this dialogue. Or dialogue like it works a lot for characters like Spider-Man who are supposed to be snarky. But part of Spider-Man's charm with the fact that he's always cracking jokes is the fact that he is annoying. Like he's not actually like in universe. He's not funny. No one's laughing at anything Spider-Man says or does. He's a nuisance and he's like overconfident and he's like being snarky just because he has the power to bully all these other supervillains. But it's not funny. He's not a comedian. But then you have like this random character in this fantasy game, like doing the same thing. And it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't work because you think you're cool. You know what I mean? It's like the opposite. It's very confusing. I, I don't know why they thought that was going to be a good trailer though. I think that they, they're committed. Crazy. To, they have to be committed to this now. I mean, they're, they're well, in it's, it is what it is. This God of War video I made does 200,000 views. I did not anticipate that's, this. That's awesome. Good for you. That's my, so stupid. <laughs> my only theory was, I think Nintendo does this. They do things that I'm positive they know are memeable, right? But yeah, I was yeah. thinking, I was like, even though like this feels, this feels like they're just 
pitch in a you know a low ball right to anybody just to like crack that right into like any kind of like hilarious meme like it just feels perfect for that but at the same time i'm like you wouldn't necessarily want to do that with something that makes you look so stupid you know what i mean like well i I think it's different divisions i i bet i would bet the creative team feels really shitty about this sure you know what i mean like i I bet i I bet the people who are in charge of like narrative and and character and story and writing i bet they feel really fucking embarrassed about this thing but i bet the marketing department is like dude we've got a meme about our game now dude that's priceless and that's priceless yeah i'm going to remember that line like that line that did i just move that with my freaking mind i'm going to remember that for probably the rest of my life i'm probably gonna be senile at the ripe old age of 48 and just like sitting (laughs) in my sitting in my hospital room (laughs) decrepit and i'm just gonna be saying that over and over again and my my kids are gonna be like what the fuck is he what is he saying what is this nonsense (laughs) well i'm i'm looking forward to playing it because i want to see me too I want to see what it's all about. It comes out January 24th on PlayStation 5. And it's not a great time because Dead Space comes out around then. And Resident Evil 4 comes out a little after that. And we're getting right into the the meat of things starting to actually launch that I care about anyway. But I'd like to think that I will give it a try. We'll see. I mean, we'll see yeah. what happens when the time comes. But I want to keep an open mind about it. Yeah. I feel like it'll come off pretty cartoonish, but it could be fun to play and that's totally fine. I, I don't I don't know. I just don't know enough about what to expect from this game, but I am a little skeptical of, of Luminous for sure. Gameplay is is king in my opinion. I think it looks fun I'm, and I'm looking forward to playing it. But well, I definitely think that that's why I they probably like, oh, man, like if only we could do this again. Like you at some point you have to commit and it's not just the VO and the writing and you have to commit to the to the animation and everything the modeling and everything it's it's over you can't just go back and it's not like old games like i could imagine with fallout 3 it keeps coming up for some reason i love that game but i I imagine you could rewrite that game up to the last few months if you wanted to because no one everyone's just like the camera zooms in all awkwardly and you could just do whatever you want yeah we need someone to get into the vo booth and we need to change this line whatever it's different now cut cut to uh the luminous uh writer's room and they're looking at twitter this morning and some guy's like well well that happened Listen, a lot of pink hair in that room, and we all know it. <laughs> all right? Maybe. We all know it. All right, let's see. What else here? Oh, IGN has an exclusive I want to talk about. So yeah, that's Nextlander. That's how you do it when, you, when, a, when there's a source for, for a story. IGN's exclusive is uh, HBO's The Last of Us casts Henry and Sam... But there are some major differences. So just want to point out, I don't presume to know these actors, but and I don't want to talk too much about who the even who they even are in the game, because I, I, I do want to be cognizant that some people for some reason have not played The Last of Us from 2013. But Sam and Henry are pretty important characters in the journey. And now they're cast by these two guys. So it's, it's Lamar Johnson as Henry and Kayvon Woodard as Sam. And the more interesting thing to me actually here is that Actor and actress Graham Greene and Elaine Miles will star as Marlon and Florence, two new characters being added to the series for the first time. Interesting. I don't know how I feel about that. People had pointed out to me that Ashley and Troy are playing new characters as well, which I didn't know. I knew they were playing someone, but I didn't know that they were going to play new characters. So that's interesting. I don't know how I necessarily feel about that because you're thinking maybe 10 hours, 10 hour HBO series, I would assume the game is longer than that, but it actually isn't when you think about it because you need to just 
kind of time everything and there's a lot of gameplay and a lot of wasted time exploration that you need to so i understand their need to fill it in with some other characters but it makes it you know i'm disappointed in this i don't know if you guys have anything to add but as a last of us fan it makes it sound a little less haunting when you're talking about all the new characters you're adding because part of the game is its road like feel it's cormac mccarthy like we don't see very many people it really is fucked out here it's 20 years after everything fell apart so you meet too many people they have to and change. you lose that vibe. They got to change the sh- show name to the the many of us instead the of us. Right. You know, if you had too right. many characters, so that's good. That's good. No, I I, I think Colin that overall there's definitely uh, you run a risk with changing too much stuff. But I, I was trying to figure that out, like with based on how many episodes it is and the runtime versus the runtime of the game. I'm like, how do you how much do you add and take away or whatever? Because you almost could just do a straight retelling of the game exactly with that runtime but i don't know i think the fact that neil is so involved it makes me feel less worried about that yeah, like I agree. I agree. it wouldn't if there are new characters that they would only add to the vision and not corrupt it but who knows i mean this is a totally different um thing for the last of us so it could be horrible Guys, my my body is ready for September 2nd. I, mm. I got to just be honest with you. It is ready. You know, I'm spread eagle waiting for this game right now <laughs> to enter me. I'll be all I can't wait. Last of Us Part One. Probably going to be game of the year contender, I would assume. I don't know if it's going to count, though. Mm-hmm. And I think that it runs the risk of of actually being what meeting what some people's poor expectations are. I'm a little nervous about that. I don't know if they would do that, though. You know, in other words, I, are they going to release a package that really is nothing new except for like what they're kind of showing with the graphical upgrades? Or is it going to really feel different? Is it going to play different? Is it going to have a little different of a, a little different je ne sais quoi about it? I don't know. I don't uh, know. But I'm, I'm excited very, about it. I'm very skeptical, but are you going to play it? Me? I don't know, man. Like I I'll probably I, I'll, I'll play it. I don't know if I'll finish it because like, I mean, I've played through that story again and if I get deep enough into it and I realize that like, okay, this is, it's a better looking version of what I played before. I I, I don't know if I'm going to put the rest of the time into it to finish because it's just, I don't know. It wasn't even really my favorite game back when it was new. You know, I think it's great. I think it's obviously a, a benchmark of the industry, but I'm so I, I think part of it is also I just think the brand of The Last of Us is just so tainted now. Like I just think so negatively of it, not even necessarily because of it, but because of just the conversations that take place around it, like what it means online and just like the surrounding. It's just got this aura around it that is just so thoroughly unpleasant, which technically might <laughs> I mean that t- technically kind of works for the kind of game it is because <laughs> it is kind of this dire depression but it's it's a different type of it's a different type of negative energy that i'm just like i don't know i got so much other things to play to that i gotta catch up on so i lament that by the way i mean i've, I've lamented that many times on the show i think it sucks i don't want to talk people ask like let's do an episode about this with the last watch or that and i'm like i I really want to do one in, one per every episode of the hbo show but are people gonna bust balls about that now I, like that's kind of what we have to expect but I, I i just don't know it isn't fun to talk about uh, dustin are you gonna play you're probably not gonna play uh i think it depends this is one i'm gonna watch reviews where if it is the substantial upgrade that is worth the 
the full price and not the mid-tier price that they did for Spider-Man, then maybe I will. But I'm going to try to be a smart consumer on this one. And if it doesn't seem like it's worth it, then I'm going to skip it. Well, let's stay with you, Dustin. I want to ask you about this trailer that's making the rounds in some nerdier circles from Mm -hmm. Nexon, South Korean mega developer called The First Descendant. What do you think of this? Oh, the first I had that. I got jumped ahead and I got to that other trailer. I'm trying to remember which one this is. Oh, yeah. Is this the devs that with its Korean? Is it the um, Black Desert devs? I'm trying to remember. Black Desert Online? Yeah, because I know that they are also Korean. But uh, anyway, my thoughts on this trailer. I I watched this and in No, that's Pearl Abyss, by the way. I looked it up. Okay, so it's not the same. I saw this trailer and when it shows the more gameplay stuff, I'm like, man, this actually looks really cool. It has kind of like this, ironically, really like next gen feel, even though I think it's coming out for older consoles as well. But let me tell you, we're talking about AIs spitting stuff out. This just take like Destiny plus other live service games like uh, Warhammer and, you know, whatever uh, Outriders put that all into an AI engine and then it spits out this trailer like it just is a mix of like okay we've got some like armor going on like destiny but it's also like futuristic and i don't know i don't know what to make of this it's it it could be really cool but i don't know there's too many of like the heroic like this is the shot of someone walking of their back and uh i just don't like that either but the gameplay parts are cool there's there's even a shot that's straight up out of Destiny where like she opens her hand and and a ghost comes out. It's like it's literally <laughs> oh, yeah. it's literally just a Destiny ghost. So I, I don't know. This this is a the first oh, half. Oh yeah, or, I just saw it. The, yeah yeah, it's like uh, 17 seconds, 16, 15, 16, and 17 seconds in. I feel like the first the first two thirds of this trailer look AI generated. It looks like everything else. It looks like everything I've ever seen somehow mm-hmm. at the same time. But then like the last bit where it's showing some gameplay still doesn't look all that remarkable, but for something about like, if, if that is indeed what the gameplay looks like and not just like a kind of cinematic view, I kind of dig that camera perspective for whatever reason it's like a, it's like lower to the ground it's like slightly like dutch angled a little bit it looks like it could be fun to play with but my my brain is telling me that that's just for cinematic trailer totally, i was gonna I mean? say the same thing those angles are awesome but that's there's no way the game can play like that because i don't think you really could yeah. control the game like that it's the camera angles are too pitched and weird but it looks beautiful i will agree with you Here, here's my thing about this descendant trailer and why i wanted to bring it up is nexon's pretty high quality this is an unreal 5 game by the way it looks great and mm-hmm. i he but here's the thing we don't need any more of these no matter how good it is you have this uphill battle you're never going to win we just saw sony talk about this last week with call of duty and we discussed it on the show imagine if you feel that way about that game how do you have any hope of competing with in the same genre as something like destiny or whatever else we have. If you want to play, you know, persistent shooters like Apex Legends or whatever Warzone that are free. To me, I don't understand outside of a few platform holders that I really think should try to. If you're Microsoft and you're Sony, you need to have games. And I understand them throwing things at the wall because they're really the only participants that get 100 percent of the money. So they have they should do that. Right. But 
everyone else has to work through others, other intermediaries. And I think that there these big studios time would be better spent exploring different games where the next gold mine could be instead of trying to go to the gold that already has dragons sitting on top of it. The horde is already captured. There's nothing else to extract out of it. Every time I see a game like this, I, oh, I, I just it's like, where do you fit? How? How do you fit here? It's mind boggling that you can see a game like that's not particularly well made and by not a studio that I think is pretty wildly overrated at this point in Platinum. But you see a game like Babylon's Fall. And you look at it and you're like, this game is DOA. Everyone knew it was DOA the minute it was fucking announced. You're all still with eyes wide open, hundreds of millions of dollars in budget marketing budgets in the tens of millions of dollars doing whatever you can to get these this game in front of people you're gonna fail there's no way and so if this is a game this game looks cool and maybe it's one of those games that rises to the top but when i see a new mmo rpg when i see a new persistent shooter when i see a new free-to-play shooter when i see i'm like i don't know what you're doing what about everything else you could be doing and i know it's high risk high reward and i get that but it's I don't know, man. I, I, it just seems to me that I, I don't even know where you're connecting the dots anymore economically. Like one side is just making a game with the other side's money and no, neither side understands what they're supposed to do. D- does that make sense? Uh, if you like Destiny, it doesn't matter how much the, the how good the new Destiny clone is. Yeah, it, it's exactly... It's exactly the reason why I don't understand why so many games that have like identities will often try to just be like, oh, we have to do that now. It's like, no, people like this because it's this. Like, don't try to like so many shooters became Call of Duty in the in the early 2010s. Like so many, like some of the biggest ones like just like ripped it off. I'm just like, this is not why I came here. I came here because I was because it was the way it was not Call of Duty. And now it is, but it's like a worse version of it. Like, I, if I was going to play Call of Duty, I'd rather I'd play Call of Duty. Like, you're not going to convince anybody that you're you're doing it better than the other people. Destiny does Destiny better than you will. Sorry. It's just how it works. I agree. And you know what I also think of, Chris, is just all of the Dark Souls clones that have come out over the years. Some really good ones. People like them. But you know what the world stopped in its tracks for? Elden Ring. It didn't stop in its tracks for any of the other dozens of games yeah. that came from other studios that tried to do what Dark Souls did, yeah. right? It just didn't. They some of them work, some of them don't. Some of them are good, some of them are not. I'm not going to judge them all. Valiant efforts for sure, but right. like, it, but you know, Elden Ring is the one that people care. And the same thing, by the way, with all these Smash clones that we're seeing, like Nickelodeon All Stars and then Multiverses, and I'm sure there's going to be another one where. I know Gus Fring from Breaking Bad fights the fucking Pizza Hut Noid or whatever the fuck. And I'm just like, <laughs> like, whatever. Well, this is just something that we're going to deal with. And but none of these. I don't know if there's ever going to be another Smash Brothers, but you can bet when that happens. That's the thing that people are going to be paying attention to. You know, that is when people are going to shut up and pay attention. It's just I, I could be totally wrong. I don't know. I, I think people understand what I'm saying. I don't think you're wrong. I, I just the. <laughs> We already have it's like what we always say. We already have a George. We you already have a George. It, that's the whole that should be like the economic model. You know how sometimes econ- like laws of economics get weird names and were named. There should be a, a, a an economic law that says we already have a George. The law of we already have a yeah. George. There, and there. the law and the law should be like you don't replicate items that are already market dominant. Right. Unless yeah. you feel like you have a new way in. 
And the more in- see the fucked up thing is that the more entrenched these games become, the less likely it is anyone will be able to break their hold. And oh, for sure. So if you become a Destiny fan, you just so I, I know, you know, people like this, probably they play Destiny. They play Call of Duty. They play Madden. They play FIFA. The, it's it's what Jaffe had been recently talking about. And, and I think we discussed on this show about, you know, there may be only being 250 million actual gamers like we identify them in, the, in existence outside of this outside of all of the noise. And you're going after them. You're not going after us. So it's it's just strange to me and and I wish them the best, but I do feel like there's a major disconnect between the two sides of the economic coin. And as the owner of a owner of a small developer with our games, we try to just from my perspective, we try to enter the market and try to do something a little different or something unique or notable. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes one side of it works and the other doesn't. So, for instance, Twin Breaker is really one of the only brick breaking games on PlayStation Network. And it's critically did OK, but it commercially did quite well. But then a game like Super Perils of Baking, which we thought was like an SNES Genesis style side scroll. You don't really see those anymore. Usually they're like super hard or they have like tons of collectibles and whatever the case might be. We wanted to make something really pure that did really well critically, but less well commercially. So we learn and try to garner different things and we put them out there only to try to find our little slice of the pie. I wonder what these guys I, I wonder what their their state is, their state of play, like what. What's the, the, the case for this? I don't know. No idea. But it looks cool. No doubt it looks pretty. I'm really excited to see these Unreal 5 games. But you yeah. brought up uh, Breaking Bad and comicbook.com wrote that Vince Gilligan, I guess recently on a show inside the Gilliverse, and this was uh, something that they transcribed, so I want to give them credit for that. They apparently taught, he apparently taught, now this guy well, I didn't know this, but he's not really much of a gamer and they explain it here. But he says, and Chris, I really want to know what you think of this because you're a Breaking Bad fan, of course, big fan. And I yeah. become more of a fan the second time I watched it as well a couple of years ago for Knockback. And he said that, you know, they had different ideas for games and he was thinking about something like Grand Theft Auto would make sense for Breaking Bad. And he claims that something like Grand Theft Auto might still make sense for this. And they also talk about how they were making. We knew that they were making a VR experience for Breaking Bad, but we know now from this interview that it was actually for PlayStation VR and it was abandoned at some point. I'm just curious what you think of um, what you think of the approach for Breaking Bad and the, the potential of both a game back then and a game today. Would you want to see that? I don't know if I would want to say like I love Breaking Bad. It's it's probably definitely my favorite drama that's ever been and better call Saul is actually fantastic too i finally finally caught up that's ending next week as of the day that we're as of uh when we're recording this so that's gonna be over uh and it seems like they've pretty much stuck the landing because i, I can't imagine this show's gonna get bad in one episode so it's a pretty crazy feat to have two incredible dramas back to back like that uh especially with like a prequel series that like everybody was like oh this is dumb as far as like video games go, though, I, I don't know if I don't know if those strengths w- would translate well, because like I think I think what makes Breaking Bad special is the the voice of Vince Gilligan and his team and and, the, and those writers and the way that they're able to frame uh, and the way that they're a- the way they're able to frame drama and the way that they're able to kind of time things in the in the natural with in it's it's linear media is what I'm trying to say, I guess. And I don't know if. Breaking Bad would have the same punch if it was in a non-linear kind of make your own pacing setup. Like, I feel like so much of it is orchestrated and intentionally 
presented to the audience in a very specific way. And I feel like any game to come out of it would either be too linear to be interesting or so open that it fails to be what's special about Breaking Bad in the first place. I don't I don't know. I, I wouldn't necessarily be head over heels for this idea, but also in general, I would just rather not have licensed based stuff if we can avoid it, you know? Like, if we're going to have, like, an open-world crime game, I'd rather it just be something completely unique and independent and, and on its own as opposed to being, like, randomly tied to this IP that everybody loves and everybody... It's like that Slippin' Jimmy cartoon. Have you seen that? No. Oh, God. They made this, like, horrific... It has nothing to do with Vince Gilligan, by the way, but, it's like, the studio that, that owns that IP or whatever, they did this cartoon, like, this, this Adult Swim style animated prequel cartoon for better call Saul. And it's Saul Goodman as a kid and it's oh. fucking terrible. Oh, it is like you see it and it looks like a parody. It looks like, Oh, it, it looks like people making fun of how corporations like milk really good uh, media and just turn it into animated sitcoms for no fucking good reason. It looks like that. And I remember seeing an image of it on Twitter and being like, Oh, that's a really funny image. It's a good meme. And then I realized it was real. It was like an AMC Plus cartoon that's very real. And it just reminds me of that, where it's like Breaking Bad is good as a live-action drama. It doesn't need to be a fucking... It doesn't need to be a... It doesn't need to be a, a, a cartoon or a video game. Though I would say it would be awesome to see Vince Gilligan write a video game. Just not Breaking Bad. There's yeah. a uh, there's a Sopranos PS2 game that's supposed to be <laughs> awful, right. and that's what it, this reminded me of. This news story, I was thinking about that. I've almost bought that game before. It's like it's still like fifteen twenty bucks, which <laughs> I'm interested in enough that I kind of want to check it out. But yeah, it, these things I think yeah, are better. There was a, there. Remember the Lost? That Lost had a game too. I want to um, play oh, that. God. That Via one I actually really do want to play. I wrote I uh, wrote the strategy guide for it back in the day, and where I'm actually watching Lost again for Knockback. Yeah. And I haven't seen it in years and it's so funny and I'll save it for that show, but it's so funny watching something that I think is really good. Still the first two seasons of Lost are really good, but that TV is so good now mm-hmm. that it almost feels paltry by comparison. It's like the writing's kind of stiff and weird and the pacing's a little strange and it comes from ABC, which is not known. Like, it's weird seeing that ABC splash screen. I'm like, ABC is fuck, like, when did this? What, how did this happen? And yeah, and JJ Abrams, of course, coming from, you know, this is auspicious beginnings in some way. And it's fun watching it from that perspective. But it's it's awesome how good it's become now that I look back at a show like Lost, which I think is a banger those first two seasons and just being like, this is, you know, hey, it's Lost is good all the way through. Good. Just saying. You think you think so? Yeah, oh, I, yeah, I actually never saw the last season. Really? Okay. Yeah, I read about it, but I never saw it. I am I'm looking forward to listening to those that knockback very much because I'm yeah, very we'll curious. We got, we're on season by season, so we'll get there. All right. Uh, well, we don't need a Breaking Bad game, says Chris, but we do need this new game from Any Creates. I wanted to just point this one out. This is very much a Colin game, but Grim Guardians Demon Purge stars two demon hunting sisters, each with unique abilities. Play it by yourself or in two player co-op coming to PlayStation consoles. And Any Creates, of course, is the Japanese studio responsible for Mega Man 9, Mega Man 10, the Bloodstained games. A lot of really good, true shit to the 2D era. And this game looks dope. It Can't looks really cool. It. 
I, I don't yeah I don't know if you guys have anything to say about it I won't force you to talk about any creates but the, the gameplay just it looks like Castlevania with kind of like a crazier Castlevania with guns and everything. I mean this is my shit dude this is this is my shit but it, what makes it special by the way is that any creates doesn't make a game like this all the time so when they come when they come out once every couple of years snatch that bitch up I'm sorry Dustin go I, was, I think the really unique thing about this trailer is the co-op mode which mm-hmm. it shows that you can play two characters by yourself if you want but i think the co-op is probably the most intriguing aspect of it to me that one person i think one character uses a gun and the other character uses a sword so you have like range uh like close range and then more far away like that seems really cool yeah this is supposed to be connected to gal gun which i which is any create shit that i'm not really <laughs> super um, i didn't familiar know that with. So we'll see. Yeah. Some people are saying that like, I, I don't know it because they don't make any indication in there they, they don't have a um, they don't have much of a, a web presence for this game yet, but it's coming yeah. soon. This I looks guess. cool. Yeah, I'm excited about it. So go check it out. If you guys are interested in any creates Grim Guardians is the game Demon Purge. Dustin, one for you, my friend. I saw this Ooh. and immediately thought about you reported by Video Games Chronicle. Everybody's golf studio. Clap hands. Trademarks potential new golf game. So they trademarked a, an English game name as well as a Japanese game name that translates to the same term. Easy come, easy golf translates to anytime golf. What do you think? I know you've mm. been uh, kind of feeling this stuff recently. Yeah, I absolutely loved everybody's golf for PS4. And so I was disappointed. First of all, that Sony relinquished them and let go. But uh, the the clap hands golf, the the Apple Arcade game was cute and interesting, but not what I'm looking for at all when it comes to like when I play a golf game on my phone, I'm thinking of desert golf. If you ever heard of that game, which is the most basic, like one screen at a time golf game. It's really cool. But to see them potentially enter back in, I guess I, I was looking at this article. It doesn't really indicate where this could come out, which the I mean, the, the worst case scenario, this is another mobile mobile game, which would be uh, devastating. But uh, if this is a new, a spiritual successor to everybody's golf, that would be a dream come true. I would assume that that's where they want to be is console. Sure. I, yeah, I, I, that's where their heritage is. Sony did let go of a lot of things incubated by Japan Studio. I would say that that was one of, if not the biggest persistent product that came out of Japan Studios kind of ex dev initiative there. And at some point they decided to go their separate ways. And that, that happened with a lot of different Japan Studio incubated talent at the same time. So there must have been more to that than meets the eye. But yeah, I'll be interested to see if they come back. I think there is a little bit of a gap for a cartoonish, a more cartoonish golf game. Golf is huge. And we already know that there's going to be new PGA games and all the rest. So we'll keep an eye on that. I thought this was interesting out of Evo. Evo happened recently. Actually, yeah, I don't know if I was I guess we'll talk about Evo later, but Arc System Works studio. We talk about a lot on the show. Japanese fighting game studio, Guilty Gear, Blaze Blue, all that kind of stuff. Dragon Ball Fighters, I think, is that one of their most recent games. But the Guilty Gear Strive actually just sold a million copies. I saw I just read that yesterday, but IGN spoke with Arc System Works lead and they basically said that in so many words, and I'll read the quote in a moment, but in so many words that they want to gain licenses. They want to make fighting games for other people. And 
this is really exciting. He says to IGN, quote, we need to expand fighting game communities through IP in the future. If we have such an opportunity, we are actively pushing to collaborate with new IP owners, end quote. And it says Arc System Works has collaborated with a number of different IP owners in the past. So we talked about Dragon Ball already, but, you know, Persona, of course, they did the Persona fighting game. They did. They're doing Grand Blue or that's already out. The Grand Blue fighting game, I think. And then One Piece. So they've done other things in the past, but this is exciting because they're while we're talking about kind of the the vacancy of the crossover fighter, this is the style of crossover fighter that would be interesting because it's more like Marvel versus Capcom, more mm-hmm. of a real fighting game. And that's what Arc Systems work would make. Would they, and imagine the style of those beautiful hand-drawn style graphics. It would just be yeah. awesome. So I got really excited thinking about it. Chris, what do you think about Arc System Works? What would you like to see them touch? What comes to mind? Well, I just, well, I just think this is kind of awesome and interesting because it's usually the opposite you know what i mean like usually a company that it's we i know we talk about we've talked about platinum in the past about how they're like desperate to work on their own stuff as because they've been working on so many other different ips that don't it's interesting to see a company be like we actually want to work on stuff that doesn't belong to us like that's like just fascinating to me from a as a as a premise but i don't know i i feel like the 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 possibilities for this are kind of endless i feel like you can make a fighting game kind of out of anything if you really even even if something is absurd it just becomes funny you know like i still i will continue to say seinfeld character action fighter because i think that's hilarious <laughs> especially if my arc system works that'd be so <laughs> i that that would be a re- that's a religious day the moment that happens but uh i don't know i i, I feel like this is I just feel like this is a very smart way to expand the interest in fighting games. I think the way they talk about it is really kind of ingenious. The idea that, you know, because fighting games are very competitive. They're very, I don't want to say insular necessarily, but they're very, they're difficult. They're harder to break into than I feel like a lot of other things are. Uh, Just by the nature of how limited player pools can be at any given time you're not really outside of smash brothers you don't really have all that many social fighters and i guess the smash brothers clones also kind of account for that as well but i don't know what i would like to see from them i just think this strategy is really smart and it's a really cool way of thinking that i haven't seen or at least read about well it's interesting just from the sense that as they say they're doing it for more of a genre-wide thing right in other words they have the most to benefit from as the big as the most respected, I would say, fighting studio to grow the genre benefits them. Uh, what what came to mind for me immediately, Dustin, is uh, Marvel. And mm. I, I know that this is usually the where Capcom would be, but I have two ideas. And, and again, some people write in not really understanding that I'm talking sometimes about strategy and other times I'm talking about taste. I think Marvel is really played out. If I was at Disney, I would be like, we should make Marvel video games. So it's two, it's two totally different things. I mean, so talking from a Marvel perspective, I look at it and I, I, I think, well, there's a potential there for a serious, beautiful fighting game that would unify all of the different products that you have into a cogent language, which is what Arc System Works is able to do. But also I've discussed in my in, in um, on previous episodes this this idea I have that I don't think is insurmountable of a Marvel versus DC game and to get everyone to buy in. And we, we, I remember discussing it and saying that it would be so hard to market it because the people would be crazy. Like we can't have Batman punching Spider-Man in the ad. And you know, we, what is this? If you, if you have, you know, if you have Superman doing this, then we have to have, you know, Dr. Doom doing this and all this. I, I, I can imagine it'd be fucking absurd, totally stupid. 
But I like love that idea. I wish that corporations could realize the potential. See, that's something new. And I don't know. So that's where my mind went with the superheroes that 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 would yeah. benefit most. I, of course, I think they're talking about Japanese stuff. So uh, first and foremost, and yeah, and I think that that's what most people want them to work on. But it is exciting to think about what they could do in the West. I have a pitch. So think about how crazy back then Marvel versus Capcom. It's like you have these mostly American IPs with Marvel mixing with Capcom, very Japanese. Arc System Works already very ingrained into Shonen and anime characters. Marvel versus Shonen. Dude, drag it like Goku fighting Iron Man. I could be into this as much as I'm not into Marvel stuff right now. If you did it in the pixel art style like a lot of their games uh, have been, that would be really, really interesting uh, to see that that level of of crossover. I mean, really, that's kind of like the two biggest things right now is Marvel and anime. So like that, I feel like would be instantly. That would be like instant success. (laughs) I mean, the the people I mean, just the thought of seeing like uh, because then also if you if you did it versus Shonen, then you could also include uh, like One Piece in there. You can include a Jojo in there if you wanted to. And so you would appeal to all of those different fans that are probably also Marvel fans at the same time. It doesn't really seem like that much of a stretch that that something like that could exist. So, yeah. Let's well, meet. nothing's that's the thing. It's like nothing's a stretch now. Yeah. There's Superman and Arya Stark fighting Bugs Bunny. And that's real. Right. That's a, that's like a, a real video game. So like, why wouldn't Marvel versus Shonen? It's actually it's a good name too. I also like, think I Tatsunoko like- versus Capcom was like the first example of something that was really weird, where I was like, what? And yeah. it almost sounded made up when that game you came. Know, I think that was a Wii game, right? You, <laughs> you know what my mind just went to? They would never do this because this is like a very different licensing nightmare. But I would love something like. Def Jam Vendetta again or like those like those old musical dude those games fighters. are rare now very expensive I know they're they're super rare and I have I have uh Def Jam Vendetta I don't know where it's in a box somewhere but like that would be fascinating like a musician <laughs> fighting game like we don't get like weird stuff like that and I feel like that game was responsible for a lot of people getting introduced into uh, intro into that style of music into that genre of music and I think that's super I hadn't thought about it in that way until this article where it's like, yeah, yeah, this this rises the tides for people to get into fighting games through IP. And it's like, that's super smart. It's like a very that that strikes me as a very visionary thing to to pursue. I agree. You know, I always listen to my brother Dagan, who people know from Knockback. We brought him up. We bring him up pretty often on the show. He's an, an Emmy Award winning animator. And while we love I love listening to him talk about all sorts of different things, when he talks about animation and art, I perk up and really listen carefully because he knows what he's talking about. And he marvels, pardon the pun, at Marvel versus Capcom to this day. It's like one of his favorite things. He can't believe how the language of the of the game makes it all make sense. And that's a really difficult thing to do, not only within the universes, like just making Capcom make sense and making Marvel make sense are two different things. And then putting them together is insane. And uh, that's why I always thought that Tatsunoko, that was so weird to put in all that effort. Did either of you play that? No, but I know uh, that's the Wii no. one you said, right? Right. I think that's yeah, also the, a rare game now. It's like a kind of expensive. Yeah, I have that actually. And it, yeah, because that was a, that was just one of those weird, couldn't even believe that was ported or I'm sorry, a, um, 
translated and localized. Yeah. But I think the potential is really there. And yes, I think there's there's three different ways you can make a fighting game. You can make the crossover fighter for better or for worse. You can make your own fighting games within these different genres. We're going to talk about one in a little while during the new segment. And then you can make something kind of different and new. I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I don't presume to know enough about the fighting game community to to know what they even want. But I think I don't think anyone knew they wanted Marvel versus Capcom. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess Street Fighter versus X-Men was first, but no one knew that they wanted that shit until you got it. Mm-hmm. And and so we did. And those were good days, man. Marvel vs. Capcom 2 was awesome. I love that game. I'm horrible at it. They're doing oh, a, a uh, arcade one up cabinet of it. They just announced. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, Dagan would probably love that. All right. What, what else do we have here? Oh, I just wanted to point out. So over on the Games Leaks Reddit, People pointed out that Shuhei Yoshida randomly retweeted. I thought this was pretty compelling, which is why I'm bringing it here. He randomly retweeted a 2019 tweet from Dennis Martin, who is a composer in the games industry. And Dennis Martin on December 3rd, 2019 was talking about how 20 years ago I scored the music to Legend of Dragoon for PlayStation. And he just showed some of the music and and a folder of all the the music that he was doing or whatever. And it's just this, this random tweet. And Shuhei Yoshida retweets it. And it's 2022. It's it's three plus years later. Some people are wondering if this means that the very late PS1 JRPG internally developed JRPG that Shuhei Yoshida produced Legend of Dragoon is coming to PS1. And uh, I just wanted to put that out there. You know, it's a PS1 classic to PS4 and PS5, I should say. So a possibility. Also, Shuhei Yoshida recently did a really interesting interview that's making the round. So people should look out for that as well. He talks a lot about Japan Studio in there, apparently, but I, I haven't listened to it yet, so I don't want to speak on it too authoritatively what i do want to speak on however guys is that hollywood reporter reports that a live action pac-man movie is in the works from wayfair and bandai namco and they say a live action film is in development based on the classic arcade character with an endless appetite pac-man the project hails from bandai namco and wayfair studios the production company founded by justin baldani and steve sorowitz um and they talk about you know there's really nothing else to say i guess this is just gonna be a thing that happens i don't know now this isn't the first time that a pac-man movie has been rumored and even announced i think and as we've discussed on the show in the past the movie industry is just kind of like this where they just announce things and like this is happening and then things don't happen and things fall through and they move on what the fuck is this (laughs) chris you have any idea i have no earthly clue what the hell this could possibly be but i also wouldn't know what the marvel movie would be and or not the marvel movie the mario movie would be and that's real so why not honestly why not just have an hour and 30 minutes of just a yellow sphere just eating dots with a i don't know some probably some marvel dialogue thrown in there why not it's it's unimaginable what it could even be I, I, I can't even think what, of it. I can't even conceptualize I, it. I'll, I'll say when they when they gave Pac-Man a face like like a, I'm talking about like a real face, like the way he appears in Smash Brothers, you know, like that version of Pac-Man with like the, the blue eyes and and the nose. When that happened, I checked out. I was like, this is this is disgusting. On like a way that is so on a level that's very primal to me, dude. He's I had a face since the PlayStation One with Pac-Man World. I I know, but Pac-Man as <laughs> a as an inception is not, like I never thought of him as like a man. I don't know why. Hmm. I, 
look at Pac-Man's actual design His as of late, and it's it's just really <laughs> off-putting. There's something just fucked about it. Like I just I don't like. It. I know he's had that design for a very very long time, but Pac-Man is a circle with a with a piece missing. That's it. So the thought of like a full-on movie with this character model. It's just not it's not doing it for me, Chief. It's a gross design. I, I I think it's it's just he's hideous. And there's that show too. Do you remember that that television show, Pac-Man and the Ghostly Adventures? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I want I want you guys to do me a favor and listen to that theme song whenever you have the chance because oh, it is yeah. the most cacophonous it, it is the worst theme song I have ever heard for anything. Pac-Man is not a character. There is not a movie that he belongs in. There's no, actually his right. best movie role was in that Adam said pixels. Right. When he came, when he came down from the sky and started eating, that was it. A little cameo. Yeah. I agree but with that, you that it's one of the examples where the game is the icon, not the character. The game itself is the icon. Yeah. Yeah. There's a Wii U game, Pac-Man and the ghostly adventures. Yeah. Oh, God. Pac-Man is definitely so. on a face way longer than the PS one. Now I think about it. Like I'm looking no, at, he, yeah. Cause, cause there was like, he had like a TV show and all that. He's had a face, but like, he's not a character. So why does he have a face? Hmm. It's just very. I don't know. It should just be a mouth. Hey, Pac-Man's got like a lot a of depth. Sphere mouth. I, hmm. dude, Pac-Man's awesome. This Pac-Man's obviously better. But Pac- yeah, I agree it, with oh, you. Yeah, it's, it is. it's fucked. I agree with you. It's the perfect word for it. What Look, is this? Here's the thing. Pac-Man I, and the Ghostly Adventures two on Wii U. Is that true? Oh God. Jesus Christ. Pokemon yeah, go- Pac-Man <sighs> party on the Wii. I don't remember this. Dude, they're re-releasing uh, Pac-Man World pretty soon. Pac-Man World Repack is coming out. I think that's coming to PS4 also. Repack. Oh, list, of, list of Pac-Man games. <laughs> Pac-Man is such a weird character because I... I as far as characters that... I, I think Miss Pac-Man is probably like one of my favorite like video games. Like... like bar nut because the way it just feels to especially on an arcade cabinet where you're like really like shifting the shifting your weight on the stick it's just like a really good it's a really good feeling game to play but as a character i think i loathe pac-man i think i hate him as a man oh man i feel the opposite i love you how, like i like how weird he is it's just like what i love that like what is he yeah, he I don't know what, who he is. I can't the, judge the, him. Like, if you were to cut him, would there be like flesh inside? Is it just like yellow bubblegum? But that's what you I know? don't like. That's what I don't like. Uh, I like when I look at a person. I like knowing that they have a skeleton. Does he have you blood? Know? Does Pac-Man I bleed? Like, <laughs> I can't. Does Pac-Man bleed? I always thought of Pac-Man like if they were ever to personify Pac-Man, I almost thought of him more like a Tasmanian devil or like a, like a like a Pluto type character, where it's mm. like he's more of like a he's more of like an instinctual like animal. Like more than like a a person with like a social security number and a fucking contact lens. Like it's just it's just there's something really just deeply mm. off putting about it to me. And I just I don't know. I've never been able to get over it. I, feel like I know he has a wife and all that too. Shut up. He has a wife. He's got a kid. You know. He's got yeah. But so do, I mean. See where does he sit know, on the political can, spectrum? You know. Dogs they, reproduce. Yeah. Animals reproduce. You know. You guys are really going off on this. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to note Pac-Man and the Ghostly Adventures also came to PS3. I did not remember that at all. Both of them. Oh, well, God bless. Shout out to the what I was what I thought was the most recent awesome Pac-Man game, which was Pac-Man Championship Edition. That oh, game hell was dope. Yeah. Yeah. So that game was really, let me get really this good. straight. I'm in a maze. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> 
ghosts are chasing me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Let's move on. I really, really want to see what the film will be. Yeah. All right. I don't know. Did we talk about Diablo 4's leaks last week? I don't remember if we did or not. I don't think so. No. So I just thought this was funny. So Diablo 4 is leaking because it's in a closed beta. Mm-hmm. But what I find funny about these videos is that they're fucking totally labeled, though they're labeled more with with tell with tell, tell signs of who the person is than any build I've ever seen in my life. Because uh, a lot of builds, when you get them early, have some sort of imprint on them so that you can trace back if anyone leaks videos or screenshots of it. But it's yeah. so funny, like the per- it's just so obvious who these people are based on these URLs that are like splashed across it. But. I'm curious if you have anything to say about this. I, that to me, I don't give a shit about Diablo 4 personally, but that to me was funny. Was, there's one guy tweet. There was one guy that was doing it and literally saying, I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this as he's streaming the game <laughs> with like the, the water stamps all over the watermarks all over the video. Does this look interesting to you guys? Uh, I didn't. So I haven't. I've kind of avoided seeing any leaks or anything like that, but it is always shocking to me that I mean, you know that Blizzard knew if they're doing this level of closed beta where they are inviting people outside of the industry space to check this out, that it would leak. Like, obviously. But at the same time, it's like, come on, guys. You see the watermarks? Like, your your Blizzard account, which who knows, like, how much stuff you could have on there, like a World of Warcraft account or a Call of Duty account, like, totally at risk. Completely. Uh, but, I don't know, some people don't seem to read the, uh, the agreement <laughs> to, to these types of things. I love the idea of somebody being like, I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this. Yeah, it's, dude, that video is so funny. <laughs> That's classic shit. It was it was so good. And just a couple more things. Sonic 3, the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, the third one, December 20th, 2024. That's been dated, if anyone cares. And finally, sad news for me, WayForward announced that River City Girls 2, which I'm really, really looking forward to, will come out later this year. It was supposed to come out by the end of this summer. River City Girls was my one of my favorite games of 2019. I thought that game was fucking awesome. Cannot wait. Love the the role reversal and the gender reversal about how they're saving their boyfriends like their defenseless boyfriends. It was so cute and so fun. So definitely check that out when the time comes. We'll have more to say about that, but I wanted to note all of that as well. All right, let's get into what we're playing. And uh, Dustin, we'll start with you. Ryan Harvey wrote in. Said, hey, CDC, are any of you guys interested in the Diofield Chronicles demo that just went up? I don't know that's that it's as exciting as Tactics Ogre to any of you, but I really enjoyed the demo going in, not expecting much. Square has been quite good about providing demos. I see here that you've played it, Dustin. Mm-hmm. What did you think of it? I have not finished the demo because it's surprisingly very long. I read online it's up to four hours, uh, three to four hours, wow. depending on how long you play. And then your progress can carry over to the main game. I think I'm done at about an hour and a half in and it's not because this game is bad. Actually, when I was playing the actual combat parts of the game, I think that the combat is very solid. It's a real time strategy game, so it's not turn based. Everything is happening actively. You can pause to do special abilities and stuff like that. And you are commanding around, I think, at least four characters up to what I played. You command these four characters and stuff like that. And I was really enjoying these battles just because you have your different classes, like a character that fights up close, one that's on a horse that's kind of can do navigate around enemies and stuff like that. You have like a sniper character, a mage character that can heal people. So there's a lot of interesting dynamics to this type of combat. And it all felt very good to play on a controller, which is what when I saw this game, I thought 
might not be so hot. The problem I have with this game is that when you have a JRPG, or let's just say like a Japanese anime style game like this, I'm really banking on at least a compelling story in some way or another. And let me tell you, in the hour and a half I played this game, I I do not give a single fuck about what is going on or any of these characters. In fact, I think that the characters I've met so far are some of the most boring and flat characters I've ever seen in a type of game like this. And on top of that, to just add to me not feeling compelled by this game, all of the characters and the places in this game have ridiculous names that are nearly impossible to remember. In fact, I I brought up some of them and I'm going to try to just read them. Uh, let's see, we've got Andreas Rondarson is your main character and his friend is Frederick Lester. And they're uh, they're the four heads of the blue foxes. Uh, the, the sniper character I just met today was uh, Iskarian Colchester. So you have all these fucking weird ass names and it has like this very... Uh, you know, you're dealing with these different uh, like political <laughs> entities in this in the world of Dio Field, and they've all got their fucking names and stuff. And all these characters have no personality, and so it made me think about that. You know, we always tote this idea about gameplay is king, right? Well, the mm-hmm. gameplay was good, but between the missions, you go and you hang out at like your your home base, and you can kind of move around. It reminded me a lot of Fire Emblem Three Houses in that way. But it was like everything in between was not good. And it's very, very clear uh, that this game, I don't mean in a bad way, but it is budget in that it's clear that they spent a lot of the money on the combat, which is good because that's what people are coming to check out a real time strategy game. But like the the character models and the cutscenes, it's all just feels very budget. And so. I, I don't didn't want to cast like too much judgment on this game because I did only play an hour and a half, but it very much put me in the camp that I'm I'm good to wait or not play at all. If if the reviews come out and they are like, man, this game it's got a slow start, but it really turns around, I may be interested in checking it out. Probably not at, at full price. But either way, I think it's cool overall that Square Enix is doing some of these smaller games like this and the uh, the new Valkyrie game uh valkyrie elysium that one i'm a little more interested than this one but uh square enix is seemingly doubling down on smaller japanese games which is cool because i'm not into this one but i feel like i'm going to be into valkyrie uh, elysium a lot more so well uh, it's worth noting that push square agreed with you i saw that they called it dull yeah, when they wrote it, wrote it up, so it's like dull we'll and see. confusing. I, I didn't realize that it was really a lot of it was it, it was real time as opposed to turn based. Yeah, and that's that's a turn off to me. I'm not gonna play it. That that knowing that I was like, no, nah, take that off the list for me. Then I just real time game, real time strategy games too too hectic and give me too many nerves to to play. What else are you playing? Uh, the two other ones are I finished up the original Tomba, had a fun time with that. Uh, just really quirky and weird game which is why i think it has this small cult following behind it it's not like a fantastic amazing game but it has so much charm that that is what really makes it compelling and then the other thing is that i started up Mega Man legends 2 after beating the first one a few weeks ago and the main takeaway that i have just from playing the first 
hour or two is that I remember playing this game growing up and it just reminds me of a time when sequels were often like leaps and bounds better, like instantly noticeable. And I'm not saying those don't exist now, but I don't know if it's just because I'm playing these pretty close together, not necessarily back to back, but very close that it's like, man, they really honed in and it's still dated in some ways, but it just made me think about like how progress in games feels like it's slowing down in a lot of ways, which is okay. Cause I feel like we've kind of, the industry has kind of maximized like, okay, what works and what doesn't work, but it's always fun to go back and see like those like major jumps, even within the same generation. So Mega Man mm-hmm. Legends 2, one of my favorites I found when I booted it up, I realized my original save was on it. And that was like a really weird, I know people have talked about like this type of thing happening to people before where you find your old save and it was like a really weird nostalgic moment where i was like man i i felt like i played it for like 30 hours when i was a kid and it was uh time stamped at seven hours so but yeah it's it's been cool going back and checking out these old games trevor cannon wrote in he had a question for you i actually was curious because i see this game bouncing around as well he says hey fellas just a quick one for dustin have you heard of timesia it's a dark souls like game coming out on august 18th uh, so maybe by the time some of you hear this it looks pretty rad also at a price point worth checking out $29.99 Anyway, I just randomly saw it on my Twitter timeline and thought I'd share I think this game was supposed to be out already I think it was actually delayed a little bit, but it does look like your kind of game. Are you interested in this? Yeah, I am mildly intrigued by it, but I as I've said before I just don't get into Souls like games. In fact, I often find that I don't really like them. Mortal Shell was one that I know a lot of people really liked that I just found was too slow and heavy. This one I'm a little more intrigued by because it seems to be very, very fast paced and much more Bloodborne inspired. So this is one that I'm I'm definitely curious about. It seems like it's coming out August 18th. So that's next week. Not too long to wait to to find out. But yeah, this one's definitely a lot more intriguing than the other ones so i like the guy the main character has like the the witch doctor mask which is always like a really cool image all right chris what have you been what have you been playing i see something very special here on your list a yeah, couple, of, playing, a couple of special games but one one especially very special. yeah so i i i've been kind of i've been a madman lately i've been playing a lot of even just some stuff that's not on on this list i've been playing grand theft auto 4 again as i've mentioned before it's like still very wonderful Cousin, 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 let's go bowling. It's a very, it's a very charming game, and it's, it's honestly, it's one of the better Rockstar stories that I've, that I've played. You yeah, know, that game's like it, dope, man. That game's really, really good. I actually, you said something earlier about it that struck me about the, the visual kind of the visual touch of it. It's like sepia almost. It, there's something because mm-hmm, yeah. you brought up Gears of War, which is the same thing. It, it is of that era. That's yeah. almost like a perpetual sunset. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's golden hour. Yeah. It's like either really gray or golden hour kind of, you know, right. Exactly. Spider-Man two lighting where it's like the sun's just shining and everything's orange. And it's it's nice. It's it's a refreshing. It's refreshing lately when you have so many, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, just the, the onslaught of color and and just absurd uh, Fortnite esque character models. It's it's refreshing to go back to a game that's a lot a little bit more muted and. And, uh, you know, it's just a very solid video game. I'm still playing Prey. I've been dabbling with Cyberpunk as well, just because I, I was curious about it. I haven't, I never actually played it on my PC, so that's been, like, fun to kind of mess around with. I played Red Dead Redemption 2 in front of my dad strategically. 
And this is something that I this was a plan you had for a while. I've been mentioning this for a while, and I, 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 I strategically I set up my I have a Series S just as like a backup for when I travel and stuff. It's like I put that in the living room, and there was just kind of a lull, and like they weren't watching anything; they were just sort of reading. And I was like, all right, no, all right. I put it on, I booted it up, and the second that music kicks in, I noticed my dad's like just like, oh, what's mm-hmm. this? And immediately, like I got through the first, uh, I got through the first night and a little bit of the next day. It was late at night, so we were headed to bed anyway, but. His he was just glued to the screen, and he was like, "That was like a movie. That was crazy." And I was like, "Yeah, video games are kind of like this now." It's like, "Yeah, I'll look into that because that looks cool." So got him. That's kind of awesome. Got Rockstar. Him. I tweeted about Congratulations. it. Congratulations. I, I tweeted about it, and Rockstar. Uh, uh, they Rockstar's account liked it and everything. It's a very just a very cool moment to have that because I've never had that with my dad before really like because most of the games that I play are granted very nauseating to watch like I'm playing like FPS's and it's I, I would imagine it'd be very disorienting yeah, if you're not controlling it that's jarring as fuck yeah it's it's not a it's it's not something that's fun to watch but I thought like oh man Red Dead Redemption 2 is just so cinematic and the characters are so good and the performances are so good and it looks so gorgeous and it's slow enough that I feel like it wouldn't be distracting and it totally worked. He's, he's into it. I don't know if he'll play it because you know, again, it's, it's a pretty complicated game, especially for your first game. Definitely. But I encouraged him to, at at the very least, like find like the story on YouTube. Cause I do feel like there's just so many good stories that people aren't experiencing, even if that barrier of play is a problem. So that's kind of an awesome thing that happened over the last couple days. But I booted up, uh, and the last thing that I'm playing, among many others, is Far Cry 6, because I, I remembered, oh, wait, I have this epic account. You right. son of a bitch. And so, I was, and so I was, like, checking through the epic store and, uh, of all the stuff that was in the library that I just haven't been paying attention to, and Far Cry 6 was there, and I was like, I'm kind of in the mood for, like, a first-person, open-world kind of fuckabout type of game you know that's not and i'm curious about how this game is and and i don't know i've heard mixed things about it for a long time it's also been a long time since i've properly played a far cry i like dabbled a little bit in five before i was like i'm not feeling this biome this area i'm just not not really feeling it but i think i will say i'm not super far in i'm like maybe like three four hours in i like the way it plays it runs really smooth i i like the characters it was actually nice kind of recognizing a lot of like the the subtle uh language hints because they speak caribbean spanish which is distinctly different from you know mexican or or spaniard spanish it's a very distinct so I, I was hearing things that characters would say and i'd be like oh I, I know that like my family says this all the fucking time this is a very different type of spanish than you're used to seeing in video games and even in most movies to be honest like in mexican the mexican spanish and like breaking bad and better call saul is like completely alien to me so that was cool. It kind of got me like into the world a little bit. It's it's not necessary. It's not like the, the most amazing thing, but I'm having a good time with it. I, I like I think Far Cry does work best, though, in a tropical setting. Hmm. There's something about the tropics and like the blue water and like the specific trees and the foliage and the types of animals that I think really and, and like the white sand. I feel like that works exceptionally well for what far cry is and i don't know what i don't know what that is exactly maybe it could be biased from far cry 3 being my previous favorite and having such a good time with that but 
I actually think it's somewhat something deeper. I really do think that there's something about this gameplay system, this narrative structure, and this this set dressing that works really well as this kind of special sauce that wasn't working for me in in the Pacific Northwest in Far Cry Five, and and wasn't working for me in in the Himalayans and in, in Far Cry Four. There's something really nice about that warm weather feel it almost feels like a vacation you know and i'm not so deep into it yet that i could speak to really anything narrative wise i think the story is fine so far i i do know uh how i do know the shortcomings i know that you're the main villain doesn't have as personal a relationship with the main character so i kind of know that going in but i'm having a decent time with it it's it's fun yeah i loved far cry 6 i thought that game was great Oh, just love the it. UI is really good too, by the way. As far well, not really good, but it's better than <laughs> it's better than what it was. I remember Far Cry Five being like really overwhelming and feeling like there was like a ton of shit on the map, like a ton of shit on my HUD at once. And this feels a lot more stripped down. There's even like a toggle on the D pad, so you can like kind of like get some get some of the objectives off your screen, and that's been really nice. But yeah, it's I, I, I like it. I'm probably gonna play more of it after after this. Well, since you brought that up, I'm going to do I don't think we've ever done this. I'm going to go back to the six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas again Ooh. Ooh. and pull out a second question, which will leave us with four later on. But it just makes more sense now since you brought it up. Ghost Raid wrote in and said, how's it hey. going, Slit Boys? I've had a lot of questions mulling over in my head. But after watching the Skull and Bones gameplay, I have to ask what on earth has happened to game UI? It feels like we were in a golden age just a decade ago with simple yet stylish UI. And now it's as if everyone responsible has left. It's gotten to the point where I've noticed it sometimes takes noticeably longer to load the interface than it takes to load the actual game. It blows my mind whenever I try to play Halo Infinite and I can't even get through the main menu without having to wait 30 seconds to load the matchmaking screen. Or when I go to play a single player title and immediately have to enter the settings to disable a bunch of useless HUD elements. Whatever happened to the simpler times? When did humanity go wrong? Thank you and remember to give the chicken a cigarette when you're through with it. We will. Thank you, Ghost Raid, for writing in. So yeah, to your point, Chris, I mean, what has gone wrong here with with uh, with UI? I, I have a theory on this, which is part of it's probably focus testing. And then part of it, I think, is probably UI designers justifying themselves, because mm-hmm. when you when you make the perfect UI, which I think would exist, you don't have much more to do. Probably you, you, you you've figured this really important thing out. It's kind of like we talk about control. Not the game, although the game's awesome, but controlling a game where certain games feel right. And so you replicate that feel over and over again until a game just feels like a game. When you play Far Cry, it kind of feels like a bunch of other shooters. And yeah, yeah. so we know how to play and we understand that. So theoretically, the gameplay designers have more or, you know, as, as far as mechanics are concerned, have less to worry about. And so I think there's something to that, too, where you're just kind of getting too cute again, as I said earlier. I don't like when people get too cute. And so you add too many things. And I've noticed this a lot in Cyberpunk where there's just too many things on the screen, even it's not that there's the things that are communicating to you are bad. It's not to say there's I don't want to have some sort of reticle. I don't I want to have some sort of radar and all that or GPS. That's totally fine. But like little icons and things they put on the screen that identify and all that. I'm like, this is just wasted space. I don't need this. Just move things closer to the corner. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about why UI is UI has gotten so out of control? It's it's and of course, I think God of War is one of the most egregious examples of that sadly in the triple a space well yeah there's 
I don't know, man. Like, I, I do feel like we had a pretty good thing going in the the 360 PS3 generation where I feel like UI was was as good as it needed to be. And, and it, it wasn't trying to get too cute with itself. And ever since then, I feel like everything's just gotten worse across the board. Like even some of the best games in recent memory. If I can think of one thing to criticize about them, it's probably the UI or the menus or like that, like the navigation system of the of those menus and, and UIs. It's I don't know why this is happening. I don't know if it's like maybe they don't have people specifically doing UI anymore. Maybe they have because it, it almost feel, you know what it almost feels like. It feels like they have people who make assets making UIs is almost what it feels like it's like all right you do this you know how to make 3d stuff just do 2d stuff for the for the hud or whatever and it's like yeah okay but they don't they're not really thinking about it in a ui way they're thinking about it in an asset way where it's like oh we need a really nice asset or we need like a really flashy animation for this thing so it's beautiful and it's pretty but it's like no it just needs to function and it needs to actually get out of the player's way as often as possible and i don't know if that was like a blessing in disguise of the original like PS3 and Xbox 360 that there was so much limited there's so much limited capabilities of those machines that they just had to focus on the game instead of flashy UI elements to kind of take you to and from it but I vastly preferred that to whatever the fuck is going on right now because he's totally right like Halo isn't the only game to do this there's plenty of games where the map loads or the pause menu loads or when i'm going into change my gear out it loads whereas like i remember even in ps1 when when you could change gear and shit like there was no loading like i didn't have to wait for like a buffer screen for my sword to show up on my fucking character selection screen like that never happened what's going on we have so much more power in these machines now but the simplest part of video games have gotten sluggish and slow and and cumbersome and and just cacophonous and visually just garish. I don't know what's going on, but like people need to really chill with UI. I th- I think when especially with sophisticated games graphically that simple UI works the best because it allows a contrast to be drawn between the beauty of the world and the simplicity of the game mechanic or the game right. um, system that you're trying to explore by going into a menu or an upgrade menu or whatever. So if you picture a game running in Unreal 5, wouldn't it be very pleasing to just have a menu pop up and it's just really like stark white text over black, you know? And yeah, it's like, yeah, it's a game. It doesn't have to all be beautiful. It doesn't have to. I'm, I'm suffering and I'll talk a little bit about cyberpunk in a minute, but I'm that's really the worst part of the game, I think, is the UI. It just sucks. And it. it I deal with it, but and you get used to it, but you work around it. And Mm -hmm. yeah, these are the little things that I think matter a great deal. Do you have anything to add on this conversation, Dustin? Yeah, I feel like that as I feel like in some ways I would expect UIs to get more complex as games become more complex in some ways. Like I'm thinking like, is this a similar conversation that people had that was like, why do we have so many buttons now? Why do we need this many buttons on a controller? We used to be fine with two, but at the same time, there is something to be said when it's like we're like that skull and bones image that we made fun of that. It's like, OK, sure, there's going to be more UI elements, but they, we don't need to see everything at once. And I wonder if part of that shift that Chris was talking about was 
maybe through the MMOs becoming more popular, it created something in development where people were like, well, people are okay with you. There are millions of players that play these types of games and the UI is all over the place. So maybe it's not as big of a deal in order to have more UI elements. But I think that UI is also very dependent on the system that you're playing it on. Like there to to have a ton of UI on a console game where people, the, the overall player experience is going to be people sitting on a couch. So you're like further away from the screen. That's like, not acceptable but when you're playing on a pc like an mmo then that level of information i don't know the way you ingest it feels different but i don't know there's also something to be said too about like the idea of before when we were dealing with lower resolution screens you could only put so much ui in order to have it readable at the same time and now that we have these super high resolution 4k screens you can put more stuff on the screen in smaller text that is arguably readable but that would that would be fine if it wasn't so slow sure you know what i mean yeah like i think i think the issue is it's not necessarily that ui is more complex the issue is that it's 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 more complex at a stage where we clearly can't handle it yet because or they don't know how to make it well enough that that complexity is worth the sacrifice in functionality. Like when I when I equip something on my character and it takes three seconds to load or to show up, that's crazy to me because that was never a problem before. Right. You know, like it's just weird that we've gotten to this point. It's like it, it, it'd be like imagine if there was a delay between your steering wheel and your tires. Mm hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cars are way more complicated than they used to be. We got computers in our cars now. We've got like, there's Bluetooth and all these different things. But like, I, I need my car to turn when I tell it to turn. So yeah. it, it's, well, it's just kind of that situation for me where it's like, thank God. For, and by the way, not every studio is to blame for this or, or guilty of it. It's, it's something that I've noticed generally, but you know, the last of us two's UI is great. It's very, it's very much not a problem. It, it gets out of your way. It's very simple. The menus are straight. The menus are just lists, which mm-hmm. is what it should be. So not every, not everybody tries to get too cute with it, but like, I don't know. I think that there's also, I, I think our conversation is getting a little muddied and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that there's a clear distinction that c- could be made between UI. So user interface and UX user experience. And when we're talking about like, the input delay of the loading of menus and stuff like that, that's more of a UX problem than a UI. They're very closely tied, but a game can have horrible UI, but it's still snappy or the opposite way around. Right, right, right. You're right. It's a a UX experience. It's a UX problem with the UI. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I don't know. I just think people need to remember that the UI is meant for one reason only, to communicate. That's it. So however you can best communicate might not be the most visually and artistically pleasing. It doesn't mean you have to put like totally flat, unshadowed HUDs over a game like Elden Ring and make it look like shit. You can put your little accoutrements around it and make it make sense. But I find a lot of games getting gratuitous with it. And I am pleased that it seems like games are becoming more modular as well. Same thing with the UI and maps. Mm-hmm, yeah, I actually think the cyberpunk map and I guess I'll talk about what I'm playing now with the cyberpunk map is really cool in the sense that you can scroll very quickly 
through a bunch of different custom versions of it, including a custom version that you can make yourself in terms of what it shows you and what it doesn't show you. And then it saves it and keeps it there as one of the maps. I love it. Little things yeah. like that. It, it's, yeah. it stands in stark contrast to the generally poor PC centric UI of, of cyberpunk. But I do dig that. But I'm about 50 hours into cyberpunk. I'm getting in the paralysis mode now because I can beat the game. I've been at the point of no return for like 20 hours or maybe maybe even more than that, but around 20 hours. And now I'm just going around doing all the side quests, but I'm running into the same issue I did with Witcher 3 that stopped me from beating it, which is just there's just too much. And people on Discord were like, Colin, just, you know, put it aside and just beat the game. And I'm like, you know, that's not happening. That's just not it can't. It can't. And the answer is no. I have to do it this way or not at all. So I'm trying every day to just do a few of these because there's so many of them and they're fun, but it does get I have my whole setup now. Like I'm quite lethal in the game. I use quick hacking and I get in and I breach protocol these people, make them really weak, and then they just start quick hacking them from afar and destroying them. I mean, it's not but you have to do it 186 times or something to these different crimes around the city. It's just I think that's literally the number. It's insanity, plus all of the different side quests and collectibles and but I'm going to do it because I think the game is really good. I know that I'm, quote unquote, ruining it for myself, but I want to see all of the things that the game has. It's just it feels incomplete if you play a game like this and just follow the golden path. It's not the way I play games. It's just not how I do it. Do but you, have you uh, have you done any of the um, the rogue AI car quests? Yeah, oh, no. the, for Delamain. Yeah, I, I did all those. It was, yeah, super awesome. Yeah, I, I, I love those. <laughs> those quests are so fun to me. Just the idea of that being a problem is really the, the way they they tie side quests into the setting is really cool. I agree. Totally. Know? Yeah, that was one of the first arcs I actually went through in the game. I was really attracted to that quickly. So I kept doing it as long as I was a good enough level to do it. And I liked how one of the cars in the game, it's not really a, it is a spoiler, but it's not really important. There's just a side quest arc in the game where there's a service like an armored car service called Delamain and it's driverless cars, but the cars have gone rogue. And so you have to go and kind of collect them for the central AI and each of them has a different personality, and I like that one of them is Glados, which is cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. that was a cool. Yeah, that, that was a cool. Uh, that was that was a really cool moment to find uh, without. I'm glad I played that moment before I saw it. Oh, sorry, know? I might have spoiled like it for that, you guys, but it's it's two and a half years old. It's not that crazy. It's not that it wouldn't have ruined it or anything. It's no, just no, like no. a really cool. It's just a really cool thing that's in the game. I actually didn't even make the connection because I wasn't really. I was kind of spaced out until Mike was like, "Oh, that's Glados," and I was like, "Oh yeah, you're right." I guess it, it sounds just like female. But it totally is that. Yeah, that what they're a, doing. yeah. But um, yeah, so I'm playing that. And actually, Sir, Sir Deathspank wrote in and said, greetings, sacred boys. What are the chances we could get a cyberpunk spoiler cast with Colin, Chris and Maddie being fans? It would be cool to hear you have an in-depth conversation. Thanks and have a great day. I'm down for that, depending on what other people want to do. I'd like to do a show about it, even if I just did it by myself, if no one else was down, just maybe taking some inquiries from the audience and talking it through because it is old, but. It is a game worth talking about. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I, I don't know when I'm going to be done with it. My dad's actually coming this weekend, so I'm going to be pretty busy this weekend. So who the hell knows? And I'm also playing Final Fantasy X on Vita, but I don't have anything to really say about it right now. I'm, I'm not anywhere near where I've as far into the game as I've been in the past. So I'm just kind of playing it in bed as I as I uh, as I can. So that's everything that we're playing right now. And it's time to get into the news. There's a big piece of news this week. Take a little while to read, but got to set everything up and it'll give us a lot to talk about. So I'll get right into it. Number one, on last week's episode, we discussed an interesting document from Sony written in Brazil for that country's economic regulatory body to catch people up in Brazil, as well as in other countries. 
Companies are often solicited and sometimes even required to submit answers to regulatory bodies on situations that affect the greater market. In this case, the question was Microsoft's pending purchase of Activision Blizzard, and along with virtually every other games publisher, Sony answered Brazil's Council for Economic Defense Inquiries, uh, Defense's Inquiry, I'm sorry, though it did so a little differently. It openly complained, noting issues of competitive and financial fairness, disruption to the broader market, and more. Well, Microsoft has responded, according to website Video Games Chronicle, and they open up a broader salvo about Sony's own plans. Microsoft's response to the Brazilian regulatory body as relayed by VGC, which translated the 27-page document from its native Portuguese, reads as follows in part, quote, Only one third party, Sony, presented materially different opinions than the applicants and the other third parties consulted. Sony is isolated in this understanding and curiously even contradicts itself in its response letter, ellipsis. I'm going to say ellipsis a lot here because I'm splitting a lot of these fragments up because it is a 27-page document. So ellipsis means that it's not a literal quote, but a fragment. So going on, Sony's public statements on subscription games are clear. Sony does not want attractive subscription services to threaten its dominance in the digital distribution market for console games. In other words, Sony rails against the introduction of new monetization models capable of challenging its business model, end quote. As previously confirmed, Call of Duty will stay on PlayStation platforms permanently beyond Activision's current marketing deal with Sony. As said by me repeatedly on this very podcast, Microsoft cannot silo away the likes of Call of Duty, Diablo, Overwatch, and more, and they won't. Quote, regardless of how unsurprising Sony's criticism of content exclusivity is, given that PlayStation's entire strategy has been centered on on exclusivity over the years, the reality is that the strategy of retaining Activision Blizzard's games by not distributing them in rival console shops would simply not be profitable for Microsoft. Such a strategy would be profitable only if Activision Blizzard's games were to attract a sufficiently large number of gamers to the Xbox console ecosystem, and if Microsoft could earn enough revenue from game sales to offset the losses by not distributing such games on rival consoles, ellipsis. Such costs mean that Microsoft would not be able to offset the losses by earning higher revenues in the Xbox ecosystem as a result of implementing exclusivity. This is especially true considering the gamer-centric as opposed to device-centric strategy that Microsoft has pioneered with Game Pass, and the fact that PlayStation has the most loyal users across its various generations, with all indications that brand loyalty accrued in previous rounds of the console wars, suggesting that PlayStation will continue to have strong market position." End quote. So that's all Microsoft saying that Microsoft later continued harping on Sony's inability to get with the times, quote, this only reveals once again a fear about an innovative business model that offers high quality content at low cost to gamers, threatening a leadership that has been forged from a device centric and exclusivity focused strategy over the years. Indeed, Microsoft's ability to continue expanding Game Pass has been obstructed by Sony's desire to inhibit such growth. Sony pays for blocking rights to prevent developers from adding content to Game Pass and other competing subscription services, end quote. Microsoft's purchase of Activision Blizzard is expected to close in the coming months, and they'll be absorbing a company different from any in either Sony or Microsoft's already owned stable. As noted by website Tweaktown, the lion's share of the publisher's income now comes from mobile games. So a lot of interesting stuff here. A lot of interesting stuff. This is making the rounds uh, the last few days as the console wars heat up. Mm-hmm. Nerds. Dustin, let's start with you. Is there anything you that sticks out to you here? A lot sticks out to me, and I have a lot to say about this, but I'm curious if any specific thing Microsoft says here is something you want to expand upon. Yeah, so a lot of people are focused in on them, uh, like the accusation of Sony paying to keep games off Game Pass. And uh, it's, I don't know, in in for, from both sides of this, I feel like there's like a lot of, finger pointing when it's like you're kind of just both doing the same tactics in different ways like microsoft bought 
Bethesda to keep a part of the advantage of that is to keep those games off Sony platforms. Sure, it's not paying to block it or something like that, but it's kind of like doing the same thing just in a, a different way. Obviously, there's other advantages as well, but I I just feel like um, I don't know this. Both of them like kind of laying these things out. I, I think it was Maddie. I, it was either in our our staff chat or the Duke chat that was like this is like real life console wars. Like they're actually saying uh, the stuff that people say online. I believe Microsoft uses the term console wars, but in quotes. Oh, in their own write up. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Like to me, it just it it feels like a whole lot that really is kind of about nothing because I don't think any of this will change anything. This is kind of just companies acknowledging stuff that we already knew, if that makes sense. Oh, I, yeah, I, I I agree with you, but I think it's more, way more substantial than that because this is the first time we've seen the two sides acknowledge publicly their divergent strategies and the ways that they're trying to undercut each other and even being hypocritical. And I think it's the hypocrisy or the perceived hypocrisy of Sony in their statements saying how dare you know what about exclusivity and and taking these games off our platforms and microsoft basically openly stating listen this is already what you do and you're winning and that's what i think is the strangest part about it and chris i'll throw it over to you is they admit sony is the market leader and they admit sony will, will remain the market leader or at least a major player in the market even after the sale they almost compliment sony in order to make the case against them Mm -hmm. But they also make clear that Sony is employing perhaps cutthroat sorts of techniques to get and ma maintain games. I'm not so sure about that. I don't read so much into that. The exclusivity deals are totally common, probably no different for any of the publishers. So if Sony is signing an exclusivity deal that I guess says implicitly, you can't put your game on Game Pass. Sure. But um, we can't play Tunic until September because it was on Game Pass. Mm -hmm, right. So it, it does yeah. go both ways. So that doesn't really make any sense. But I do think the the kind of enunciating very carefully the advantages that their their opponent already has and admitting that they're not a console centric platform anymore or never really have been, I think is quite telling. I think this is bigger news than even some people are bringing on. Not that it's relevant because it's just something to talk about and it is right now at a slow time but because it's quite fascinating we don't often it's yeah. very similar to the epic apple stuff where we don't get a lot of this and no, so, for sure, yeah. so we have to eat it up i mean that's also something we've known for a while i mean the, the, the whole console the whole um what is it uh service first mentality is has been a forefront of the xbox for a while now at this point not for like a particularly long time but long enough that it's it's not necessarily surprising news i do think i'll i'll, I'll say this from a layman's perspective, Sony looks like a really Sony looks bad from this. Like if if most people are reading this and most people aren't in the, you know, aren't in the minutia of like really reading through articles and really like bathing in the context of absolutely everything. Most of the people that I talk to who are only kind of tangentially interested in the games industry. It's not a good it's not a good Sony doesn't come off well here. And what's interesting most about this to me is how it reframes certain things like this kind of to me would be an interesting answer to where the hell is final fantasy 7 remake on the xbox store 
You know what I mean? Like, where is because that game was marketed as coming to that platform entirely. Yeah, like, as, as we I said, just, as we noted, that the deal must have changed, right? A, after the fact, but but <laughs> but it. it I don't know. It puts it that to me kind of it puts it into perspective a little bit. I, I don't know. I, I I don't view these companies as particularly all that different. I mean, ultimately, any strategy that one employs, the other one's going to employ either slightly differently or or very, very differently to the same effect. Obviously, Microsoft bought Bethesda and Activision. They're not necessarily siloing everything off, but Starfield would it have been completed would have been on PlayStation had they not bought it. Uh, so that is a thing that's real. It's different because they technically own it now, but st- at that point you're just kind of getting into the minutia of you're winding up at the same place, taking different directions really. So I don't know what really to say about it other than it's interesting to see them kind of acknowledge that there's fierce competition or it's 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 interesting to see Microsoft specifically speak in such a way that is strategically complementary you know like it's they're very smart over there the way they the way they say things is very intelligent because they were like oh hey listen you guys are you guys are the best you guys are like, you guys are the market leaders. You guys have all these advantages. And it comes across as like, oh, look at how humble. <laughs> that's, that's what it comes across as. It's like, oh, look, they see they're, they're playing well, whereas Sony's like blocking, ex- blocking games from being on Game Pass. That's so crazy. I'm not saying this is what I think, by the way. I'm saying this is how it comes off. And as we've experienced time and time again, presentation is kind of everything. If Microsoft had bought Activision and Activision wasn't experiencing some crazy bad PR, would have gone entirely differently. I think the public reaction to that. Potentially so. Yeah. In reading the statement again, I think that we learn a few conclusive things from the way that they look at each other, at least the way Microsoft looks at Sony in this in this case. Quote, Sony's public statements on subscription games are clear. Sony does not want attractive subscription services to threaten its dominance in the digital distribution market for console games, end quote. So we learn that Microsoft perceives Sony's position in, re- in I'm sorry, in digital sales as dominant. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Now, this is interesting for two different reasons. One is that it's probably not as dominant as it seems. Why do I say that? Because the NPD report in the United States never includes digital games for Nintendo because they do not report them. So the only way you get full cumulative Nintendo sales is when they themselves report them, which they always do. But the MPD does not reflect that. And so the market dominance of Nintendo is unknown because they're not selling all those games on Switch physically. I'll guarantee you that. And I'm sure they're selling more per capita physically than the other consoles. But I bet you it's not very much. We know that those numbers are falling and we know that it's four to five games now on PlayStation that's sold digitally. So we learned from that quote that Sony, of course, is anti-subscription Game Pass subscription, but we note we should note that Microsoft looks at their position as dominant. And um, while they note the, the various contradictions as well, it and they say that it's unsurprising Sony's criticism of content exclusivity, quote, given that PlayStation's entire strategy has been centered on exclusivity over the years. They do confirm what I was and I said this in discord, what I was often made fun of for saying called a fanboy, which is that there's no way that Microsoft is taking Xbox is taking those games away from PlayStation. No way. 
And what did people say? There's no way Microsoft pays all that money for Activision and puts the games on PlayStation. I'm like, oh, yes, there is. I mean, and that does seem to be the case that it's it's much broader than Microsoft even led on that these games aren't going anywhere. And I think we know that about Call of Duty, but I think we can assume and we know that about Diablo and Overwatch and some others. But I think we can can assume that most of the shit is going to come to PlayStation because yeah. they make it very clear that they can't afford it. They say explicitly what I was saying the entire time that there's no profit to be found there. And I was right. So it was kind of it's kind of rewarding to see that because a lot of people were beating me up for that. When I was saying the, the, the math doesn't make any sense with the subscription numbers the way they are now, it doesn't make any sense. And they're not going to abandon these markets. Well, we've also talked about this before, too, like mm. even like years ago when we, was, we were talking about hypothetical business models where it's like, why wouldn't you just if you were Microsoft, why wouldn't you? put your games on Game Pass on your platform and then sell them on the other platform. You make a boatload of money on your competitor's platform exactly right. and you attract people to your platform because they can play it for free. It's like it's a winning model for them. I like totally any way you slice it. I totally agree. And I, that's why that's why I was authentically surprised that Starfield wasn't going to come to PlayStation because it's exactly what you said. I'm like, what what better Game Pass ad is there than this? Yeah. Well, yeah, so, yeah. just get Game Pass or pay seventy dollars for it, even if it's six months right. apart or something, and you know it's going to happen eventually. I just, I, yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. that pushes Game Pass personally. Well, I, I was about to say, like, I, I would, I wouldn't be surprised to see Starfield eventually. Like these games, I wouldn't be surprised to see them eventually come to PlayStation. Oh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I think start. I feel like eventually, yeah. That like I think that start like some of those Bethesda games. Because you heard like Todd Howard and a lot of again, this is something that we've gotten ripped for. But like Todd Howard has said stuff like I can't imagine people not being able to play this like stuff like that. Like he's kind of implied that's like, yeah, maybe it will at some point. But Colin, I'm surprised the the other thing that I was thinking, like reading about this quote here, it says this only reveals once again a fear about an innovative business model that offers high quality content at low cost to gamers, threatening a leadership, blah, blah, blah. I just think that that like statement is funny because something that you always talk about is the idea that the sustainability of Game Pass, which is something that is an unknown right now. It's very sustainable for Microsoft, one of the wealthiest companies in the entire world. So it's like, yeah, of course, Sony doesn't want to change is willing to defend their business model because not only can they not afford to do to to sustain something that arguably may or may not work out and be bad for everybody. So I don't know. That statement reads slightly weird to me. Well, there's a deep brewing irony to this in that they kind of need each other here because Microsoft's saying we can't make this work without selling the game a la carte and we can't do that on our platform. And Sony's saying we can't survive without Call of Duty. <laughs> You know, or we're, we're going to lose. And so they're just they're basically complaining past each other because the status quo will keep them both happy. Sony's not asking for any more than the status quo. and Microsoft's not even tempting to break the status quo. But what yeah. I think is interesting is here's how sustainable Game Pass is financially right now. It's so sustainable that Microsoft bought Activision Blizzard could make Call of Duty exclusive to it, but won't. That's how that's how sustainable Game Pass is right now. So that's just easy math. If if they did that to boot to buttress Game Pass, the second that they can get those games market and, you know, contractually off of PlayStation, they do it. So it's it just goes to what I've been saying the whole time. It's totally that my theory of the case is sometimes wrong on things. My theory of the case has been totally right 
the entire time on this Activision shit. And Microsoft says so. They they need each other here. So I think they just need to examine the the mutual interests at play with such a big property and just get over it. And I also think that they didn't anticipate this becoming a story or even getting out. I, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone wrote this shit with PR in mind. Maybe the Microsoft response was written in that, yeah, with that mind yeah. because it leaked second after the Sony response was already published. Brazilian authorities websites, but it just goes to show that no Game Pass Game Pass is in a more tenuous position right now. They need to get money from other places. They cannot get more from they can't get any more blood from the stone. They're not selling a la carte games on Xbox compared to the other platforms, and they need to sell those games by the millions to make the finances work. So, no, I mean, it just illustrates a very tough road for Game Pass. And a tough road for Sony if they decide to replicate it, which they may. We'll talk about that uh, soon. But I want to reiterate, Carlos A. wrote in, said, my slit is, my slit is, with the recent leaks of PlayStation's comments from Reset Era, and he's talking about the, uh, originally, the gaming forum Reset Era was the leak where the translated Sony statement first came from. And he's saying it's become clear that they are actively blocking third party games from Game Pass by paying developers to not be on the platform. Why is this not being blatantly called what it is? Anti-consumerism siphoning off content from Game Pass does not enhance my experience on the PlayStation platform and shows just how threatened PlayStation feels by their competitor. What do they seek to gain by having their cake and eating it? Well, again, it's what Chris had said. This is already happening. Like it's just being positioned differently. But it's worth noting that I do think Sony is a little hypocritical. I do think Microsoft rightly points out in the documentation that Sony doesn't really make any sense when they're talking here because they're afraid of exclusivity, which is the entire focus of their entire platform, which is true. Yeah. I mean, obviously, third party games do excellent on PlayStation platforms well above the, the biggest third party games do better than the biggest first party games. But the first party games are vital not as vital as they are to Nintendo, but vital. And so it is like talking out of your ass, kind of. And I do think it reads like that, which is why I don't think that that statement was really intended or written for an audience because they yeah, sound like absolutely. they sound a little bit detached from reality. Like they're talking to someone that's not going to understand the finer points and that there was not going to be some sort of retaliative measure and that it gives Microsoft, should they have known that this happened, a little bit of a PR thing to say, like, well, people are paying attention to this, so let's write a retort that does have a PR lean to it. And they did. And I do think it is. It, it, it does. It does seem weird to say like, oh, we we love exclusivity, but we're also afraid of the exclusivity. It is right to say Call of Duty is a once in a generation, once every multiple generation product. But Sony is the biggest exclusivity whore of the bunch. And so it does sound a little bit weird. I agree. Yeah. OK. Number two. Square Enix is certainly on the move weeks after announcing that it's shedding its Western studios and IP. It's been revealed that there's more on the way to catch people up. Square Enix, the mega popular Japanese publisher, recently sold three of its studios, Crystal Dynamics, IDOS Montreal and Square Enix Montreal to the ever expanding Embracer Group. The $300 million deal, modest considering uh, like transactions in the industry, comes along with those studios stable of IP, including Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Legacy of Kane and more. This was done to begin to decouple the publisher from Western pursuits that it thought it wasn't up to snuff, keeping in mind that they published major financial and commercial disappointments like Crystal Dynamics Avengers game. 
David Gibson, an industry analyst, tuned into the Square Enix recent financial call where he relayed some key information that their specific games were cannibalizing each other. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I skipped the line where he relayed some key information via social media. At the top, he notes that the sale of these studios resulted from Square Enix's feelings that their specific games were cannibalizing each other, something we've talked about on the show. For instance, Square Enix published two Marvel games near each other, two service games near each other, and so on. But they aren't done contracting or expanding. It's unclear which. Gibson notes that Square Enix is entering a period of studio review, whether they will consider their assets, and that AAA development's out-of-control costs are limiting their ability to buy more teams or get more games off the ground. As such, they will apparently begin considering bringing in equity partners to own some studios, co-publish some games, and more. This will spread risk and allow them to get back on track. As is obvious, Gibson expects Sony to be active here, as they have a long-time relationship with Square Enix. The publisher moves into the next fiscal quarter with no debt, more than a billion dollars on hand, and $840 million in current development costs. Square Enix, founded in 2003 as the combination of one-time rival companies Squaresoft and Enix, owns extremely popular and important Japanese franchises including Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, and Kingdom Hearts. Its internal teams are typically mysteriously named and work nebulously, though they do own a few teams such as Luminous Productions, which made Final Fantasy XV and is making Forspoken, arcade subsidiary Taito, old-school team Tokyo RPG Factory, and others. Interesting information here afoot. I don't know what's going on over there. They're scared. I don't know exactly of what. I wish I understood a little bit more because they seem to be doing great, but they are acting very defensively. Uh, Dustin, let's go to you first. What uh, what do you think of the idea of Sony maybe getting involved with Square as an equity partner? This would put them in an interesting position, not unlike that they would be in right now with Epic, where they would own a piece of the company but it wouldn't really change the dynamics of the exclusivity, give them a little working capital. They make a little money on the top from every sale, et cetera, and so on. But this does seem to open up the possibility that Square Enix is just going to get gobbled up. Like they're acting like a company that is, that is for sale and they're shedding dead weight. They're in review. They're shutting things down They're People have said over and over again, it's unclear why they let go of those studios and those that IP for such a little amount of money. $300 $300 million is an enormous amount of money, of course, but that's really not a lot of money for Tomb Raider and like three working AAA studios that make pretty good games. A bunch of IP, I think like 50 IP yeah, is actually included. It's, it's just like a lot of them are, are irrelevant. What's going on here? Yeah, well, they there's the idea about them. The fact that uh, Avengers was obviously a huge flop. Um, but clearly, it you know you, you mentioned at the end of the the write up here about them not being in any debt, which is a good thing. So why are they acting this way? You have to imagine that a few years ago, before Avengers, that part of their timeline involved profits from that game and the other games, the service games that didn't work out. And so I wonder if part of their scrambling isn't because they don't have any money but the money that they were planning to have to fund these projects is no longer there in some way so seeing them kind of i think them shedding the american or you know the 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 non-japanese studios you see them more and more even this year doubling down on their their japanese output and it's really interesting to see kind of this this flip-flop in Uh, Japanese studios over the past decade where we saw in the PS3 generations where the push was for these Japanese teams to make American style games 
And clearly that obviously those games weren't very good. But now more than ever there, the demand for authentically Japanese games is just continually getting higher and higher in ways that even I wouldn't expect a game like Yakuza which I know that isn't a Square Enix game, but for an example, is an authentically Japanese game that has Japanese jokes in it that you really can't localize. They just, you kind of accept them for what they are and be like, okay, this is this joke really wasn't written for me. But I think that that has its own intrigue to it. And so I think that Square Enix is looking at you know, the, the games that they have that were very successful, whether it's, you know, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Kingdom Hearts and stuff like that. And seeing this shift back towards Japanese games, it's like, well, this is where why are we even wasting our time trying to make uh, Western games with Western studios when we really our bread and butter is the stuff that we make at home. So as far as them getting um, getting involved in having people buy parts of the company i mean obviously sony is an an obvious fit for that just because there's that relationship there already and i wonder if that's the solution colin that you mentioned weeks before where square annex may be open to being bought by sony but there's a very clear and important relationship with nintendo and i wonder if something like this is a way that they can kind of have their cake and eat it too to have that closer relationship with sony have that money and along with like maybe there is some deals where it's like okay these types of games are going exclusive on playstation because of that equity that they own but we can also kind of dance with nintendo as well and put out that stuff also do you think that that's kind of a a possibility for that angle yeah it's interesting to think about these fantasy angles where sony and nintendo be like we have to we'll get in together and Mm. and you know acquire the company or a lot of people are taught and I, I'm I'm this is more germane to me, even though I'm pretty anti mergers and acquisitions generally is people are saying there might need to be a need to keep, be defensive with this particular company and hope that someone buys them that you like, because what this analyst that we're citing, I think we cited here, or we cited early yeah, David Gibson, I believe his name is what he was saying was that Sony is certainly an interested party. And you know who else is Tencent? Yep. Ugh. They're the other interested party. And they're apparently the two major interested parties. And that's not going to be good for me. I I don't know what that will. I think I talked a little bit about SNK releasing that Mega Man Rockman game on Switch last week. And I'm like, ah, damn, you know, I I don't want to buy it. I just and we'll talk about SNK later. I want to treat them fairly, but it's tough now with their association with the Saudi government and Something that's near and dear to me, like Square Enix, which is a very, very important company to me in my gaming history and, and the individual companies were super important to my upbringing as a gamer and, and role playing games with Enix and Squaresoft, these iconic brands. I can't even bear the thought of them being purchased by Tencent. It's I hope that they are smart enough to know. See, Japanese companies, I hope, are canny enough, although some of them haven't been. That you can't get in bed with these people. It's what I keep saying about the live golf tour and the expansion of that. They just got another major golfer, hundred million dollar contracts, like crazy shit. Got to kind of stand your ground and hope maybe if this is what you want to do, if you really want to cash out that you find a partner that's appropriate. And I would hope that square Enix would do that because I can't Uh, take any more of this. 
this whitewashing of these companies trying to get into our space and forcing us to interact with them. It sucks. But I will say this, Chris, as I kick it over to you, the here's the one thing we do know is that, yes, they have no debt and they have money in the bank. What they could be looking at is saying we could have a lot more money in the bank because we know Avengers lost money. We also know that Outriders lost money because people can fly released a financial statement saying that they haven't received no royalties, which suggests that the game can't possibly be profitable. And so and then, we, of course, we know that Guardians of the Galaxy, which critically was well received and did fairly well commercially, was a disappointment to them. But you know what's most ironic to me, Chris? And this is being ignored by a lot of people. What was the biggest disaster Square Enix did? Like, can people think about it? Like, what's the biggest disaster? Babylon's fall, which is Japanese. <laughs> so I think they also have to like that. That studio, that game is basically destroyed platinum. They're, they're on the ropes. And yeah, that yeah. game is way worse than the other games and sold worse and is doing worse than the other games. So it is ironic that they're kind of blaming Western teams when they also have a lot of problems with some of their Japanese output, too. But there's no doubt Dustin is right that they should focus on what makes them special. And they've realized over the generations that replicating what's done in the West is not necessary. So what do you think about what's going on with them? Oh, man, I feel like I feel like you guys have covered so much of it. But I I do feel like as far as interested parties go um, or or just these fantasy kind of deals that could happen, we have to uh, we have to brace for a, a really a very possible reality where just the money that Tencent offers is just too insane. You know, like they 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 have so much control over that, and Sony might be able to offer them a lot, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you compete with that, really. Like genuinely, I feel like the people at Square Enix just genuinely have to know what the better moral decision is. Because I could see a reality where like Sony buys Square Enix and they're there's so, this is not 2010 Sony, you know, like they're putting they bought Bungie and Bungie's remained multi-platform. I could see a reality where a lot of these Square Enix games end up on Switch anyway, even after they're purchased by Sony. Just being aware that Nintendo is a huge part of their business model and also just the PR behind exclusivity now is just not the same as it was. Like people used to be, I mean, even even back then when there was like negative press for these things and like there was like a really more fervor there's more fervor in in the console war space it's it's a different world now where it's there's cross play that's kind of expected and and you know companies buy other companies and still put things out on other platforms we saw that with minecraft specifically and even minecraft dungeons which was not a pre-existing game but a new game based on something that was somewhere else and continued in that space just because of that brand recognition and i feel like that is the reality that we're accustomed to so even if sony wanted to like buy square enix and keep those Except, or, or keep those exclusive to their platform. I don't think they reasonably could without sacrificing a big PR hit. So I don't know. It's it's an interesting place to be, but uh, hopefully, <laughs> I, don't know, I, just, I just hope that Sony's lawyers and um, uh, I guess their their spokespeople are really really good because they're going to be competing pretty hard. If Tencent is is Ion Square Enix. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I, well, I do know this. I, I think the argument of like there is a fiduciary obligation to take the most amount of money to present the most amount of money to your shareholders and all of that. But I think part of the fiduciary obligation could be interpreted that you want to have a a buyer that you can respect and that will do the right thing and isn't involved in some weird shit. And 
I'll say straight up, I would much rather Nintendo buy Square Enix than Tencent. I mean, if, if one of those things was going to happen, I would much rather oh, Nintendo yeah. just come in and say, like, we'll just take them. And I'd be like, all right, fine. I mean, that's better than honestly. Yeah, honestly, yeah. anybody <laughs> to be completely <laughs> square. Like, honestly, like what Billy Mays estate could buy Square Enix. And I'd be like, yes, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what happens here. My my hope and my my prayer is that they just remain independent, that they come through this review stronger and want to remain out there and working for everyone and figuring out what they can do. But if someone has to buy them, then, you know, I guess it would have to be someone like Sony. But if they really want money, they should just find venture capital. And and it's smartest to to spread the field as much as you can anyway. So I don't know. Why don't why don't we just uh, uh, chip in for it? Why don't don't we the three of us Mm. just go buy Square Enix? That'd be awesome. I would love to own Square Enix. That'd be sick. I would I would do so much with Square Enix. It would be so fun. They would hate me in Japan, probably. Mostly because I can't speak Japanese, so I can't communicate with them. All right, number three. Sony and Microsoft may be fighting over the future of Call of Duty, but in the meantime, we could talk about what's immediately in front of us, and that's the upcoming Call of Duty game's open beta. As we know, the next Call of Duty game is Modern Warfare 2, not to be confused with the identically named PlayStation 3 game Modern Warfare 2. And as always, an open beta is incoming. The beta will run from September 16th through uh, September 26th. Then from the 16th through the 20th, the open beta will be locked to PlayStation players only. If you pre-order the game on PS4 or PS5, you can play from September 16th through September 17th. Then everyone else on PlayStation can join until the 20th, at which point the beta continues on PlayStation while opening across platforms until the 26th. You will need to have a PlayStation Plus account to participate, which isn't a huge surprise considering this is an online game. And if you care, the beta will be preceded the week before by an event called Next that will apparently outline more about this game as well as the future of the free-to-play Call of Duty game Warzone. Call of Duty, the most popular video game franchise in history, began on PC in 2003. The first mainline game to come to PlayStation, PS2's and PS3's Call of Duty 3, launched in 2006. Three studios are primarily known for Call of Duty, Infinity Ward, Treyarch, and Sledgehammer. This is Infinity Ward's game, assisted by support team Raven, and is their first since 2019's Modern Warfare. Again, not to be confused with the original Modern Warfare. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 launches on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 on October 28th. Chris, I saw you laughing there. Sony's locking Uh, down exclusivity. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just, it's funny in the context of what we were talking about earlier, but... Yeah, I don't know. This is uh, it's another Call of Duty. Yeah, I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic about this one, but I feel like I always am. <laughs> and then I just kind of I I played Vanguard and I couldn't even express how t- disappointing that was as an experience. I know it's not the same exact developer, but this is uh, I don't know if I'm feeling this one as much as I thought I would be. Dustin, do you care about this at all? Oh yeah, I'm pumped. I really? I'm not so. I played a little bit of Cold War, but it was I had played so much of the new Modern Warfare that I was kind of over it at that point. So now I've had a lot of time, not a lot of time, but a decent amount of time away from Call of Duty that I'm excited. I uh, am definitely going to pick this up day one for sure. And I'm we'll probably play this beta, but I'm not going to play it on playstation so i won't be able to get into that early access period just because with it being an fps i'm gonna play it on pc so i'll definitely be checking out the beta once it's on pc but uh yeah i don't know i really feel like i shouldn't be excited about this game but but i am (laughs) like i don't know just i had so much fun playing the last one and i think it's just because like ben and my other really good friend brandon we played the last one a ton together so it's a lot of it's a social element as well that yeah yeah yeah. like we're both 
really excited that we'll be able to stay up on the night of release and play this when it comes out. And so it'll be a, a fantastic time. I hope it's good. If, if this beta comes out and everyone talks about it sucking, then that's going to be a big disappointment. That's the thing, though. It's like, I feel like every time I play it, it's like, I, I don't like, I don't like this. Is, like, it's fine. Like, it's not that it's like offensively bad. It's not like the worst video game in the world. It's not Imagine Dragons. But no. like, I think, I think I just, I play it and I'm like, this is fine. But like, is this really where we're at still? Like, it doesn't, it never feels like it's different enough from what it was. Right. To justify me coming back to it. And every time, like, I think it's been long enough. I'm like, ah, oh, it's been six years. You know, it's been six years since I played Call of Duty. It must be different now. And it is, but it's so slight. And then, like, that feeling of going into the multiplayer is the same. And I, and I just feel like an asshole mm-hmm. for even, like, for even just assuming that it would be better in the first place. I think that everything you're saying is absolutely correct. <laughs> but, like, I, I don't know. It's just, like, I have, I already have that expectation. And I think that part of it is, too, just that, I, I mean, like, you, as far as your, your taste when it comes to multiplayer shooters, like, mm-hmm. is much more... Uh, strategy focused than like twitch reaction focused and I, yeah. I think by and large i actually am more in line with what you like than call of duty but i don't know there's like some like you know monkey ape part of my brain that loves like every few yeah, years yeah. getting that the dopamine hit of like the kill streak and like you know getting the new weapon unlocks and stuff like that is just uh i yeah i i definitely feel it i feel like if i had a so if i had a group of friends who was playing it i'd be a lot more into it but well, like as as a as a game by itself it, it never i don't know and the thing for me too about these games is that i think i have prestiged in one call of duty game like I'm I'm really in comparison to people who actually play Call of Duty, I'm a filthy casual. Like I don't I don't oh, yeah, play yeah. anywhere near it's not like I'm playing this game every single day for, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks on end. I'll probably I don't know. I'm trying to remember how much I played the last one. Probably somewhere between over the entire time of the game, like maybe eighty to a hundred hours. Whereas like standard COD players, like that's their game so i think it would be a different i'd have a different perspective if i played it that much but for me it's just kind of a a nice place to come visit every few years and then i'll eventually be done and move on that's fair number four as they now do multiple times a month sony has published a new drop outlining upcoming playstation plus games specifically for extra and premium subscribers As a reminder, PlayStation Plus, Sony's 10 plus year old subscription service, split into three tiers a couple of months ago. The basic tier, which is what the old PlayStation Plus was, isn't what we're talking about here. Instead, we're talking about the extra and premium tiers. First is teased last month. A slate of Yakuza games are incoming. Yakuza 0 is first up. The 2017 Western PS4 release that was actually first released on PS3 in Japan only in 2015. Yakuza Kiwami 1 and 2, released on Western PS4s in 2017 and 2018 respectively, are also coming to the service, remakes of the first two Yakuza games on PlayStation 2. All three games, of course, are published by Sega and developed by their internal team Ryuga Goruku. Also coming to Plus is Dead by Daylight, the popular asymmetric horror game from Behavior Interactive that first came to PlayStation 4 in 2017. Ubisoft's 2017 open-world third-person tactical shooter Ghost Recon Wildlands is also coming to Premium and Extra, as is the 2020 PS5 launch game Bug Snacks. I put Bug Snag there, which was already free on PlayStation Plus when it came out. 
Foray Games' beloved 2019 FPS Metro Exodus is also coming to Plus, as is the 2020 PS4 remake of the 1995 Super Famicom game Trials of Mana, and a trio of first of, of party games, I'm sorry, not first party, but just party games, including Monopoly and Uno. These games will join the service as of August 16th. Chris, not so bad this month. No, no, some pretty good stuff. Uh, Metro Exodus is great. So if you can play Metro Exodus uh, through this thing, absolutely play it. I think it's a pretty solid, solid lineup. I will say I'm a little disinterested just because most of these I already have owned or played. And the Yakuza stuff we learned about before, I think last week we talked about it. Yeah, I'm really more curious about like, like my interest is honestly solely in the classic library because I'm just so into it. I'm just like wondering, like, when are we going to get the next, you know, when when's the next classic that's going to be coming, you know, or and what's it going to be or how many of them will there be? And, you know, that's the stuff that I'm. I'm keeping my eye on. That's what Phil Walker wrote in about. He said, gentlemen, Sony is charging for a premium tier subscription, but not adding any classic games to it. What the fuck? This is not a good look. Just two months out. It's like there is a shortage of content. It's not like, I'm sorry, there is a shortage of content to pick from here. And uh, thank you, Phil, for writing in. A lot of people wrote in about this. So I saw all of your, your messages. I just thought we would get to Phil's here because it's uh, short and sweet. Dustin, a lot of people are upset about this. The PS, There's just not a lot of classics being added. They've added a few PSP games and they're not really important PSP games, but it's been pretty silent. I understand wanting to stagger things. I think, for instance, the the hullabaloo around the way Nintendo released virtual console games, I actually think is really overstated because they very consistently released two or three games a week for years. And that's cool. But it, it meant you had something to look forward to every week and it was always a surprise. I don't know why Sony is being so silent because this must be one of the biggest draws to the platform or to the subscription service, rather. And they're not taking advantage of it. And to Phil's point, there isn't a shortage of content. You can argue about licensing, but the fact is, is they published a lot of those games. They don't need to get licensing for any of them. So, oh, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, this is something I rang the bell on last month and I rang the bell again on this month and I will continue to do it because, yeah, it, it is amazing how quickly they have dropped the ball. Uh, on this and really taking the Nintendo approach as far actually it's it's worse than Nintendo which there's still I guess time that they could maybe turn it around but they've set an extremely bad precedent for this service where sure we got a pretty nice little lineup in the beginning and I'm not expecting there to be I wouldn't even expect three classics a month, like maybe one or two would be acceptable to me, like one or two, at least one of them with trophies. That would be cool. But they have just gone and not really done anything. Sure. I think we saw the addition of Super Stardust on PSP, maybe one other thing that they kind of stealth added to the service. Oh, yeah. Last month, the games were... um, they were those obscure games uh, that we had talked about, like the PS, the other PSP games. Oh, Loco Roco. Right, Loco Roco, but no PS1 games, which is, I think, what people are really interested in for this service. And so, I don't know. It just shows to me that this service is coming in hot, like super hot. They were not, they were like, like they got this initial lineup to entice everybody. It's like, hey, upgrade your plan for the rest of the year. And now it's like, okay, well, where's where's the rest of the stuff? I like it's one of those things where it's sure it's not like you're getting no value from having the premium or whatever service. But a lot of people signed up for this for the promise of these classic games. 
and now we're on month two and there's no new ps1 game still none no and no indication of any more in the future and i'm sure that we will get some trickled out but and it's no like, ps2 games have been t- like since the service has come out like those ps2 right. games are all available already so and the yeah, ps2 yeah. games that are on there don't even work on ps5 Right, Ape they say it. I think. What, right? what, what are you mean? Wait, wait. They don't. They don't work. Ape Escape Two on PS5. Download. Yeah, they're no. all, they're fucked up on PS5. It's totally I think fucked I think up. They've acknowledged dude. that. Yeah. Oh it wow. It is unacceptable. So yeah, it's like frame rate issues or something, right? Or, yeah, that's crazy. So, something like that. Yeah. Even, but even, even with the absence of, even if they didn't want to do PS1 and PS2 for a while, there's still a lot of good PSP games that they're just kind of ignoring that they mm-hmm. have the full-on rights to. That it's like, where is? You could do Ghost of Sparta and Chains of Olympus and, you know, Daxter and wipe out pure. Shit, dude, those, a lot of those games are already running on console anyway. Like like the PS, yeah, those like, PSP God of War games came to PS3 so they can get those. Oh, well, even, if they're just, even if they're just streaming, it's like a better those Ready at Dawn games are available. So you're right. Like they're there. And, and that's why I wanted to bring up earlier. I should have maybe brought this up at the same time. But the Legend of Dragoon tweets, I think, are a hint that that game Sony published will come. I think. People have wanted that game forever. It's a no-brainer. Slam dunk release, you know, um, and an exploration of, of perhaps they should explore a sequel. You know, a sequel was going to sure. happen in, on PS2, but it never did. I, I think. However, I wanted to acknowledge my friends that there is another side to the argument. Oh. We often get a lot of negative feedback about this, but Jason Bola wrote into us and here's what he has to say. He says, hello, boys. I just wanted to chime in regarding the plus offerings as the new extra premium editions have been announced. As a father and sole provider for my family, my time to play games is a small fraction of when I was single or even just married. The amount of money I spend on games is minuscule compared to the past. There are some games I will buy day one, like Final Fantasy VII Remake, but I think the last thing I actually bought was Hades last year. Plus, has been providing a huge selection of stuff I've waited on. Lost Legacy, Returnal, Death Stranding, Miles Morales. Hell, I even got what I wanted out of Hot Wheels Trial. Uh, the Hot Wheels Trials game. In addition to giving access to big games and indies, I don't feel the regret of deleting a game. I played an hour of no straight roads and decided I could be playing something better. If I bought it, I'd feel obligated to spend more time with it. I'm really enjoying the new plus service. Having new things available every couple of weeks between essential and extra premium is awesome, especially when it comes to getting my daughter into the hobby. As mentioned by you guys, it's probably less for the hardcore fans for now, at least. I think the trials will be the main draw of premium once games finally release and more of us that don't have the time and money to drop on everything like we used to in previous generations. So someone very satisfied, very happy. Sure. And uh, oh, this is exciting. Guys, I just got an email mm-hmm. that my Castlevania special collections from from limited run have arrived. Maybe I'll open them on the show. Oh. But yeah, this is uh, I, I know we get a lot of negative feedback about this and where are the games and this isn't good enough. But there are people out there that are liking it and enjoying it. It's important to acknowledge that. Here's mm-hmm. the thing, though, Jason. And this is why I think it's cool, but why I'm kind of happy being outside of it. And to Dustin's point, like when people were buying immediately and I told you guys like, wait, you might regret it. And I was at least for some of you right about that. It's just like you should have just waited and seen what you were really going to get. But I don't still like being being shoved into these things. It's like now it's now I got to play Yakuza or this is what's available to me. And this is. And so instead of playing what I want. I'm playing what is available to me and some of what avails to me might be what I wanted to play, but I bet you a lot of it is not your most wanted game or often it's not your most wanted game. I never have that opportunity because we buy so many games day one and play them early, but I want to say that remove that $15 or $20, whatever it costs a month to have these things 
these subscription services, take that money back and ask yourself if you would have bought just one or two games in the last three months and it would have been the same price and you would have gotten exactly what you wanted. So I'm not I'm not disputing the value of it at all. I just think there's more than one way to skin a cat. Right. As it were. Uh, The only last thing I want to add just in response to what Jason's saying is that my major complaints are not necessarily about the extra tier. The extra tier sounds is it been very good. These Yakuza games, uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake last month, stuff like that. That seems to be where the value is. Premium, which the two main draws are the classic library, in addition to the trials, has simply not met up to expectations in both of those areas. In fact, Jaffe, that's one of the things he pointed out in one of my tweets, is that these trials, which there was that leak a few months ago about trials being essential on games going forward that were up to a certain price point that hasn't really materialized yet so i think that roller drone game is getting a trial pretty soon but that's that's the main issue is the the premium service not the extra yeah i don't know what's stopping more demos from happening because they can just be gated gold copies of the game, which is what I assume Roller Drone is going to be in these other games. Like, just play it for a certain amount of time. You're downloading the whole package. You go to the PlayStation Store to buy it, or you don't. You pop it off your fucking cross-media bar, and that's it. But I think, like, making more bespoke demos would be a really good idea. We used to get them. And it is a yeah. it is a problem to, to stop everything and, sh- you know, make everything shiny and sheen and in this vertical slice. But... It doesn't have a relevance to making games pop in a, especially in a more crowded ecosystem like we're in now. And so I think it's going to be important that they, that comes to fruition because I could have sworn that even when PlayStation 4 was being talked about in more hypothetical terms and then it was announced that there was this idea that every game would have a demo. Like that was kind of the idea. Every game would be available digitally. Every game would have a demo. And that never happened because it's impossible to do that unless you have the steam like system of, you know, letting every game be playable and and giving a, a time limit, which I, is I still think the solution, even if you put that behind PlayStation Plus's wall, you should just do that. Why, why yeah. not? I don't know why. I don't know. It doesn't matter. All right. A couple more things to get through. Number five. It's been a while since we've gotten a leak from recent and reliable industry leaker, the snitch who tweets from an anonymous account and who is assumed to have some sort of bespoke, oh, I just use that word, access to YouTube's backend, where he can presumably see preloaded videos, publish information. In his first tweet in nearly a month, the snitch tweeted the following, quote, being afraid of the dark is what keeps most of us alive, end quote. As noted by many sources, this is a blatant reference to the long defunct horror series Alone in the Dark, specifically to the ill-fated 2005 movie adaptation from which the quote is lifted. What this new alone in the dark announcement or news is remains to be seen, but there's good chance we'll know the answer by the time the show publishes on Patreon. That's because none other than the Embracer group owns alone in the dark, and we are on the cusp of of an event where this will likely be present. Otherwise, we know nothing else. So why trust the snitch? Well, he's got a a lot right in the past. Crisis Core's PS4 port, Final Fantasy VII Remake Part II's announcement, Persona's multi-platform launch, the existence of the mysterious Kojima game overdose, the release date of The Last of Us Part One, and more. As far as Alone in the Dark, the original game came to PC in 1992 from defunct publisher Infograms, which was later absorbed into Atari. Atari controlled the IP until 2018 when it sold Alone in the Dark straight up to Embracer. 
1992's Alone in the Dark was followed by two more core games, a spinoff, and two other continuations. The series premiered on the original PlayStation in 2001 in the form of Alone in the Dark, The New Nightmare, which was developed by French team Darkworks, which would later go on to make that bizarre PS3 game I Am Alive in 2012 before closing. Do you remember that game? Uh, Yeah. Uh, That was a Ubisoft published that game. Alone in the Dark was last seen in 2008, created by Eden Games. Eden still exists, but was at that time owned by Atari itself. Alone in the Dark, along with the likes of Sweet Home on Famicom, is considered a progenitor of the survival horror franchise, though it was though it has rarely seen relevance since the early 90s. Are either of you familiar with Alone in the Dark at all, Chris? Yeah. Yeah, I I remember. Well, I I remember playing that PS3 game. I remember playing Alone in the Dark and I remember driving. I remember there was this there was this weird hold your breath or like there was like a blink mechanic or something. It was like a very bizarre, maybe it was just like a a very particular moment in the game, but there's this moment where you get like kidnapped or something and you're blinking and you have to blink on command. There's like a button to blink or otherwise your vision gets blurry. And I remember being like, "Ah, I don't know if I'm feeling whatever the fuck, (laughs) whatever the fuck this is. It was, I don't even even remember it being bad necessarily. I just remember it being just kind of like, eh, yeah, I played the last one. I, I played the one on PS3. I have the, some trophies for it, I think, but I don't remember much about it. That was a 2008 yeah. release. Yeah, that one. And then I don't really remember very much. There was one on Dreamcast, which I think is the same one that was on PS1. But uh, Dustin, are you familiar with Alone in the Dark at all? No, not really. I remember that new uh, Alone in the... Well, quote unquote new. The, the most recent Alone in the Dark game. And I wasn't that game like not really well received like it no, was not none very... of them have really been very well received except for the first one yeah which is what's so funny about it yeah it's, so it's interesting to I, i'm sure there are some people that are nostalgic for alone in the dark but uh, and ex- are excited about this but it's always weird to see a, an ip that wasn't necessarily beloved come back i think now is the time i mean i think five years ago would have been the time because we're just we're in the midst of a survival horror renaissance as it were yeah so why not take advantage of it all right, I got this box here. Hold on a sec. He has. <laughs> I'm watching. I'm watching this demo, or this like uh, gameplay video of it, and it's it's exactly what I remember. It's just a very confusing. It's very of that time. Yeah. I'm most interested you know? in the PS1 game. I mean, could that be cool? Yeah, probably. Yeah, maybe. I would imagine. But there was a movie. I didn't even realize. That yeah, yeah, that's movie. where the quote comes from. Alone in the Alone dark. In the, oh, <laughs> it's that guy. That's so funny. That actor's in it. That Christian is. I Slater. forget his name. Yeah, Christian Slater. Oh, <laughs> evil. Oh, that's awakens. so funny. What do you got there? <laughs> um, is that more GI Joes or no, is no, that? No, a, this is a. Oh, your Castlevania. Castlevania anniversary collection. Oh man, I, I wish I could see I'm it. I'm surprised yeah, you sorry. bought that. Yeah, our stuff is. Huh? <laughs> I'm trying say? to remember. I feel like didn't I send you one of those? And you're like, yeah, it's not my thing. But this one, maybe it was a different Castlevania thing. Are you kidding me? You sent me one of the shadow boxes. No, th- right? that wasn't it. This was like seriously, like maybe a year ago or two. That was like this is going up for pre-order from Limited Run. And you're like, cool, not, but. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, I thought. Oh, I thought you meant the. I see what you're saying. No. Yes, you might have, but I, I bought two of them because of one reason. I bought two of them because I, I was going to give one just to Dagan, because I don't know if it's in the box itself, which is kind of disappointing because it's going to be wrinkled. But it's supposed to come with like a huge poster that I wanted to get framed. 
of the box art because the Castlevania box art is so iconic. But I'll open them later. That's exciting. You know, I forgot. You know, I've been thinking about that recently because I'm like, didn't I order that like so long ago? And it turns out I did. I didn't did it a long, long time ago. So I have one unopened. I guess I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I'll just throw it in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. What else is there to talk about here? Oh, number six. Final uh, inquiry here. Final topic. The Evo 2022 fighting tournament was recently held, perhaps more relevant to this show than usual, considering PlayStation now owns it. However, there were some interesting announcements at the show, paramount amongst them, the reveal of a new Fatal Fury game. Some of a surprise, considering the fighting franchise has been dormant for more than 20 years. Indeed, if you don't know Fatal Fury, you likely weren't around during the Neo Geo era. In 1991, the game came into arcades and entered the seminal and expensive home console and was followed by a sequel in 1992, more games throughout the 90s, and was last seen in 1999 when the Neo Geo fighting game Garou Marker the Wolves launched. Many of these games actually came to PlayStation 2 and later to PSN, but when it comes to SNK fighters, Fatal Fury is several rows away from the likes of Samurai Showdown, The King of Fighters, and even Art of Fighting. However, there may be controversy around this game. SNK is, after all, now a fully owned subsidiary, subsidiary of the Saudi government. Publisher Bandai Namco, having an awesome fiscal year on the back of its mega hit Elden Ring, also revealed a new game, Tekken 8. Of course, information is also scarce there, and it's likely we'll have several years away from uh, or we're, we're several years away from seeing both of these games. All right. So just wanted to throw that out there more for Dagan than anything else. Fatal Fury. Pretty cool. I haven't seen that in a while. I love the old SNK fighters. It's too bad that we have to deal with the new SNK now. So I, I think it's going to limit some people's excitement, but it's still there. And. Justin Bryant wrote in and said, hey, CDC, I was watching Evo like I do every year, but something was off this year. The Sony product placement was horrible. Advertisements for in-zone PlayStation and Sony Pictures films were too much and started to become distracting. I understand that Sony is allowed to do what they what do that as they own Evo, but it disappoints me that Evo is becoming even more corporate when the lifeblood of the FGC is in the grassroots scene. Thank you for the content, and I hope everyone has a nice rest of the week. Did either of you tune in to Evo this year? No, I didn't this nah. year. This is the first year in, in a while. I, I, you know, in, in some time that I hadn't tried to catch it because usually I'm, I'm pretty enthralled by it, even though I don't don't understand the games to that level. It's fun to watch people play them at that level. And I like fighting games, so they're, they're interesting. But I, I didn't watch it this year, so I would have liked to see that. But um, yeah, expect it. I mean, that's what InZone is. It's it's going to be this cross fusion product. That's what you guys have been telling me. So expect to see this everywhere. It's supposed to be pretty good stuff, by the way. People are are talking it up a little bit. So who knows? All right, guys, it's time to get to six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas from the audience. Of course, these are submitted on Patreon at patreon.com slash last media, where you can get early ad free access to the show. Submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas. Sacred Symbols Plus is there and so much more. We already read two of them throughout the show. So we have four left. We'll start with Brent Lindquist says, hey, fellas, I finally got my hands on PlayStation 5 and I love the damn thing. Colin, you've always discouraged us from ever selling our hardware, and I'm curious, does this extend to consoles like the PS4, GameCube, and Xbox One, which have successors that are, with rare exception, fully backwards compatible? As always, thanks for the show. Dustin, I'm, I kind of wanted to throw this one to you before I answer, because you're in the collecting space now. What do you think about selling your hardware? My my thing has always been, don't sell your hardware, because mm-hmm. it's the biggest, biggest barrier between you playing anything that you want to play. Like... A lot of these games are rare and expensive, no doubt, but you need to have the hardware first and foremost before you even consider anything else. So you might as well just keep the hardware, even if you're going to get rid of the software. And I have I have all of my hardware, even though I've not gotten rid of or even though I've basically given my software to my brother. So um, what do you make of this? Do you think now that we have backwards compatible consoles, it's kind of safe to get rid of some of the older stuff? This is a tough one because the a lot of things have changed where. So, for example, like if you look at, at PlayStation 
playing games um, on different systems that might be backwards compatible may have its pros and cons. For example, if you want to get into the real nerdy stuff with me, you can do analog output on a PS3. So you could run it into a CRT if you wanted to play PS1 games. Maybe you have an old TV, but it cannot do true 240p output. And so a PlayStation 1 and a PlayStation 2 have an advantage in that way uniquely. When we're talking about more modern stuff, though. I can I feel like there is less reason like for like in this very specific example there's less reason to hold on to a PS4 when there is basically true 100% compatibility outside of though ironically now what we just mentioned like some of those uh, emulated PS2 games uh, you would want to play on PS2 and not on PS5 but that is obviously a very very specific use case and in the case of the PlayStation 4 too, like I don't another reason to hold on to it is this idea of it gaining value over time. But I don't really see that being the case overall. But it's these things are so hard to predict. Like he, he mentions GameCube and Wii, right? The Wii, at least the early Wiis were backwards compatible with GameCube. They've got the ports in them and stuff like that. Wiis are a dime a dozen right now. Those are, that is the most common console I find at yard sales and people trying to sell online is the Wii. And so, but for some reason, even if they're backwards compatible, and that's a way that you can actually play GameCube games and use component out, which the original Wii sort of, or the original GameCube sort of has, but not really. Um, it's very difficult to do. But anyway, people want actual GameCube hardware way more than they want Wii hardware because they're much more nostalgic for that than the Wii. So I don't know. For, for me as a collector, I at this point do want to hold on to almost all my hardware. I, I yeeted my Xbox and sold that my Xbox one as soon as I could when I got my Series X because that felt like why would I keep this when the Series X is just a beefed up version of that? So I I don't know. I, I feel like if you have the space and you feel like you might be nostalgic for it or something like that, then yeah you should keep it. It's not hurting you to keep it if you have the space. But if you don't have the space and that's going to be one of the main ways for you to upgrade your hardware in this environment, I feel like it's a lot safer than it was in previous generations. It's relevant to note, too, that there are four times more Wii's in the wild than there are GameCubes. Right. So they're going to be cheaper. Although I, I do wonder, I mean, I guess it's already happening. I had a, a com uh, conversation with a collector on our show a few weeks ago, but the nostalgia for the Wii is just around the corner, probably, if, if it's not mm -hmm. already here. I mean, every, everything's just a, a moment away from that. It's so funny to me that stuff like that can be nostalgic, but it is for many oh, people. Yeah. So, yeah, Chris, you're a keeper of hardware, aren't you? I mean, you have a Wii right yeah, there behind I, you. I can see it. Yeah, I try to keep I try to keep as much of my hardware as I possibly can. Not necessarily because I'm never going to hook these things up again. You know, chances are if I want to play something from that long ago, it's probably not cool to admit, but I'll probably I'll probably find a ROM of it or something, you know, like I'll probably find some way to do it. And I have but I, I keep my PS1 because that's like modded. And I think it's just like interesting to have that. But I still have my Xbox one. I still have my PS4 Pro, even though the PS5 has made it irrelevant, just because like every now and again, I just it serves the same purpose as like maybe like, uh, I don't know, just just 
a piece of video game memorabilia, like a like a legendary edition statue or something, where it's like, oh, look at how fucking weird it is that this like the Xbox One in particular, the original, is so fat that like I look at it every now and again. I'm like, it's uh, it's just interesting to look at. Like it gives me like a nice feeling to look at it because it's like, oh, that reminds me of this time and. You know, any number of things. I really, the thing that really cemented it in me, though, is that I remember giving my PSP to a, a cousin of mine because I was like, I never really play this thing anymore. Like, I, I don't really care for it. So I'm just, you can, you can take it at this point. And I never got it back. And I regret that every single day. Not because I necessarily want to play the PSP, but because there's something about the PSP's form factor specifically that I really wish I could go back and just pick one up again. Because there's such a feeling there with like with old controllers and there's just something about it that just the software and, you know, just, oh, you playing an original Xbox game is is nostalgic, but playing an original Xbox game with the Duke or with the the original S controller on the original hardware, just holding it and just being thrown back into that headspace is just there's there's value in that for me personally. I'm a very nostalgic person. I have a a very good relationship with the past. I really enjoy going back and remembering things and experiencing things again. And even if it's not software, even if it's just picking up an old PS1 controller and just feeling how flimsy or not flimsy they were. Picking up a PS3 controller and realizing how fucking light that thing is. And it's just like, oh, my God, that that never gets old to me. Mm-hmm. So, like, for me, I, 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 I keep as, as much of my original hardware as possible, even though none of it's really hooked up. I think it's perfectly acceptable to find. Sounds weird to say it, but I guess it's what it is. Simple pleasure in owning something. Right. Colin's not going to sit and play G.I. Joe's on the floor. I mean, maybe someday. I mean, I don't know what you do in your free time, but there's a you just it's like you like having them. You have like having them lined up on your shelf. I like owning that hardware because it's like like you said, Chris, it's fun to just like everyone's be like, oh, look, Mm -hmm. this is from this time. And right now it's like the PS4 is so recent that there's none of that feeling behind it. But. 10 years from right. now, you may feel differently. I, I, well, yeah, I want to explore this from a shot. different angle, too, which is the, the thing. It's actually something you brought up earlier, Dustin, about your memory cards and your old saves. Mm-hmm. These are the consoles I actually played on. It's they're not things that I bought on eBay or, or right. played later. Like, yeah. that's my NES. That's my SNES. That's my Genesis. That's my N64. They were the ones that I actually experienced all these games on. And so there is a nostalgic, nostalgic connection to that for me that doesn't necessarily sit with the software. It sits with the software that's oldest, like my old NES games, like the ones I've had forever. It's blurry, but is that an Xbox 360? It looks like it because you just pulled the. It's an Xbox yeah. 360. This is the one that got red ringed. I still have it. Yeah. And it's just like clicking the hard drive out. Oh, I know that. Hard I know like, that feeling, dude. Right. Yeah. And it's just nice. I have the fucking intercooler thing, the fan that yeah. you plug into the back too. Yeah, that that just that machine was cool. I liked the hard drive thing with that. I remember us always at IGN. It was always easy to exchange consoles because of it. Yeah, it's just so fun. But to just be able to pick them up again. But that's a, I'm a nostalgic person like you, Chris, and that to me is a real nostalgic connection to say like this is this is actually my NES. This is actually the SNES that I got for Christmas in 1991. This is whatever whatever it was, you know. So yeah. All right. Thank you for writing in. Nico 
Fargione wrote in, said, hey, gents, about a month ago, I bought a Backbone One controller so I could play games in the living room while hanging out with my girlfriend. As someone who has always downplayed streaming games, I'm stunned at how well this works. I've used it to replay in Platinum games from Shovel Knight to Dead Cells to even Batman Arkham Asylum. Have you guys had a chance to try this method of portable gaming? I haven't, although after we read, I think it was last week or two weeks ago when we talked about how there's like the official PlayStation backbone, whatever coming or is out already. I don't know for the iPhone. It's very tempting and I kind of want to do it because I just don't know that we're ever going to we're not. I I know we're not going to get another Vita. We're not getting another handheld. So this is the best we're going to get, which is what we were talking about earlier with Steam Deck as well. And maybe some crossover there. But it didn't sound like a great thing. But you're talking about, you know, Nico, you're talking about games that are incredibly important to have pixel perfect play. I mean, shovel dead cells. These are games that require you to play them to an nth degree. And if you're able to stream them, I think that's really impressive. So now you're streaming from your living room. It's not that big of a deal, but it's still you're losing some frames in terms of input and it's still working. So there is something to that. And I'm tempted to do it. Chris, are you interested in this mode of play? So I actually ordered one. It's not here yet, but it shipped, I think, this morning. Just because I realized that there were a lot of games that I was playing on my phone that I wouldn't play on my console necessarily. Specifically, a lot of turn-based stuff. Uh, Yakuza, Like a Dragon, specifically. I've been playing on my phone for quite a while because it's turn-based, so the the latency doesn't matter. Not really all that concerned about, you know, the... um, uh, you know, the 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 pixel density or the high res. Like, I'm just not concerned about it. And it's a lot easier to play in that in that way. And it's just nice to just be able to sit in my bed and just play something. It's not pixel perfect. Again, like there's there's some latency issues, but for turn based stuff like that, it works really, really well. And even for more action oriented stuff like nobody saves the world is great on a phone. But I have to play it on screen. And I was just thinking like, man, I'm, I'm actually like I'm actually putting enough like time onto my phone when I play these games that I feel like it might be wise to just kind of grab one of these things. I don't think I would have ever said that <laughs> uh, for like, I don't think this is a surprising thing that I'm saying to me, uh, but can they be re- seems uh, worth it. Are they were I have the, um the, I think it's the SE or whatever. It's like the 13 innards, but it's got like the eight case or whatever. I think, I think that's mm-hmm. what it is because it's still got the button, uh, which I love. Yeah. But can I use that? Uh, the I assume well I assume I haven't looked into it super hard but I'm pretty sure as long as the cable is the same yeah it is like the, that, uh, that fire not firewire but whatever they're proprietary lightning. Like, a light, like a lightning, lightning. Yeah. yeah I feel like as long as it's lightning it's fine because it's really just a clamp you know mm-hmm. based on what I've seen it's just a clamp with the with the plug that keeps it in and maybe like a little lip over the edge that was my concern too I mean I, I don't I have no idea like I have an XS max I think from like 2019 and it was new at that time i assume it'll be fine i'll figure it out I, i'll report back to you yeah i'll be interested but, to see what you think of that that's uh that's cool are, are um dustin what do you think of this uh what do you think of the did we talk to you about the backbone already yeah well i think that my my stance is kind of the same and just that i don't really want to use my phone for a device like this and i think someone did either on the comments or recommend to me that like instead of using your current phone if you have an older phone that you could use that that way it's a dedicated device and that is more intriguing but it still doesn't help the fact that i am too obsessed with latency and that i it probably would not be good enough for me yeah which 
I mean, more power how to you. How can that be, though? I mean, how could he play Dead Cells and shit like that? I mean, how can that be? I mean, maybe well, he can he, adjust he, to he, it, well, you know, but I, I will say when you are when when you're in an environment that is unencumbered internet wise when you are not sharing like uh data with maybe like four other people and you're like really close to the router it it is pretty i don't know how, i can't speak to the playstation streaming because i haven't tried that but on the game pass streaming app it works really really well like if you're in a really good internet location mm-hmm. which you know your mileage may vary i've played nobody saves the world and i've had no no latency at all from what from no no latency that i could dis- distinguish right and I, i'm kind of a latency freak too it's really difficult for me to like i still would never play destiny or like halo like competitive on it but because that's internet that you're using it twice you know what i mean that's like that's a lot of internet to, to spare but for littler games and games that maybe aren't as intensive i, I dead space i could i can imagine being pretty rough right but just because just because if I died for any reason, I'd be like, ah, it's latency. <laughs> I, I think for me, and this is very specifically, as I just said, for me, it's a situation where, okay, so the, no. uh, the optimal way that this would work, <laughs> the optimal way yeah. that this works is on your home Wi-Fi, right? Right. Okay. Yes. So for me, the only reason that I would use this is if Holly was using the TV Right. Because why would I play on my phone when I have an OLED TV with a surround sound system? Like so. But in that situation, I'll just go play something else. Like I have a PC or I could play one of my old consoles or I could play Steam Deck or whatever. So I think that that's kind of the the thing for me is. But for people that it's like, oh, I'm sitting here and my baby's trying to fall asleep. So I'm going to use this. Like, yeah, obviously, that's like would be awesome. I, I do think there are certain games that feel just bizarre on a big TV for whatever reason that is. Mm. I don't know why. Maybe this is just me, but like, like I, I think Nobody Saves the World is great, but playing that on a big TV feels weird. I don't know what it is about it. It feels really suited to a, a smaller screen and even something like Cyber Shadow, which I haven't played on a small screen, but I could imagine being like very at home in a place like that. Whereas like something like, I don't know, Grand Theft Auto 4, I don't know if I would want to play that on my phone. Uh, even if I did have like a good controller for it, I don't know. There's something about it. The, the thing that's interesting about the backbone to me, and I, th- I know we talked about it before, but the fact that it's offset sticks, so you could play like PlayStation games with <laughs> offset sticks. Yeah, it's it's that stood out to me immediately when they, when they had the official PS5 iteration. But it works for PS4 and PS5. I'll be very interested to see how it is for you. I'm t- I'm looking at it now. It's a hundred bucks. I'm tempted to pick it up on Amazon, but I'll wait. I don't need it right now, but it yeah. does say any it works on any iPhone. It says if I wasn't playing so much of so much of nobody saves the world on my phone, I don't think I would have grabbed it. Honestly. It's kind but. of I'm trying to think here because I'll be watching football soon. Football comes back soon. It's the best time of year. It makes my life so much better when football's going on. It gives me something to like look forward to. And we use our PS5 to stream games through Sunday ticket, but we could probably use my PS4 to do that. I mean, we certainly could and then use the PS5 and just play while I'm watching, which is what I used to do with my Vita, but now I can play like bigger games, you know? So I'll be very interested to see what you think of it, Christopher. Christopher. All right. Let's see here. Ryuji Hubbard wrote in. It's an interesting name. It's like both very Japanese and very white. (laughs) He says, Hey CDC, my question is, has a game ever clicked so well for you that all other games just don't hit like they should? 
Last week, oh, last year, I'm sorry, Returnal came out and I loved it. Probably my favorite game from last year. This year, they dropped the Tower of Sisyphus update and it went from a great PlayStation exclusive to being in my top 10 favorite games of all time. And it continues to rise up that list. The gameplay loop is just too good. It makes me almost dislike other games. Like I was loving Elden Ring at first. Now it feels like I'm playing in slow motion. I'm actually terrified that God of War Ragnarok isn't going to hit for me. I'm about to close in on 300 hours. Gameplay wise, I think Housemark might be Sony's best studio. I'm waiting with bated breath for their next game. You're gonna be waiting for a long time. But thank you for writing in Ryuji. I wanted to use this because I'm curious what you guys think. I've never really encountered this. There are games that are way better than other games and games where you're like, I don't want to play this because I'm going to play this instead. But there's never been a game that's put me off from everything else around it for a long period of time. That's never happened for me. I just think there's too many good games. Even when I encounter one of the great games of all time and it's kind of a letdown to go on to the next game. Last of Us Part Two, for instance, for me, you still it's not like The Last of Us Part Two ruined video games for me. It just means that that's like a new benchmark. So, Chris, what do you think about games being so good that they ruin your ability to play other games? I <laughs> I had this I mean I had this recently with uh with not necessarily like not to the extreme degree that he's putting it certainly like obviously like I can still play I still play games from I, again I went back to Grand Theft Auto 4 and that game doesn't play particularly amazingly you know it's it's an old it's a 2008 you drive with the game. face buttons in it don't you What no oh, no Good oh, Lord. okay <laughs> oh I, I was going to say okay <laughs> You definitely did it in the GTA games on PS2. No, that was yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that was San Andreas oh, in okay. uh, Vice City. Oh, okay. No, 360. By then we were using triggers okay, gotcha. for for the gas. Gotcha. But <laughs> that would be unbearable. That scared you, huh? Uh, yeah, that that said gave me a heck of frighten. I think, but I think generally speaking, most of the time. I, I do play games that I'm like, ah, oh, wow, this is the best feeling first person shooter that I've played in a while. But I can still go on to a, an inferior, like, feeling first person shooter as long as there's something else about it that's driving me forward or, or special about it. Like, I think, I think Prey is a great example. Like, Prey that I'm still playing and I'm, I'm slowly going through it because I actually really love it and I'm trying to savor it for as long as possible. Prey is wonderful, but it doesn't, like, the first person gameplay of it kind of isn't great like it's not supposed to be this it's not supposed to be doom eternal so it doesn't feel like doom eternal but sometimes you can feel like oh man when you're playing a first person shooter you're just thinking like ah doom is so much faster and it's easy to it's easy to fall into that trap but i think you just have to calibrate to what game you're playing you know not every game is going to be as fast as another some games benefit from being slower some games benefit from having clunkier controls you know like i think i think of uh a game like Resident Evil versus Devil May Cry, which is amusing given their like historical link, but you're not supposed to feel as capable in Resident Evil as you do in Devil May Cry. They're just very, very different experiences. And I think that's okay. But an experience I had recently, and I've talked about it on the show, was playing Elden Ring and Horizon at the same time. It was rough for me, not necessarily for gameplay reasons but for design reasons and it did i have no doubt forbidden west would have been a lot easier for me to play had it not been for that game existing alongside it because it it, it just then just the nature of like my preferences and just the the way they handled open world map design and markers and emergent gameplay and 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 um you know storytelling and 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 cutscenes and characters it was just like man this is if I didn't have this thing right next to it, I'd probably enjoy myself a lot more. 
So I, I do under and to the point where it's like I just haven't finished it. I'll probably go back to it probably sometime this year once I've had enough distance. Because I've put enough time into Elden Ring. I'm like 100 hours in. I didn't finish it, but like 100 hours is great game, wonderful. But I've, I've had my fill. I'm full. It was a good steak, but I'm, I don't need the fat. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not something that happens all that regularly. And even when it does happen, it, it's not like I can't ever play these games again. <laughs> what do you think, Dustin? Do you have anything to add? Yeah, I, I mean, the same thing happened with me for me with Elden Ring as well, where it's such a unique experience that few games have really achieved at least for me when it comes to that sense of exploration and like Chris said the emergent gameplay it's just something that I think that really I'm not saying that Breath of the Wild is the first game to do this but I think that developers started to like be like hmm there's something interesting here to do open worlds in a different way and so the same thing happened to me in a different way, though, with Bloodborne is that was the first uh, from software game that really hooked me that I got like addicted to this loop of like trying to get all the trophies. And like eventually when you're doing new game plus four or something and you can run through the game in a matter of like a day at that point, uh, it it's hard when you try to break away and do something else because you almost are craving more of that experience but you're not gonna yeah. find that exact thing and so my suggestion is that they, you get in this rut you can't go looking for the same type of experience because you're just gonna be disappointed you're better off pivoting to something totally different like a, like tetris effect or something or like a, a yeah, yeah. A, a platformer or something just something that's going to feel totally different so you don't have those same type of expectations the best palette cleansers for things like that whenever you're whenever you've played a game like that is just either something you've already played or something you haven't played that is just a complete far cry from what it is you just played right. like i think you're you're totally on it like if, if you played if you played cyberpunk and you just came out of that experience like wow that was amazing you're probably not going to want to go into like a Far Cry game or like you're probably not going to want to go into like a another open world kind of first person RPG yeah. style game. You're going to want to maybe oh what's maybe what's God of War you know or, or what's you know until dawn or just something like very different just so you can recalibrate because then the next thing you play is going to be different from that and it's just this it's just generally a smart way to kind of avoid the pitfalls of miscalibrating on certain things because it's it happens you can, sometimes you can't even help it sometimes it's just your brain doing it but you can still take active steps to kind of alleviate that to some extent well shout out by the way to returnal where my returnal shirt hell Custom yeah made. hey i didn't even notice all right let's go to robert f for the last question it says hi gents writing and following up on that conversation regarding if sony has lost its fun side of late colin rhetorically asked the question what would they have to lose I think the issue is far wider than Sony and assume Colin of all people would perhaps have a different view on this. The cultural landscape in the United States, especially the corporate world, has shifted. In the age we live in now, where comedians can't tell jokes without being assaulted, why would billion-dollar corporations want a hint of corporate personality, let alone say anything humorous or remotely risque? The result of such endeavors would surely quite amuse a few, but would be drowned out by the media and Twitter brigade's inevitable outrage and offense. The que- the uh, offense, I should say. The question should perhaps be, what do they have to gain by being fun in a landscape that punishes it far more often than rewards it? Thank you, Robert, for writing in. I don't know that I necessarily agree. I mean, I agree somewhat. First of all, Sony really used to do risque ads. Remember, like the uh, I think it oh, was yeah. Nintendo did too. Yeah, definitely. There was a PSP ad 
I think with about a girl's tits or something and mm-hmm. oh I'm sure like yeah. feel like feeling her boobs like there's all like laying in bed next to her someone there's a Game Boy ad with that I remember as well yeah where it's like you know you'll never want to touch her if you have this in your you know something like that yeah I, I remember I remember one specifically in a Game Informer magazine or like one of those magazines where it was like uh it was like this couple in bed and it's in the dark and it's like highlighting the backlight and uh, it's it said something underneath it is like the second the second best thing to do in the dark. Or right. Something. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's just that we used to have a lot of those. Some of those are pretty like eh. some of them were pretty cringe. Well, that's, to be honest. But that's what I'm but that's what I'm saying is that I don't there was an era of that. And I don't want that. That's not what I'm talking about. Like Sony doesn't need to be sexual. You're talking about yeah, risque. Yeah. I don't think that fun and being risque are the same necessarily the same thing. They can be the same thing. They sometimes are the same thing. But. I think that when I say about Sony's essence of fun, it's like just interact a little bit more, have a little bit more fun, be a little bit more. Well, it's kind of redundant. Be a little bit more open and take yourself a little less seriously. There's be so weird. Ma- right. Exactly. Weird. That's a really good example. I think uh, now that football season's coming back, as I said, and that's when I actually watch network TV and see commercials like the only time of the year I do. The commercials are often funny. And in fact, I've been watching these old 70s and 80s commercial reels on YouTube and reflecting on and Mike and I've been talking about it where I'm like, don't you remember? She's a little younger. So she and you guys might not remember either. I'm like, commercials weren't really funny until oh, yeah. the late 90s Geico. or early 2000s. And then all of them Geico. became funny. Right. We I think we talked about right. this. I think we literally we had this conversation. We, the, we may because it's 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 so interesting. Because I've been, I've been saying this for years, and I always love it when other people acknowledge it. Because I remember Geico was the only—I remember when a Geico commercial would come on, it was like, "Oh, what a treat!" You know, it's like, "Oh, it's a funny one." But now it's like everything is that. And, and now when you see like a Rocher commercial or something, and it's like Rocher quality, and it's like, "Oh, oh the, the 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 chocolate and all the dramatic," that stands yeah, out because yeah. nothing's like that anymore. But when you watch commercials from 1986 for an hour straight, what you realize is. These are like these are things that take their products really seriously and are trying to make them sound really good. And it's somewhere along the line. That's not really what happened anymore. And so they don't even need to literally talk about products to just have a more era of fun. It goes back to what we said about PSX, like just they just feel like they're in an ivory tower. We have no idea what's happening. No communication, just random video drops. It just doesn't feel the same, even though the console is great. I guess we shouldn't really be complaining. It's something to complain about because I just I I think everything surrounding it is what matters, too. Anyway, Dustin, you have something to say. Yeah, I I feel like I understand what what Robert is saying, but I was just thinking like he mentions about comedians not being able to, to tell jokes and stuff. It's like we don't need Sony making jokes about gender pronouns or something or like something right, crazy exactly. like that. They exactly. they can just loosen up a little bit and be a little bit more fun about their products and how they present stuff. They don't need to be like on the bleeding edge of, uh, you know, what is acceptable and not acceptable in comedy. Like we don't need anything like that, but I, I get it at the same time. I mean, there is, there's a risk in, in that as well, but I think there's, more of a risk in being sterile and being um, feeling too corporate-y. You know what I mean? There's that balance. You don't want the level where it's like the corporations, it's like, we're the PlayStation family and everyone's welcome here and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, we get it. You just want our money. Like that's, there's an inauthenticity to that, but there's also the too corporate side. And I think that Sony's definitely been skewing more towards that. Yeah. 
We'll have to see. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's an interesting. It's an interesting question. Do you have anything to, to add, Chris, or do? No, oh. I, I just like because uh, I'm looking at the comments on the 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 baby ad, the PS3 baby oh, ad with, dude, the, with, yeah. the, with the baby. Because like that, that's an iconic commercial. That is like that 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 commercial sticks out to me still to this day, and the, like all the comments are like, those there there are comments like interpreting it like what does it mean, and there's like there's people talking about it like it's one of the top comments like this actually makes me want to buy a PS3, because it's just like it's weird. It's just like there's something like no one else would think to do that. You wouldn't see a Nintendo commercial like that, or when I or even when I think about the Xbox 360, the band one where they're, where they're all like pretending to shoot each other in the airport or whatever the fuck, or in the mall. I think it was called Bang. Yeah. yeah. And it was just, it's just like, there was so much. That's fun funny. I forgot about that ad. Then. Yeah, that was like, dude, got some I remember controversies seeing, running. I remember, yeah, I remember seeing it and being like, "This is awesome." I I love that. Uh, I don't know. It's just interesting to see that because, like, in other tech spaces at that time, especially, you just didn't have that really. I think maybe I, the iPod was like the first one that I could think of where you had the people dancing and like the different colors. I remember that being like a really stylistic, like the silhouette against the colored backgrounds with the iPod. But I don't know. We used to have we used to have ads with. I'm not saying ads need to be funny necessarily. You don't have to have like a Kevin Butler person behind it, but like it should be more than what they are right now. It's like well, uh, instead we have we have you want you want to play in zone fellow gamers. Yeah. <laughs> even video, even individual video game campaigns used to be a lot better too. Like the, the late two thousands to mid two thousands, some of those ad campaigns were some brilliant shit. It's like the uh, and it's the shame. quote that no one knows what it means, but it's provocative. You know, it gets the yeah. people going. I mean, literally, yeah. like, that your your only goal as an advertiser is to provoke. Right. You're provo- you're provoking a response. You're provoking like buy this. That is the response you're hoping for. But even if you get the opposite, you're going to be like, oh, my God, look at this stupid commercial I just saw. I, mean, I want to show this to you. And then somebody else is like, wow, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> and then and then it gets out. That's exactly the point of advertising. But like, who's who the fuck shares a state of play? Really? You read the articles, right? I don't even want to watch them. I just do it because I have to. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get the hell out of here. It's time to go. Chris, do you have any yeah. closing comments? Uh, no, I'm looking forward to jumping back into Far Cry 6, actually. Oh, cool. Um, I'm kind of feeling it. I'm glad it runs well Whoa. on my PC. That was like my main concern is because it's on the Epic Store that I'm playing it. So I was like, oh, man, I hope I hope the optimization is good. But I tweaked it. It's working. So Viva, I'm spend some Viva time with Revolution. That. Indeed. Dustin, closing comments. I have a, a pre-correction. So if you already wrote a comment, delete that shit right now or get it's banned. Too late. Uh, Video Game it. Chronicle. I just saw an article that posted today. PlayStation site hints that PC ports may need a PSN account in the future. So potentially, maybe oh yeah, they will be that. tying it and eventually be working on Sony so on on PlayStation trophy support. But fun. Who, who knows? So anyway, that article is out there. We see that. So who knows? Maybe that's a possibility. Uh, but yeah, no, that's it. It was. Uh, this was a fun episode. Lots yeah, of it was. Stuff. It was a good episode. Thank you, boys. Thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of all things Last Stand Media, Sacred Symbols, Knockback, Defining Duke. We could not do it without you. Uh, that's it. We'll see you next time. Until then, goodbye. See ya. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. 
It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Malachi Wall, Dave Cowell, Donald John Vader, Stephen Innerfield, Josh Sullinger, Mad Cats, Bloodborne Cart, Sultan Al Katani, David Ghetto, Lord Starscream, Jacob Donovan, Eduardo Perez, My Name is Mayo, Logan Byford, Eddie Medina, Jason R. Zahn, Christopher Nog, Zeno Adam, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Blake Nesbitt, Sword of Serious Gaming, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parrix, Henry Groth, Relentless Rex, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Reniger Graham, Christian R., Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Brian Hernandez, Espinosa, Chris Kelly, Remington Wilson, Dustin Graff, Zach Cohen, Peyton Stone, Jalapeno, Josh Hallen Rui, Quentin Thedens, John Keegan, Michael Buffel, Dan Root, Asak Parades, Talisman, Christopher Morgan, Andreas Wessling, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Trons, Trey Woodward, Antonio C., Jay Getter, Assassinated Devil, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Jordan Gale, Of Fortuna, John Zile, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Alex Lapierre, Saul Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Matt Flowers, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinnan and Chris, Dave Alvarez, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Zach Allum, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naaman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryan, Michael S., Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, Simon Dunbar, D.B. Cooper, Fat Houdini, Richter 86, Todd B. Canning, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVio, Chris Morton, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Impossible Traveler, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Carlos Algorit, Dominic, Mike Menzel, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Tom Quinn, Spencer F., Anton K., Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bellow, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Shane Miller, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixie, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, The Rose Experience, and Grizzled Veterans Media, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jorge Powell, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmore, Geo Corsi, Joey Gondolaker, Alex Monez, Daryl Pennington, Justin Payne, Justin Wagaman, David I. Colucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Ashley Carlson, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.